Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back once again to Salt the Streets Podcast, the show where we discuss news, government, and culture, and how it pertains to you, the individual, and the and your natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As always, we are your hosts. I am that big bird-looking fellow they call Colin, and I am joined by my co-host, brother-in-arms, the Nero of Neoprene, the original Salt of the Street himself, Donovan. Donovan, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, Colin. Thank you very much. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Josh Keaton. Drove all the way down here from the great white north of Washington State. <laughs> uh, we, he is known as a, a man with sitcom dad energy and an amateur historian, which I can't wait to poke about because I want to see how you consider yourself a, uh, an amateur historian. I'm very excited about that. Welcome to the show, Josh. Well, thank Thanks for you. coming. Um, Donovan, can yes. you please tell the people where we are at in the Salt Streets timeline and what it is today we're going to be talking about? Yes, sir. Today is Saturday, July 9th. It is 12, 10 p.m. This is episode 129 of Salt of the Streets. Today, we have a lot of big stuff going on. So first, we're going to do, of course, our Let Me Ask You This Question. We're going to fire mm -hmm. up that in just a little bit. Then we're going to get to know Josh a little bit so that we know who we're talking to, what we're getting into. And then we have, we're going to end this segment by kind of leading ourselves into the next one. We're going to talk about the conclusion of the Bremerton High School, Joe Kennedy versus Bremerton School District uh, Supreme Court case. And that will lead us into our second segment, our second part there. And we're going to talk about some other various different Supreme Court cases um, and the way that they have concluded. And part three, we're going to be talking a couple of different things. Student loan forgiveness, we're going to be talking about the Don't Say Gay Bill a little bit because you are a teacher, you're sub, right? And so that's, we've been, we've, We'll get into it a little bit later, but we've had a hell of a time getting people in here to talk to us about the Don't Say Gay Bill. Uh, people who openly don't agree with us, but and not that you don't agree with us, we haven't discussed it, but we've just had a hell of a time getting people in here to talk about this. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We are going to talk about, which I, I built it to you as a leftist influence on education. And I told you that was just kind of the easiest way to put it under one distinct label. And so we'll dive in and, and kind of how, how hash that out a little bit more as we get in but when we say that we really do mean leftist not like democrat or left-leaning we mean like leftist hardcore ideology marxist ideology that is potentially in intending to subvert the country itself the society that's kind of what we're getting at so we'll, gotcha. we'll parse through that a little bit more and of course we have the grab bag segment we have what just last night we found out that elon musk is no longer going to be purchasing twitter yeah. Twitter jesus is not going to save us <laughs> right so we found out about that we have the georgia guidestones that were destroyed one of them was destroyed earlier this week and then they were yeah. taken down and then we also have what the dutch farmer protest that is going on yeah buddy so that's gary you've heard about the dutch i, farmer I vaguely i was actually very interested to hear your takes because yes. i need to learn more it's yeah, the been dutch real interesting wild yeah, yeah wild stuff i did not know about that and then uh we came to work on wednesday and Colin was like, yo, have you heard about these protests? <laughs> I was like, I kind of like saw, you know, mentions and then he showed me videos and pictures and the whole fucking, oh, yeah. you know, interstates taking up and shit or whatever they call them there, you know, freeways, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever those Europeans call them things over there. Yeah, the 10 lane highways that they have running through the middle of everything. Yeah. But, yeah, so yeah. we have a great, great show for everyone going here. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Bilbo Swaggin, obviously. On YouTube, we have our Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, all of that at Salt of the Streets. We have our own personal social media. I'm at Salt of the Street on Twitter at alpaca underscore donovan on instagram collins at big Barafi on both those things do you want to pimp your social medias you don't have to oh i'm good for right now all right well there we go <laughs> josh is here with us and uh saltofstreets.com for all this information that's Yeet. it location skate shop down down bremerton did you know that ryan martin opened up a skate shop ryan martin ryan martin we ryan slogo martin yes wow he opened a skate <laughs> shop in downtown bremerton it's called location skate shop and we don't 
they don't pay us or anything, but we pimp them regularly because it's a fantastic environment. We've been there many times, and he designed it. They designed it. He's one of the co-owners of it. They designed it as a spot for kids to go in the community to not cause trouble and be able to skate and it's have awesome. a positive environment. It's, yeah. it's absolutely excellent. Yeah, no, and it's a beautiful shop, too. It's excellently designed. He has a bunch of his photographs everywhere. It's very <laughs> It's a good. great spot for skating, too, because it's right there on 4th Street. It's that, yes. that cool, windy area like that. A lot of park benches and right stuff like that, which, of course, oh, I'm sure nobody nice. is skating on or something like that. But <laughs> they put a ra- they, they have rails they put out in the street all the time. They That's have their legit. own rails. Yeah, and they close down yeah. 4th Street constantly for all kinds of different yeah. stuff, events, and everything. It's like right on the same... Right down from the Roxy Theater in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love to see that, those local business and stuff given, like, actually doing something for the community like that, not just, like, trying to set up shop and make some dollars. It's like, hey, yeah, we're doing that, but we're also giving people a place to go, and especially when you're talking about the, the times we live in today with kids that just have way too much time in zero direction. They need places like that to go. And so, Very true. You know, and especially it works out great because you apparently know everybody in Bremerton. Um, it just we you have all these connections, town. and it's it's great, man. I've lived here my entire life, so this is, <laughs> you get right. this is how I remember being a kid and feeling that way about other people's parents because my mom was not from here, but it seemed like. People who had parents that were from her, they fucking knew everyone. My know? mom's the same way. Yeah, yeah, so it was just like, how is this possible? Like, I don't understand. And now, now that I'm an adult, I'm almost 30, I'm like, well, I just fucking know everyone. Like, yeah. just, <laughs> there's, when there's 40,000 people in your town, you just know a little bit of everybody yeah. everywhere. I have a feeling that, like, me dipping out for 10 years probably probably did not help my my social circles in the, in the local realm. Because, you know, you right. dip out for those... Especially that 10 years, the first 10 years of like your adult life. Yes. That's when you're making all those real long-lasting connections within the community as everybody kind of you know grows out from high school and college and stuff like that to people that stay. And I was just like, well, I'm out. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I come back, and I don't – there are some people that will recognize me every now and then. Hey, man, we went to school together or something, right? I'm like – I mean, could be, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, I I don't have that much space in here for that kind of stuff anymore. Right. I, don't, I don't remember maybe half a dozen people I went to high school with. When if you, I think if you, think you're right. If you stayed around here, and even if you didn't kick it with them, but if you ran into them yeah. or saw them in the community, your memory would be like bumped a little bit all the time. So mm-hmm. ten years down the road, even if you didn't kick it, you would remember them, yeah. and you'd be able to see them. Like, oh, I fucking you know had this class with this guy or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, being gone that whole time, you'd lose out on any of that boosting that it's going to be. So you just oh, yeah. cut them all out. <laughs> it's no longer relevant. Right. <laughs> I do occasionally run into this gal and uh, her husband. I knew her husband pretty well in high school, and um, she used to ride my bus in high or in junior high and high school and shit like that. She ended up going out and becoming a porn star, and oh, then shit. ended up coming back and all this stuff and now they're happily married got a couple kids and shit and but are they his uh i i, I <laughs> would i would assume i don't know oh my god but yeah that's that's it's an interesting thing man when you think about your young adult years like that yeah. there's so much of your life that's formed and your future is so kind of built off of that first few years once you kind of get out there into the world it's very yeah. interesting to think about yeah but but anyways enough of me yeah, no, with that, Colin, let me ask you this, right? So, and Josh, again, you don't have to ask this question. You're more than welcome to. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Colin, do you think that it is possible for someone to be truly objective, right? Or do you think that we kind of have to just acknowledge or accept the biases that we have, for lack of a better term, and kind of be conscious of them and just work around them when mm-hmm. we're trying to dissect information that we're taking in? Um, so, as... 
a general rule, no. Nobody can be perfectly objective. You can have isolated pockets of thought where you think as objectively as possible, but nobody is immune to biases in their lives. That's how, that's how you become a person. There's, I just I don't think that's real. But I think the sooner you recognize that you cannot be objective fully, and you recognize that you do have biases, you'll be much more apt to recognize them and to be able to understand when your biases are playing into something you're thinking about. Uh, but yeah, no, that's an insane thing to think. Of. That's like a control group in a science project. That's not right. It's, it's, it's purposely not, it's pur purposely isolated and cannot be brought into like objective reality. Yeah. I mean, it's not a real thing, but it's a good place to like, it's a good, it's a good goal to strive for. Because that way you'll always be trying to think of as objective as possible. But no, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Oh, I would agree. Like, <clears throat> we're all like sociological beings. And so your um, experiences will entirely affect your, like, objectivity. And while you might think that you can be objective, the reality is that you're going to have background information that totally affects your judgment. And right. I always hate that, like, whenever you're, like, news articles, like, oh, we're objective. And it's like... That's right. impossible. Like, mm -hmm. everyone's going to have a spin. It might be minor. It might be major. But you can't, you know, look at something and have an objective opinion about something. Because right. yeah. you are your experiences, and that's going to affect your worldview. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I think that's really good. And the reason that I – well, not the reason, but I think those are great answers. And when I was thinking about this a lot lately um, – after I watched the Matt, the Matt Walsh documentary, right? Matt Walsh, Daily Wire. They just did the, a what documentary. Was the, what is a woman? What is a woman? Yeah. I just watched that. And as I was done, Jordan and I watched it together. And I said, I appreciate that they didn't try and be objective. Like, they were not veiled about the way they feel about this situation. They were honest about it. There was no deception. But they were open about the way they feel about it, which I appreciate, right? Mm -hmm. When we first started the show, we were huge on, like, we're objective all the time. Like, we're just going to be that. We're totally objective. We're not going to let any spin get into anything. And I think it just took us time to realize that we can't do that, yeah. right? And now we – I take pride in the way that we present information – objectively present raw information mm -hmm. right past that our discussions we are open that we have biases about it we feel yeah. the way that we feel and that's the way that we're going to discuss them we think as a show as individuals that freedom and liberty is the way to go so that is yeah. how all of our opinions are going to lean and when we're presenting things and we're reading things we'll even go through and correct ourselves like oh i can't say that because that's i'm adding something to this and that's not what they said like that's not what this article says we'll be very clear about okay this is opinion time now you know mm -hmm. and the further we get into this that's what i find that i respect most about individual news companies is their ability to acknowledge their biases and not say like you said that they're being objective mm -hmm. you know one of the morning shows we listen to is done by abc it's called start here they have like a do you know this podcast mm -hmm. it's, it's like a terrible. 20 minute it's yeah we we listen to them from npr um axios ABC, there's like several different left-leaning yeah. news companies that we, all of their morning podcasts, we'll listen to them all as soon as we get to work. And the Start Here one, there's always an ad for the George Stephanopoulos show, whatever yeah. it is, his weekly <laughs> show. And his ad is like, you know, we're taking the biggest stories and cutting through the spin so we can present this. <laughs> I it's love like, that. You worked in the Clinton administration. Like, you worked in, yeah. in her campaign. You can't try and lie and say that you can even attempt to be objective because no. you're not. 
and that's where I lose respect for all these corporate news companies, all this type of shit, because you're still trying to present yourself as objective when the entire world, the whole country in particular, knows exactly where you sit on a particular issue, mm -hmm. you know? And if all of them, CNN, all MSNBC, Fox News, all of the mm -hmm. corporate news companies would just be honest about their spin, I think they would they would be more successful, yeah. you know? Yeah, because I think when you, if you look at, bias in general right and objectivity you're you're essentially talking about the difference between fact and truth like fact is a fact is a fact period a string of facts together can mean something that can build you a truth but at the end of the day a fact is true mm -hmm. but it, it That's interesting. but the truth comes to what you apply that fact to mm -hmm. yeah but otherwise yeah you may like a news outlet like abc or something like that could just give you the facts and then just be done with it right and that would be as as objective a news source as you can get but nobody does that because facts Not anymore facts alone are, are without context generally and then they don't really mean anything other than a random statistic or some shit right. like that so yeah i think that's it's a problem especially in the corporate press because they've allowed their their truth to get to just completely take over the facts at that point. And then there's then there's nothing but unobjective, biased opinion oh, yes. spun and, wo and woven around what started as a fact somewhere. Mm -hmm. Question, though, is do you think that that – could we even go back to, like – it's always, like, this kind of idealization of, like, the old Walter Cronkite days oh, where yeah. he came on, he said what the news are, it's like, blank, happened. He didn't give a spin, and then he left. Do, we, do you think that we could even go back to that news? Like, is there an appetite that the American people want that? Or is it just like, is that gone? Like, I think it's gone. If you ask me, I think it's gone. I, I don't think the, I don't think society as a whole could stomach that now, especially. I don't know if we ever could have. And I don't even know if that was actually the, truth. the case back then. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, I wasn't around back <laughs> yeah. then. I, I can only go off of, you know, who knows how long news has always been spun one direction or another. I would imagine it's always been that way because there's always right. going to be people behind it. And Choosing. somebody decides right. that this is the story that's most important to talk mm -hmm. about today. And that, that Even that shows what stories you talk about show your bias. Oh, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, think, I think that as a people, we are more conscious – of that fact that people, individuals don't have the ability to be objective. So I don't know that we as a society would trust an individual mm -hmm. person like we did back then yeah. because mm -hmm. someone is going to know, even if you start to trust him, like, oh, but he's a piece of shit because yep. he definitely is lying about something. You know, yeah. he definitely has some type of feeling about something. What is he leaving out about this? What did his writers leave out about this? Like you said, yeah. even if it's not that person, someone who's preparing this, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, you watch Breaking Points? Yeah. Yeah, so Breaking Points, we, we fucking shit on them all the time, right? And one of the deals is because at the end, they're always like, we're trying to build a new mainstream. It's like, okay, you're missing the point. Like, you don't, we don't want a new mainstream. Yeah. That's not the point. That's completely counter to what new media, YouTube, all of this shit is doing. We don't want a new mainstream. We mm -hmm. want you guys to be yourselves on a show together. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to watch them on, like, I think the production quality is, like, important. But, oh, like, yes. I do think that, like, the... I do like the ability to be like, hey, this is a topic. Let me watch a 10-minute video about it. I, yes. I, like, I think that's a good thing. And I do, like, I hate at the end of every episode. It's like, I don't want that. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, just do what you're doing. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I just wish Sagar would just realize that he can, he, he should be more himself and, and stand behind his own, his own opinions a little bit more than I think he does. That's, I, Crystal's lost it. 
in my mind. Crystal Ball, one of the co-hosts, if you don't watch the show, um, she has check out just Breaking gone. Points. Yeah, check out Breaking Points. Um, you can find them on YouTube. There's lots of they put out their kind of like their main segments and stuff mm-hmm. on YouTube. Hashtag well, not an ad. Hashtag not just an ad for the YouTube for God's gods. Yes. For the YouTube gods. Plus, I wouldn't want to give them that much attention. To be honest. <laughs> as as somebody that's been trying to make a show for you know four years now, um, I look at those types of things way differently than I used to, mm-hmm. and I. I judge them a lot more than I ever used to, too, for, for all sorts of different things. Like, I love their high production quality. I also think they probably don't need as many people involved, <laughs> and it would probably bring them a little bit more down to earth a little bit more if they were a little bit closer to the actual production. Um, it might make what they talk about a little bit more important to them, and they might be a little bit more truthful. But I, I just I don't have respect for people nowadays that are afraid to say what they want to say or to or to just uh, put out like a little teaser like that and then just to be like hey I well I want to get my two cents in real quick but then I'm not going to defend it I'm going to let you steamroll over my idea and all that it's, if you have something to say silence is a lie so do not do that otherwise you're selling me something and I don't trust you anymore yeah it's but overall I mean I still listen to their show damn near still watch I mean, all the time I still, yeah, yeah all the time yeah but, yeah they they haven't gone off the deep end necessarily and i know what they are now so it's easier to watch because i know what i'm gonna get mm-hmm. but it's well, it's painful to watch sometimes yeah i think the one thing i will say though is like i well i do think there's a place for new media one of the things i always dislike is there's never i feel like they're always kind of complaining and never solution oriented yeah. like like they, yes. like breaking points is a great example they yes. always talk about the problems. yeah but they're never they're <laughs> never yes they're never talking about candidates or policies that could fix said problems and it's like, as a voter, like, I, I mean, obviously I need to be informed and stuff, but it's just like, like, how far can we get by just bitching about the system? Like, we, right. we do that all the time. Yes. And like, we all, everyone knows that America has a ton of problems, but like, what can we do to fundamentally fix it? Who are the candidates that make it so like, we can get in positions where we don't have to pick Biden or Trump in 2024 again? Right. You know? yeah. It's like, it just, because oh. everyone's just going to be like, that, that's, it's crazy that like, that's what it's going to come, like, it's probably going to come to, oh, God, because I it's like, not. we haven't you know, it's like you can't pass right. policy by just complaining all the time. Yeah. No, and when you do some of the few times that we, I feel that we have heard solutions from them, Crystal Ball in particular, it's stuff like, like the last time when she talked in depth about the, the oil industry, she's like, we should just nationalize the whole thing. That's not a solution. Like, you can't just take everyone's companies away and just decide that's the solution to the answer. It's also like, super long term. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, it doesn't, that's not how it works. You, yeah. know, you know, we're just going to change the whole way this system has worked the entire time this country has existed. Like, it just, it's not that simple to just nationalize an entire industry in a deeply, deeply capitalist society, mm-hmm. you know? So I just don't yeah. – The it's like the flippancy about it too. It's like it could just happen overnight. You know, oh, yeah. Biden would just nationalize the gas industry and then it would be no problem. It's like, yeah. Well, it's just not the filibuster and it will solve all <laughs> the problems. Shit like that. Yeah. Well, if you get it, then it would be no problem. But it's not that simple because 10 years from now you'll be bitching about the mm-hmm. same fucking problem Two on the Two years other side. from now. <laughs> yes. Just, yes. Just like you bitch today about the lack of filibuster with judicial nominations. You bitch about it here because you're not getting what you want, and yep. it's a problem yes. for you. When it was the same party that took it out, I don't remember when it was a Harry Reid era, right? Mm-hmm. But when they went in, they used the old nuclear option, and then just 
So epic. Mitch McConnell was so like, lame. all right, word. Well, 10, right. 10, 15 years later, we are <laughs> set, man. They'll just stack three of them. Yeah. And, all, and all through the Trump administration, all the Democrats had to say was, oh, Trump, Trump is just ramming through all these judges. We, you, you just made it this <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, you made and it easier. You did it. Mitch McConnell said, don't do this. Don't fucking do this yep. because it's going to be a bad idea. You're going to hate what happens when you're not here anymore. And where the fuck are we? We now have Trump federal judges all throughout the country. You say we got for three, life. For, for life. life. <laughs> we got three Supreme Court justices. What are we talking about? And you have nothing to say. You you don't have any solid ground to stand on and complain about the state, the status of the current circuit court system because you fucking made it this way. Yep. You constructed you you contrived the situation and the circumstances that allowed this to happen. Mm-hmm. You literally don't have any license at all to talk about this. Nope. You made it this way. <laughs> so I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't, regardless of whether or not I agree with these people because I don't fucking know them, it, you don't get to bitch about it because mm-hmm. you made it this way. It's like, if, like, don't make policy that, like, your enemy could just reverse on you. Yeah. yeah. It just seems weird. It's like, okay, so now the threshold is lower. You give Trump a, Trump a trifecta in 2016. Boom, 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 boom. Yep. And now, like, I, it's funny, like, Democrats are complaining about the Supreme Court, but it's like, eh, <laughs> right. you made your bed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now you got to lie in it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's unfortunate, man. Um, it be, especially because these, the system that we're currently in is the system that, generally speaking, most of these same people created for themselves. And now they bitch about how there's systemic failures all throughout the system, which... They've How all been happen? there for like 30 plus years. They made this, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this, and it, for people that don't understand that, I almost feel bad. Well, I do feel bad for them because they get swept right along in this, this craze of, you know, As this political worship. A civics teacher, this last couple of weeks has been so hard. Oh. The, the lack of understanding of how the system works. Uh, oh, in grown so, ass adults, right? Dude, seriously. Yeah. If right? people just like, like, what's the point of voting? And it's like, you can't just win one election. If you want to change policy, you have to vote and win a lot. Right? Oh, yeah. Particularly on the elections that you never think about. All these fucking yard signs outside yeah. right now. You're driving. It's, it's primary season, people. All the yard signs right now. Pay attention to those people. We we're just right before you got here. Um, Don and I were looking at uh, oh, what was her name? Smiley. Something, Something Smiley. Smiley. Um, Tiffany? Tiffany Smiley. Yes. Tiffany Smiley. Yeah, she's running against Patty Murray. Um and trying to get into the the Senate. I mean, most, and that's on a federal level, but I mean, right along with her is Derek Kilmer and then a bunch of other people running Tara for Simmons, like, yep, yeah, those for are all like local representatives, county commissioners and things like that. Those are the people that were the ones at the, like the county commissioners, for example, were the ones that me and you were watching like the local, you know, commissioner's board when it came to whether or not the county was Im- going to implement like, vaccine requirements and mask mandates mm-hmm. and all this shit the federal government is generally really bad at affecting your day-to-day life we've made it much easier for them mm-hmm. over the last you know 20 plus years right. but, but ideally it's those people that you don't know of because they're not celebrities yet in the political world those elections are important the people that run the school board the people on your county commissions that your your mayors of your towns and your your cities and things like that governor governor yes hell yeah we learned a lot of that from covid yes (laughs) yeah the governor is the president of your state essentially you think of it like that and if you don't take it that seriously Mm -hmm. you're doing yourself and everyone else that you care about a disservice because he's the dude 
Our governor is still we're we're still in a what a state of emergency or a, he still yeah. has emergency powers. He still yeah. has emergency powers. The no, only I, governor in the United States. Yeah. That still really? Has, yes, oh, the only one. We're one of three states where the governor decides when the emergency powers end. Yeah, and wow. unfortunately, his last election was against somebody that. Uh, We'll just call him like a, yeah, he was like a, a Trumpian figure. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you had a Biden-Trump situation going on right here in our own state. Yeah. Colt didn't offer anything. He didn't. No. He, he was the same. Per- he just bitched. Mm-hmm. He just bitched. Said, we're not, we're going to reverse all this stuff. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, you're not helping here. All you're doing is rallying people up, and you're not coming out with any, you're not solutions-oriented mm-hmm. at all. You just bitch a lot and get a bunch of people all worked up so they can give you some votes. Yeah. You're not going to convince every man that that's going to work for you, man. Yeah, and a it's super blue state, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Extremely blue. Extremely blue. Yeah. Not per square mile, but in the population centers. Well, the King real County. powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, King, King County. County and Snohomish. Pierce. Welcome's pretty well, yeah. from where I'm from. Burlingham, super liberal. Yeah. And uh, Spokane area, right? They're pretty. They're that pretty city, blue, right? Yes, that's the yeah. city. Yeah. As soon it's as you population get outside centers. of the city, you hit you hit desert again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's I'm pretty sure that's everywhere Fuck in the country. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you see those maps, um, like you know, after like a uh, a presidential election or something like that, and like eighty percent of the country's area is like red. Yeah. And then you got these little dots of blue around like that. It's all the cities because well, that's where everybody fucking lives. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Land it seems weird vote. when you look at it, but yeah, it does. Land does not vote. So, you said you're a civics teacher, uh, or you teach civics social at studies. Some point. So history, civics, everything's all in the right so purview. Tell us a little bit about your career in teaching. Career in teaching. So, um, I went to Western Washington University, got a bachelor's degree in history slash social studies, and so I can teach social uh, history, U.S. history, world history, civics. I can actually technically teach philo- um, psychology, which I don't think I should, Ooh, but it's technically under like the same purview. There's a lot of that <laughs> in my reading of like uh, the social emotional learning curriculum and stuff uh-huh. like that. There's a lot of that type of stuff. It seems where they're asking a lot of teachers to teach small pieces of psychology when it's like, sh- should you? Yeah. Be do-, do you have a degree <laughs> you for sure? this? Like, do you know how to do this, or are they just teaching you how to yeah. do this and you're just going to do it? Like, because yeah, I'm pretty a- sure I got to pay a as somebody that went to like a decade of school hundreds of dollars an hour to go get some actual like psychology you know done to me right. if i want some i i'm not trying to throw shade on teachers but i don't know if that's like in the general purview of an of a, of your average teacher it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like right. it should be i don't know that might just be me but. yeah so um i went to western took a couple years off and just i went back to school in 2020 and i got my teaching certification so that um, I finished school in last December, so as of January, I'm licensed to teach social studies within Washington State. Okay. So I've just been uh, teaching a lot of uh, U.S. history and civics. Those are my two main things in my positions. I had like a leave replacement, so I was a teacher for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And then I've just been subbing since then. I actually have an interview on Tuesday, so hopefully Ooh, that goes well. For a permanent position? Mm-hmm. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Um, what uh, what grades do you usually teach? Secondary. So I can teach middle school and high school. Oh, nice. Word. Mm-hmm. So that's an all-encompassing. So there's primary school, which would be you know elementary yeah. school. K and then after five. that, it's the same certification. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense to me, I guess. Elementary schools, um, I wouldn't, it's a lot more parenting skills. Like, you're essentially a second parent to those kids. Right. That makes sense. Like, oftentimes, if you're like a first grade teacher, you probably see that kid more than their parents do. Very often. Oh, easy. Yeah. Like, I used to work at the YMCA. I had kids who would come in at 7 a.m., and leave at 6 p.m. 
And so, like, they're at school for 11 hours of the day. And right. so, like, they're with their parents for, what, two hours and then go to bed? Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, That's you're, with, you're with those kids for a fat amount of time of their life. You're essentially a second parent. Man. So we've talked about that a lot when yeah. we talk about Jordan's a stay-at-home mom, and that's part of the reason is because I fucking work twelve hours a day. You know? Yeah, I would rather have his mom with him for twelve hours a day mm -hmm. and have Reason's mom with her for twelve hours a day than some fucking person that I don't know. You mm -hmm. know, whether yeah. even if you're a great person or whatever, some fucking person that I don't know that is going to end up knowing my kid better than either I or his mom does. Yeah, because we want to do other shit. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, and on top of that, like. Regardless, you could know the teacher. He could, the teacher could be one of your friends you grew up with or something like that. You could know them. You could trust them. Could be Josh. It, yes, 100%. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not – you're not their parent. Right. You know, there is nobody on this earth that is better equipped to, to deal and teach their child than their own parents. Whether or not – in most they're cases, teaching yeah. them the right things or <laughs> mm -hmm. not. I mean, that's up to them, but I, I, I would imagine it just seems like the more natural way to go. So anybody, like whether or not you have a hesitation on the generalized state of education or anything like that in the country, um, just that fact that you're giving over your child's education and the, the, their entire bringing up to an entire a state employee. A state employee. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go quite there. But, <laughs> but technically, yeah, that's what a, we a are. different person. I, did your taxes pay my salary. Yep. Right. <laughs> and I'm glad. It's one of the reasons I'm glad you're here because <laughs> wow. I know that you can appreciate the objectivity of all of this. You know what I'm saying? That at the end of the day, a teacher, a police officer, they're agents of the state. These, mm -hmm. are, these are people. They're employees of the state. Like yep. these are, And that's not necessarily a denigrative thing but that is the reality of that position that you mm -hmm. are an agent of the state your yeah. job is one thing or another you work for the state you yeah. work for the federal government you you know what i'm saying so i don't know if you might know this really or not about that no i know right? <laughs> <laughs> but is there a way to let's say you're in the you could be a teacher in like the private sector the a non-state run entity are they required to be certified and licensed in the same manner? Or is it state-run? or? Um, I'm pretty sure, like, if you work at a private school, you still need state, state certifications. Because um, even if cause it, even if you go to, like, a private school, you still have to have, um, like, state standards and stuff. Mm, right. And so, well, it, well, it's different, and the funding comes from different places. Like, where I'm from, Bellingham, there's a really big private school like, called Linden Christian School. And so, in order to be a teacher there, you still have to go through, like, the normal stuff. But they have different standards, usually more religious place because they're a Christian school. Mm -hmm. you, and as a te an employee, you typically need to um, follow their values or at least, like, you know, and, and so things like that. And so, it's definitely more um, – they have way, way more control than a public school would have over their employees. But you still have to – there's still certain standards that you have to – for and exactly. do they have more control over their curriculum as well like you oh, said, obviously they yeah. have state standards but um even outside of a christian school if you just had just a private school like a what the fuck do they call that the um, montessori's yeah there's another Are they a charter school right a charter oh, yeah. school is just a private account right where like even if you're not religious based you still have way more control over your curriculum as long as you're meeting the state standards right mm. <clears throat> yeah like bilbo private schools in india indiana <laughs> yeah. Indiana, sorry, um, get uh, federal and local funding. And one of the things we're going to talk about in part two is um, the Supreme Court case. I don't remember which one. I have it written down here. Um, Carson versus Macon mm. that has to do with the school vouchers for religious schools. So that's one of the oh, things yeah. we're going to talk about in part two. Um, yeah, I find that very interesting. It's super interesting. And I think that it kind of relates 
I thought that it related a lot with the Kennedy case, you know, just with the the Venn diagram of the religious issue that's going on there. I find it very interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more. Oh, I had another question for uh, another school. question. It'll come back to me. <laughs> I have like all these school questions that I'm like, all right. So how does this, this system really work as an insider? Curriculum. Let's talk about curriculum. When you became a teacher, you got licensed and certified. Mm -hmm. um, you get hired at a school. How is a teacher that is brought on, whether it be a substitute or not, how are they informed about that particular school's curriculum? So first and foremost is state standards. Washington State um, has set certain state standards that um, as a teacher I have to meet. So first, first and head is the state. Um, and then you have your uh, district standards. They can... Um, they can depend, like for instance, Bellingham Public Schools, they do history um, categorically. So it's not, they don't go linearly, like they don't start, let's say U.S. history. Mm. We're not starting at Columbus and ending at like 9-11. Mm -hmm. It would go war, social justice, or um, like revolutions. And so it's, uh, it would bounce around, but they're all would be like thematically contained. Interesting. Like the, per, I'm sorry, not to, but like per quarter of the school year or whatever. It, it like depends. Units, right? It, just it would be units, units and okay. then it would depend. Like uh, a just uh, a lesson on war would probably be longer than one on organizing. Right. Organizing. That's interesting. So at, we had played around earlier with your your Twitter bio, calling yourself an amateur historian, right? Um, I take it you like you. You're a fan of history. You, uh, are you familiar with Dan Carlin's hardcore history? Of course, dude. I, was, of course. I literally just downloaded his uh, Apache. Oh. Apache Tears. Apache Tears. Oh. And I was going to listen to that um, so good. on my run. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love so, Dick. as a fan of history, understanding you know, how do you balance the – I like to look at history through timeline. I feel like it makes sense because generally X – plus y equals z you know you go through the timeline of history you get to point b because things happen in world point war a. one leads to world war two exactly like how do you feel about the difference in in teaching history to to children now that where you may not you you might lose that kind of timeline centered you know basis of history it, do you think there's pluses minuses you know what's your take on that so caveat i think history i prefer linearly mm -hmm. i think it just makes more sense but Fuck yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's yeah. It, it literally is a timeline but <laughs> i do i do think that um yes his mongol one is amazing um oh, I, yeah. I i Definitely. do think that um we have to have the caveat that a lot of kids aren't going to be entirely all there during mm -hmm. school and so i think it's better so i think the categorically is is kind of going more towards like at least they get something like like we can talk about war. So at least they'll know about like all the wars and they know about organizing. Like and, a generalized yeah. and idea. It's, yeah, and it's a little bit easier to maybe have a little bit more concise like one month lessons versus like if you miss like I feel like if you miss like the Civil War unit, it might be a little bit harder to understand some of the more like maybe like later American like eighteen eighties and nineties stuff just because mm -hmm. like that that history and so i do think there's a certain merit to it but it also does leave the kids like really confused because line linearly because if you talk about world war uh let's say talk about the spanish-american war and then the world war ii all in the same unit they'd probably think this is a much more like condensed group of time but that's yeah. like 50 years and does this does that kind of modularization 
does that carry out through the entirety of secondary education? So maybe by the time you graduate, you could piece together all these things and mm-hmm. have a decent timeline. I th- yeah, I think that's the goal. Um, and again, that's um, the school district I student taught at. They just did history linearly, like the way that mm-hmm. we uh, typically think of it. Um, and so, yeah, it just it, d- it does depend on the the district and then the individual schools. Do you know how common it is that style of teaching for history? Because it seems like. It's n- seems newer. It feels like it would be super confusing. Like if yeah. I was a kid, especially in junior high, if you're just starting to learn about it, it feels like it would be really confusing to try and piece together that timeline if you're chunking it up like that into just subjects of history. Yeah, I think um, it it would it's um, it could be more confusing. I I I like when I I was doing a student teaching at um, at a high school, and so I t- I taught about. Um, this war is a great example. And so yeah. I went through, um, so I started at the civil war and then I ended at Vietnam. And so really, yeah. Cause like, it, I have to go through like a hundred years of war and That's I had a like lot. a month to do it. And so it kind Ooh, of, <laughs> and so like the kids, and it was, it was super condensed. It was, it was an interesting time. Um, well, I'm sorry. What grade did you say this was? This was U.S. history is like 10th, 11th grade there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that we were juniors when we took u.s history i'm mr land i'm pretty sure i was a junior yeah um so i think by doing that you do get more of the conversation about conflict like we we, we stayed mostly on conflict and the idea of like why do people fight and like like why do why do we fight in world war one why did we fight in world war two and so we have like a little bit of um like cohesion but i do think that like there's a little bit of confu- uh I think there is a bit of confusion on um I guess it's like the the length of things cuz right. it, it is it is hard to like you know if you're talking about the civil war in one week and then two weeks later you're at world war 2 right and like I did do it linearly within the war so I think that helped a little bit but but I definitely felt like I wish I wish I could have branched off and been talking about like civil war and then talked about you know, African-American justice, because, like, we have Reconstruction. Right. And yeah. then transition towards, like, Western expansion, and then get to, like, the Spanish-American War. So, But right. you kind of have to, like, put those in a little bit, because you still need context. Like, history context yeah. is king. Right. So, so I still have to put it in kind of anyway. And that's what I was going to ask you, is do you feel like when you said you were talking about what are the causes of war, why were people fighting, do you feel like by only talking about the conflicts and maybe a little bit of context before and after do you feel that the kids were able to get a good understanding of why that conflict happened yeah i think so i think it could have been better yeah like like i think because um yeah yeah because like I, I when i talked to them and i went over the work it did seem like they mostly got it but i do think that like you're missing out a little bit of like world war ii when you can't talk about the like like, I really couldn't focus on the Holocaust a ton because that, that's not, like, right. within, like, uh, the purview of conflict. But it's, like, what how do you – like, 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 it is, <laughs> right, but, like, not in right. conflict. Like, that's not, a right. na- like, why nations fight, right? you know? And I – right. So I thought, mm-hmm. of, I thought immediately about Vietnam, right? Because we – when we – when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, we did a whole segment comparing that to, to the withdrawal from Vietnam, right? Yeah. And I've, I've re- even written a piece about Vietnam, and in my opinion – the war in Vietnam 
on the American side on the American side started after World War One. Like as soon as we were dropping troops there in the background to try and help the resistance, we were involving ourselves and in, in planting the seeds for Vietnam. The same way mm. when we were fucking with the Mujahideen, we were planting the seeds for us to be in Afghanistan 20, 30 years later. Yep. Right? Yeah. And I, f I don't know how you could I don't do you even dude I'm a how, like, like is that even like, is that part of the Vietnam War that deep of context presented when you talk about that? Or is it like this conflict began in Vietnam and then America involved itself? Well, you kind of – like when I talked about Vietnam, I had to kind of – a good example of Vietnam because like I had to take a um, – because I couldn't really talk about like that former stuff. Because on one hand, these are high school kids. Right. And, like right. you have to understand okay. that these yeah. kids are being forced to take this class. And while their investments could be – like, some kids could be super investment in, like, I'm yes. trying to get an A. Mm -hmm. Like, I think one of the hard things as a teacher is to understand some kids just want a D. Like, I just yeah. want to pass. I want yes. to get through this. And so it's like, <laughs> I wish I, every kid was, like, eager and voracious for history like I am. But the reality is, is, like, I just had to teach it in a way that's, like, Russia, communism, Vietnam, America. That's, like, is it, you have to, like, condense it. Mm -hmm. So so much more. Like if it was like oh, an AP fuck. AP US history, oh we yeah. would have we would have drilled through that. Right. Yeah. But right. but like this you is know. just regular. Yeah. So that was another question that I had, kind of a general question. Um, is how do you as a teacher of history in particular, because I'm right with you, or the three of us. I fucking love history now. I can't get enough of it. I've I bought Ken Burns' Vietnam War documentary. It's one of my favorite pieces of film that I've ever seen in my Ken entire Burns life. It's yeah. it's absolutely incredible. That's that was a huge base for our discussion about the Vietnam War on this show was that documentary and other stuff that I learned from outside of that. And so how do you go about trying to make I don't know, I just remember how boring I thought all this shit was when I was in school. You know, how do you try and make that interesting? For people who do just want to D, who yeah. don't really want to give a fuck about it. Yeah, I think... Because um, it's important. You know how important no. history is. We all know how important history yeah. is. Yep. And even if you don't know in high school, it's extremely important, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a hard one because I, I I personally think that, like, one of the things... History, I think, is a super underserved in schools. Yeah. A huge yes. issue is... There's this kind of stereotype in the history world is you get the football coach. The football coach is the school employee, what class can we give him so that he can work and then coach football in spring history? Because he can read through the book. Yeah. And yeah. He can okay. hand the kids a textbook. Right. And so, and so you have the stereotype of just like kids are forced to just go through like a textbook. Yes. And that's how they get history. And so you have, like unfortunately, a very large portion of America who just was given a book. And it's like, hey, like read this book. We'll have a test on Friday. Yeah. And so it's just like, I think, and then it's it's also super frustrating because then they you know you can rinse and repeat that for thirty years and yes. then you're entire like one hundred fifty thousand a year salary, um, <laughs> and so I think as a younger teacher there's a certain like I guess <laughs> maybe chip on my shoulder because I want to like really change the way history curriculum is taught like I think mm -hmm. it's super important to use like the senses like one of the things I think is super important is taste and I when I was in college I had a, a history professor who we had like seventeen hundreds coffee. It was awful. Really? It was awful. Ooh. But, like, I remember that. And, like, yeah. it was just, like, this this thing that makes you, like, like we're really doing all this stuff for this? And You're like, right. this shit ain't fucking exactly. coffee, man. Yeah. What is this? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what people used to drink. And so, like, I was, they I, like. They fighting over it. Yeah. <laughs> they are getting after it over it. Seriously. Yeah. And so, like, I think I really want to, like, do, um, uh, 
do like a better service to kids like using taste like i would love we're talking about like explorers like let's make hardtack yeah. like you have to try to eat like one it's super cheap as me as a teacher to make. yeah and two i think it'd be like cool for kids to be able to like you know taste a little bit of what it would have been like or um they learned about this thing called like cucumber ice cream apparently that was a thing in the 1800s okay. yes and so just like i think using the the senses in a much much better way would be a way to get at least if they don't I can't get them to love history, like I. But at least I do think it'd be more interesting as a student if, like, oh, we were talking about Christopher Columbus, and then we had hardtack, right. and it just like it would just Ooh, connect yeah. that thing more. So, I think so. Let me ask you kind of a three pronged question, right? Would you? That's just a great idea. Yeah, yeah that's an excellent <laughs> idea, right? So, would you take? Would you rather? And have you been looking for, or have you looked for jobs at a private school where you might have more freedom to do that type of stuff? Because if you present that type of that proposal, that curriculum proposal to a principal, to a headmaster, whatever you're calling them at that school, right? And they're, I don't even feel like you have to be that open minded. Like, mm -hmm. that's just a good idea. You know, if you present that to them, I feel like they're way more open and more able to, like, fucking go for it than a principal at a public school yeah know? um i guess i i haven't really like i've, I've been as i've been playing for jobs i haven't really seen a ton of private school stuff on that but i do gotta know, be harder to get i do know that actually public schools pay usually more than private schools okay so and Ooh, so a lot of times like guarantees of what you have to make Dude, at, even like so the base well, like, public sector unions i mean right like if, here's an example <laughs> fuck yeah the teachers if union yes a full-time teaching job in a school district let's this which one stanwood seventy thousand a year starting whoa so you have this you have this stereotype of teachers getting low pay. So it's not bad didn't at all. Make shit. It's, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, a, that's like, more like, money than I make. Like we, we, <laughs> and so like versus I think it's probably be more of like fifty fifty thousand a year at a private school. Okay. And so, and, and then and then it increases by 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 years and stuff. And yes. so I think because of that, public schools typically tend to be more competitive than private schools. Often because there's usually like a religious angle to it. Mm. But yeah. at the same time. Private schools get a lot more funding for classrooms. Yeah. Like, like I was talking to one of my uh, coworkers, and he was telling me that, like, his history teacher had the funding to – they made a phalanx. Whoa, like, that's like, cool. Like, to show how it, like, how it would be, like, a defensive thing, oh. he, like – they had, like, little cardboard shields and spears – and to show how that would have been like a good defensive tactic, they made a phalanx, and it's Shield like, wall. yeah, yeah. And I just, it's just it's just hard to imagine a public school having the funds to do that unless, as a teacher, that had to come out of my pocket. Like yeah, I'd have to right. go to Rite Aid and like or get like Lowe's, get some boxes and make mm -hmm. it, which I think is worth it. But that is going to have to come out of my pocket. Whereas a private school, there's usually funds for that. And so, it seems like, and this is a total assumption, just as you're talking, it seems like if you were at a private school, the programs that exist probably are really well funded, and it might be harder to start a new program mm -hmm. you know but once you have it there they'll probably throw fucking money at it just mm -hmm. to make sure it's good yeah. you know and so i bet said private school sports are generally pretty good you oh. know they have obviously good uniforms and good equipment and stuff like that you don't have there's not as much i don't know it's it's just mm -hmm. better i feel you know yeah that's uh, interesting uh, bilbo swaggin says you remind him a lot of his old history teacher <laughs> and he loves it yeah so um, yeah, we've got a couple people with bilbo obviously huge yeah. in the comments zeke is here so oh. shout out yeah. zeke yeah. hello so let me ask you this question and i don't know how much exposure you would have to this um 
but we often talk about the overbloated budgets in a school district, right? The amount of money going to schools and we understanding the fact that from what we have been able to glean, the majority of the money goes to things like administrative costs. Have you seen any of that come through? What what does a school administration look like? What's the makeup? What kind of what kind of institution is is siphoning that money essentially out of the actual classroom and into like the administrative body of the school so i have a lot of thoughts about that and it's hard because i think schools are typically trying to do the right like do the best thing and they're you know they they add on employees to do the best job to serve their kids but at the same time that that brings in a lot of bloat and so, so there's a lot of positions that are, I wouldn't say unnecessary, but, but there's, um, they're additional, additional. I think, I think additional, like there's sometimes where it's just like, like, like for instance, sometimes and it's not always like the school's fault. Like for instance, if a kid gets in like legal trouble mm. and something happens to the point that they cannot be by themselves and they have to be monitored. The school has to then hire an employee specifically for monitoring that one student. Ooh. So that means that that person is now, now an extra $30,000 is going to the plus the, benefits and plus like, benefits yeah, is whole, now going to that employee deal. to make yeah. sure that that one kid that one child is is getting this these resources. And so you have interesting. this interesting like conflict of like every student needs to be served well. I entirely believe that. And then the school needs to serve each student well. But how do you do that with you can't do that while trying to hold a budget or well you said, obviously there's budget but like while trying to pinch pennies and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And you can't forecast for it either mm -hmm. because you never know. Like, what's an example of, like, a situation in which a child would need to be – is it, like, something where they have problems at home or they I, – I, I, Usually, um, if a – I don't know, like, the details of it because I don't exactly – that's a use of principle stuff. But, like, if a child does a crime, like, to a certain extent, they literally cannot be left alone. Okay. And like, if so, the child itself commits but, a crime or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they need to be monitored at all times. And so even to go to the bathroom, they have to have – because as a teacher, I can't leave to watch them go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So they'll hire a yeah, person. Yeah, you're doing your job. Yeah, yeah. So they'll, they'll hire a person to be there. It's like, hey, I need you to the bathroom. And then they'll go with them. Mm -hmm. And you can't just hire that person for like an hour. You have to hire them a full-time employee. Yep. And so you you add that by, you know, big school districts are going to have a lot more of those positions. And then you have like, um, you know, the different departments like the SPED department, which has a lot of paraeducators to help all these different kids. And so that's like a super expensive um, oh, yeah. department as well. And so the and they, special education department. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of people. <clears throat> and send, and then at like the district level, you have a ton of people who, you know, are, are doing different jobs. And I, I don't know, like know how much that entails, but there's a lot of, um, uh, HR ish stuff mm -hmm. that that's kind of, I, I, I think there's a lot of bloat within that, but, but it is kind of, I don't, I, I guess I can't say too much on it, but it does feel mm -hmm. like there's like, why is like three people who are like, kind of feel like they're doing the same job. Yeah, and I feel like that's probably that shouldn't surprise anybody because when you think about it, um, generally, you know, state school districts and stuff like that. I mean, it's a it's a state run bureaucratic machine, 
And as we know, bureaucracies generally do one thing very, very well, and that's just expand exponentially over time because that's just the general nature of all bureaucracies, whether mm. it's state-run or not. But yeah, Bilbo, there's about 25 schools in this district. In your it's district? Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really big. That is a big district, man. Yeah. 25 schools. Yeah, a lot of elementary schools and then a couple of middle and high schools. And so I remember first i can only guess as to what would cause someone to need to be watched all the time i do know <laughs> when i was in high school i used to do drugs in the bathroom all the time so i would You're imagine that person that took I, am, I imagine <laughs> if someone was caught doing something like that you'd probably need to be watched all the time because you definitely would get in legal trouble mm -hmm. and you probably would if you were let to go back to that school you probably would need to be accompanied by someone all the time yeah. Yeah. also schools are trying to move away from expelling kids and so instead of expelling them, they oftentimes will have, you know, usually use more resources to make sure they stay in school, mm -hmm. which means that they need to hire staff to yeah. do so. Yeah, because you expel a kid, there's only one way, only, generally speaking, there's only one direction that kid's going, and it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, let's, let's face it, I mean, if you're not at school for eight to ten hours a day or involved in some kind of school district activity, you, what are you doing? The parents yeah. aren't going to be able to just take the entire day off. They're not going to switch their entire lives to homeschool or something. That's right. You know, it's it sucks because there is so much. I don't know why I'm so passionate about the state of state education because I'm I'm not a parent, but it's it is important to me and it's very different. So it's still your tax dollars. Yeah, your tax dollars. You own a house. It's still your tax dollars. This is true. And you don't have kids. That's exactly why it matters because you don't have kids. And I and I have the understanding that. It sounds so, you know, uh, cliche, but kids are our futures. I mean, let's, this is true. These are the people that are going to grow up and, and be productive or unproductive members of our society. And he's Dax's yeah, godfather. That's oh, right. <laughs> I have I have a little flag that I planted. It's that a one. small state. <laughs> yes. um, but I, I think it is Look also hard for people to like like me who are, you know, a little bit older than you guys that this stuff is so foreign to me because these things never this whole system never was in place when I went to school. It was a much more, it was a much more cut and dry type of situation. Very Dude, hands Even off. as I, like this was yeah. like 20, even my schooling, like it's drastically different than what I've seen. Yeah. And I think that's, it's hard for a lot of people to try to understand maybe the, the newer demands that are put on school districts now for, from both the legal side and then the social side as well. I mean, there's lots of right. external pressures that are being pushed on these, <laughs> in these institutions and, you know, bureaucrats aren't necessarily the best people to be making those calls all the time because, mm -hmm. but who does at that point? But if that's the machine you have, I guess that's the route you have to go to. You're, you're kind of chip committed because that's, unless we completely reinvent the entire state of our education, institutionalized educational system, which I think to pivot off of this, um, which is why I think school choice is so important. What are your opinions on school choice and how do you think it might be more beneficial or less beneficial to kids? So I, I have a lot, like, I guess my thoughts would be, like, I like the idea. I really do. But I think, I think that idea, yeah, we are in 2013 yeah. too. Josh and I both graduated <laughs> in 2013. That's I think all, you bunch of young kids. <laughs> I, I feel like that idea is, is really only. Is, is is much more attractive to upper middle and upper class people mm -hmm. not 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 because it doesn't like help the lower, lower class but um if because school choice I, I don't want to like be wrong on this school choice is more the idea that like 
your the students should have money that's allotted to them, and they can choose to put that where they want to. Yeah, it's usually like a, a generally it's referred to like a school voucher system. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, but the reality would be that eighty to ninety percent of kids would just go to the local school anyway. Yeah, and so and like well you you and and like the problem that I think would happen <clears throat> is is let's talk about like CK. Okay, so. The stereotype was that CK was a better high school than Oli, right? Uh, right. Stereotype. So what would happen is that all of those parents would probably try to get all their kids, even, like even more kids, to go well, to they CK. They did it anyway. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, even, they did it anyway. Exactly. And if you had, if it was easier to do that, you would just essentially have this kind of segregated system where there'd be super good schools because everyone wants to go there, and they put their money there, and they get more money, and then their mm-hmm. parents are usually better off, and so then they can put their their time and money into the school system and so they have amazing sports amazing yeah. clubs and then those other kids these other schools would be left like a little bit more high and dry because the people there are kind of you know you might be poor and you can't transfer your kid to the other place you right. might be just not have the time and so so it's just like ultimately i think what would happen is it's already happening now like like right. you know i like your zip code affects like a yeah. lot of your like education opportunity yes. which is sad but i think it would some cases it would get worse. Yeah. Can I steal man you a little bit? Yeah. So, um, and I don't know that I necessarily feel this way, but let's just see where it goes. So the argument generally to the counter would be that the school voucher system would force those schools, the ones that could stand to lose revenue, it forces them to to try and be more competitive, to eke out something in there, whether it's sports or a particular program, something that's going to set them apart, that's going to make students and make, make parents want to send their kids to that school. Do you think that there's... What do you think about that? I, I think that would that could happen. I think there's probably a lot of cases where it could happen, but I do think that there are a lot of there's there's only so much trying a school can do, but if the if the if like the kids and the parents aren't invested or they don't have the means to be invested, it's really like does it like does it matter if you have an amazing German program if the kids don't know if they're going to eat at home? Yeah. And I, right. And this, I think part of the reason I brought that up is because I, I, there's a lot of talk these days about school choice, school choice, school choice. A lot of the, um, a lot of the, the new governors and stuff that are getting into this midterm race and stuff like that are talking about pushing for school choice and all this. And I think it's kind of a fallacy. I don't think, I do not think because of the things you're talking about. Yeah. At one point, we do school voucher system, right? And it might work in a city like New York where you have PS112 over here and it's kind of a shitty school. It's in a bad neighborhood, whatever, but you could just take the city bus and you can go across town and you could do, and then you go to the, the good school. Well, PS124. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but at that point, what happens there is already if there's a better school somewhere where people actually have access to it, at some point, there's going to be a waiting list because schools can't just mm-hmm. exponentially grow over time. They're state-run systems. The, the idea of school choice is very appealing, but I think you cannot do it in our current educational system. The way it's run, you can't, for one, the administrative body behind that would have to grow exponentially too because how the hell do you track – one child's mm-hmm. dollars with them to another yeah. school. You'd have it's, way more it's counting. It's insane. That would that'd be so much bloat. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So just... I can let me push back on that. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I want to tell Bilbo that I wrote down about the JCPS school district. I just wrote that down here. Yes, he asked us to look into it. So I'm going to take a look into that. Um, Louisville. 
the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was reading about the case that we're going to talk about later, I'm fairly certain I would put money on that's why I'm going to say it now. In the... Dollars down, baby. Yep, the Carson versus Macon case, right? And when they're talking about that school voucher system, only part of the money travels with the student. There's mm-hmm. a certain amount of the money that stays flat within the school district. And I would imagine... That makes sense. I would imagine that that is for things like the food program or for shit like that that you have to have for available for kids there. Yeah, like so, whether you have one kid that goes to that school or 500... Right. The amount of funding towards that school for that particular program is not—it's going to stay there static. There will be food there for the kids that go there, mm-hmm. and that's so it's only part of the money that they get to take with them. And it says in what I was reading that's mostly for school supplies and whatever the other costs are going to be that go into the classroom outside of the other shit—the base, mm-hmm. the base services that need to be made. So, so those services, to my understanding, right? And again. <sighs> It doesn't matter. Uh, but, but to my understanding, we're always going to be there. Mm-hmm. So the concern for food that exists now with students would exist within a voucher system the exact same way because the money is going to be the exact same, Yeah. at least in the way that it's written out. Obviously, things play yeah. out as, as they go. But that's in, in pushing for a school voucher system, that's the base idea is that those services are going to be there no matter what. Yeah, and then it's just a matter of whether or not you can – if you have the means – does the school have availability? Because mm-hmm. that's always going to be a thing. If there's always going to be a better school that anybody in your community can get to, if it just if what the about like a lottery is, system? Well, then you run into like the, charter schools and stuff, or just the schools that are better. You mean yeah. at that point? I think the with the lottery system like that, uh, inevitably, especially in today's world, you're going to run into the inequity arguments of. It's just not fair to put it to chance like that because somebody is going to be in more need than others. And it's just I – don't, I don't know if I would like anybody's kid to be subject to the will of a draw Your to go to a better school. future is based school. off of a draw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why ultimately I like the idea of school choice and all this stuff. But I, I just don't think that in our current educational system, the way – the framework that we have that's been around since what, the 40s or the 50s mm-hmm. or whatever shit like that, it's not designed – that way and it's not i mean it's not designed to operate the way it should be now and that's why it's so drastically different everywhere you go and everybody's trying different programs i mean depending on where you're at you know this i'd be interested to look at that jcps district and stuff like that and just see how because it that sounds terrifying um or other voucher programs or charter school programs that people are doing but the way that the the framework is set up around schools and school districts I don't think there's much wiggle room for a structural change um, that would need to be had if you really wanted to make school choice really truly available. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it w- I think it would be insane to think that if you didn't offer school choice, there aren't going to be a certain fraction of people that can fully take advantage of that and are going to have f- – a much better life and a you know a better education and all this good stuff but there's going to be a lot of people that just can't participate in that program for one reason or another mm, right and it's just well I like I like the idea but I I I think there is a fallacy in thinking that school choice is the answer it just without a fundamental structural change of the entire education system the the machine behind it all you're doing is just kind of you're 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 working on the margins mm-hmm. and you might help some people but at the end of the day the system is going to be as not to insist that the system is broken but it's going to be as broken as it is today it'll just 
be a little better in some place and a little worse in some places. Mm-hmm. You know, the fundamental problems that people have with education itself, the, the, the curriculums, the course, when you come out the back end after graduation, that level of education is essentially going to be the same regardless. I don't think you're going to get a better or worse in any actual, you know, tangible fashion. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. I, I, I like it. I also just think it's kind of a talking point at this point. Yeah. Like, I think know. the idea is good, but I, yeah. I feel like ultimately if you implement it, it would be largely end up with a similar system we have now. Yeah. Like some kids, people, some schools are better than others because, and some schools are not. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think the, easiest place to start would be changing the funding mechanism to schools making it not reliant on property taxes yeah Yeah. you know i just i don't think that's the right way to do that it made sense i think in some capacity back in the day but at that point you know when you do that when you have a an area of the of a particular school district that is kind of you know more in poverty those schools are going to be worse Mm -hmm. And you have the more well-off areas; those areas are going to be better. Whereas, if maybe if you took a broader approach to like a statewide, you know, that way, all the money from all the people making six, seven, eight-figure salaries in the big cities, that money gets evenly distributed amongst the the people that grow up in some tiny ass city in, in Kentucky. You know, in <laughs> yeah, some tiny little town in you know southeastern Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. They. They'll have an amazing fucking school, but at that point, the the super amazing schools in the cities are going to drop down. Everything's going to level out, and some people are going to be worse off. Some people are going to be better off, but I, I don't know how you would do that. But the funding mechanism being reliant on your zip code, I think, at this point is an insane way to think about funding your schools. Yeah. You know, I, it just doesn't make sense to me because already there's inequities everywhere, obviously, and if you want a static education, the funding mechanism needs to be static somehow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's it's too much of a logical leap to try to assume that. It just kind of seems like basic math to me. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you want to know what is the best way to inter- determine what a child's success is in elementary school? Please. If they have dinner with their parents. Ooh. That's it. That makes sense. The children who have dinner, who have dinner with their parents do drastically better than kids who don't. That and it's just makes sense to me that like it does it doesn't matter like the teacher and stuff matters the school matters obviously but more than anything do they sit down and talk with their parent because i think that's more it's an indicator of a lot of things like a oh, good yeah. family structure i means an interest in education because oftentimes at the dinner table you talk about school today what'd you learn right. what'd you do at school today yeah you know usually if you're able to have dinner there's usually funds that means that you can afford to come home around dinner time talk to your kids and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so it's just like like I don't know. It's super interesting to me. That it makes total sense. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same kind of deal with, uh, you know, do you have one parent or two at home? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a drastic difference in whether you're going to have a better turnout or not. Your Dude, general I, success. I, I yeah. can look at someone's grade and probably with 80% accuracy know who's raising them. Like, you can see, is it single parent or grandparents? Yeah. You can, you can just look and you know. Oh, and wow. it's like, so it's crazy how accurate it is. Like, oh, this person has a 98%. Boom, both parents, like 90% of the time. And I think, so I've been thinking, I'm thinking a lot, right? And um, <laughs> when you're talking about school choice and whether or not it would broadly help people, I was thinking yeah. about myself in high school, right? When I was in high school, 
my parents are divorced. So I was living with just my mom um, for like a huge part of that time. Yeah. And when I left for high school, she was still asleep, uh, was like getting up towards the end and then was still at work for probably two or three hours when I got home. So even if there was a voucher system available, she would not have likely been able to take advantage of that without incurring extra costs for whatever it is for transportation for something for me to be able to get to and from that school yeah. on a daily basis because it wasn't going to be realistic for her to she could take me to school probably she would have to get up that would be sacrifice to sleep which is that's your own deal but um <laughs> but for, she wouldn't be able to leave work early to come and get me you know yeah so i think that yeah that's very interesting are you smoking weed in the bathroom again yeah. no and i never <laughs> yeah <clears throat> I mean, it's a nicer school than that. Come on, come on. <laughs> exactly. They have vents in this one, so you can't get caught in it. That's the whole point. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I love how this first segment went from let's let's you know get to know Josh to let's just fucking hammer out and fix education. Let's just <laughs> yeah. do this. No, we did it. That's why he's here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. We've been going for about an hour. Uh, oh, we can we just can... move into the next segment. It doesn't. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cool. Unless you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, no, no. There's something you wanted to. No, not really. I'm just, I was looking at the time. I don't, we could do this for probably three hours alone, just <laughs> sitting here talking about this. Because yes. I have so many questions about just education and systems. And We'll come oh, back to it in part three. There you go. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, we could definitely do that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, you want to hit this one last topic? You want to talk about Kennedy or you want to go into the next topic? And we can talk, talk about, about Kennedy real All quick. Right, let's do it. Okay, so. We'll talk about this and we'll lead us into the next segment, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the cases. We've talked about this a few times as it was being discussed and as they were waiting for the decision. So it's the Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, right, is what the Supreme Court case was. And they ended up <clears throat> ruling in favor of Joe Kennedy. What was it? 6-3? Six, three, six, I believe. Three, yeah. yeah, and I don't think I don't think it came. The decision came out like right after we were here, maybe like yeah. the Monday after we were here, or something like that. Yep. So we were kind of waiting for it, mostly just because it's local. It's been very weird to hear people say the Bre word Bremerton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, very weird. It's coach from Bremerton. It's like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> just because it's such a it's a made up word, you know. So I don't know where the root of it is, but it's a it's a made up word outside of the of being a town name. So there's no other reason anybody would say it. So it's just weird. Yeah, to hear it when when I hear Bremerton, Washington on like the NPR morning podcast, <laughs> right. I go, "That's fucking weird, <laughs> yeah. man." Yeah, but, don't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So they ruled in favor of Judge Kennedy, and for anybody who is the first time that you're here watching this, or if you don't know that much about this case, Judge Kennedy, or excuse me, <laughs> Coach Kennedy was leading was was praying in the middle of the field, and it ended up turning into a group event in which he was. There, I guess that's the argument whether or not he was leading, right? He was not necessarily leading a prayer, but was I conducting, I feel, is a safe term, and I'm not trying to put it because they found in his favor, so it doesn't matter, right? He's conducting prayer in the middle of the field. There are other people there. He wasn't yeah. coercing anybody. He wasn't forcing anybody. So they post found game. Post game, yeah, after, after the 50-yard line, and it was a private thing that he was doing initially, and the concerns came up when a rival coach complained about it, coaching staff complained about it, and then it turned into Had they lost that game? Uh and I don't know whether or not they lost the game, but I wouldn't be surprised With if they had. Salty. Right? <laughs> yes, um, because the very next game that that happened after the issue started, he, Coach Kennedy went and talked to the opposing team. It was a different team, obviously, because it's the next game. Talked to them, and a bunch of those, those, that coaching staff joined him in the middle, in the middle of the field that game. So mm. it was just that particular coach or some of his staff that had an issue with this practice. It only and takes it been, one. It had been going on for years prior to the school district or the school even 
knowing about it or having any type of issue with it. So he lost his job. Um, I think it's unclear at this point whether or not his job is going to be made available back to him. But he did. I told you before the show, I told both of you guys that he did say he was willing to come back and take the coaching yeah. job again, which yeah. I found surprising. But I think it would really depend on uh, who the current coach is and what their record is and whether or not they want to fire him or not. Right. Because right. They, it's not like throughout this entire time there hasn't been a Bremerton football coach. Yes. And so at this point, if he wants to come back, somebody has to get fired. Right. Or let go. And I, that's. It's also not like the Patriots. Yeah. High school. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. We talked about that. It's a it's a three four year thing, you know. So yeah. it's only. And I hang out home to sixteen year olds. So. Yeah. Yes. The real prestigious position of a small town football coach in high yeah. school. Um. But yeah. Uh, were you making a point? Sorry. I uh, no, that was off. it. I was just kind of summarizing what had happened. Um. Yeah, I think it's, it is interesting because I the I think the real important topic on this story itself is the pushback after the opinion has come out um and we'll talk more about like another version of this because it comes into like uh first amendment practices and freedom of you know religion and association and freedom of speech and things like this and um a lot of the pushback is the argument of well this is there is no separation now between church and state um so when you hear the arg argument that, okay, well, now there's, there's no separation between church and state now because now coaches can just get out there and they can, they can force the kids to come out and, and pray on the 50-yard line and things like that. What's your take on that, that particular take? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't buy that because I think there's this idea that, like, there's a difference between, like, the pope controlling the state and like you as a person having religious values and then having them in a public space because because like it's, it's all like if you're like a christian you're gonna vote based off your christian values like of, like why like why wouldn't you that's that's your if you're a muslim you're gonna vote based on your muslim values right or like your jewish values and so this idea that like separation of church and state means that your religious values will never enter into the public sphere is impossible like yeah. no one no one's saying that right like people i think some people believe that the, and so, sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah, and so it, it's interesting how, like, I guess this whole, this whole Coach Kennedy case is kind of, I don't know, shown that, like, some people really don't understand what church and state means. Yeah. It's like there's a huge difference between, like, you know, Biden saying that we all are going to pray right now right. <laughs> versus, like, Joe Biden being a practicing Catholic, which he is. And so it's like, you know, he like, oh, the president takes communion? Like, Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like that's entirely okay. Right. Yeah, you have. He has the freedom to do yeah. that, whether or not he's wanted by the Catholic Church or not. He can still identify as that and still practice his own religion, no matter what he wants to do, just yeah. because he's a public employee. And I think you made the point. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the separation of church and state is. Yes, um, when we were talking about kids for example be like prayer in school like if you're going to pray before the beginning of a class no. because the teacher is that's their policy or that's the school's policy that is an example of there you need to separate the difference between church and state if a kid wants to pray in school by himself or herself or themselves um <laughs> it's that's their freedom to do that. Right. Just because you're on the grounds of a public institution or a government institution doesn't mean you can't practice religion. Mm -hmm. It's the government forcing religion on the populace. That yeah. 
is that's the separation of church and state. And I think that is from all the takes I've seen with this and including the case we'll talk about in part three with the school, um, the religious school vouchers and stuff like this. People have a fundamental misunderstanding, like many things that especially like we talked about last episode, there's a misunderstanding of what that really means. And so when they see this, they make the false assumption that you can't have any religious practice at all on in a public institution, which is just backwards and wrong. That right. is not the case. That is not the way this whole deal works. Mm-hmm. And to assume otherwise just shows your ignorance. Right. And I think, like you're saying, like like many things in politics, Indeed. this can be easily remedied by looking looking back in time. Right. <laughs> the country was founded partially for people to have sovereignty of religion. That was like part of the whole jam. That's obviously part of, of why people came here. The so, Mayflower. Exactly, right? So <laughs> the separator, the separation of church and state, like you said, is not to separate the people from their religion. It's, it's to separate the government from infringing on that. And that's mm-hmm. the same. This was Part of this was decided on the Establishment Clause and the Establishment Clause. And that says, I don't have the exact quote, but it's that the government can make no law infringing on your religion. That's that's the entire point that's there in the Constitution. So yep. it's it's the first one. It's kind it's, of important. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting, and I think it leans back to what you were talking about maybe before the show of as a civics teacher how difficult the last few weeks have been. <laughs> if like this is a very this is a basic concept that forms the government that you live under. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you should understand what this means. It's important, even if you have nothing to do with politics, even if you just work as a fucking a fucking a logger or something like that. You know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of woods, you're never talking to anybody, it doesn't matter. It's important that you understand mm-hmm. what the basis of your country is so that you know the powers that you're living under. It it's never ceases to surprise me how little people know about the country that they live in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, especially when it can so deeply impact their life, when yeah. the Supreme Court is going to make a decision about something, and they don't even understand the basis of it. Yeah. So I guess the question I have for you guys is, in the, dis- not the, in the dissent or the Supreme Court, some of the justices talked about the fact that it seemed like Coach Kennedy was giving extra playtime to the people who did join him in prayer. And so he was kind of implicitly, um, what's we're looking for? Like a good old boys club. Yeah, he was discriminating against the people who might have had different religious opinions and did not want to join in said prayer. Mm-hmm. So what what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, I have thoughts, but what, what do you guys think, like, because like, like, if you weren't, if you're like an atheist and you're not getting much playtime because you are not praying with the coach. Mm-hmm. I would initially say that um, much like w- the difficulty in a lot of criminal law, you would have to prove intent, and that is damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it would be really difficult, unless this guy was really explicit about <laughs> that, to prove that. Mm-hmm. And you can't look at the side effects of of that. You know, may- What's to say these people aren't just... Maybe they're not. Um, they maybe playing they're just not that good. good. Right. You know. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's favoritism with all coaches. I would believe. I mean, I I played a lot of soccer growing up. You saw you saw it everywhere. It's it's hard not to assume that if, especially if you're somebody that's not getting that much play time, you maybe I don't. I'm not getting a chance to prove myself. Or whatever. There's there's no true way to really 
find out if that's the case. And understand, I mean, understandably, it's, it's, it's understandable for somebody to make an assumption like that, but um, it's, it terrifies me that a Supreme Court justice would want to go down that path uh, especially understanding that they're the highest court in the land and they're a judge. And how the hell are you going to, how are you going to prove that he in the, had the intent to do that by putting that in your dissent like that? You're putting that, that piece of dissent in people's minds to go out there and run with it. Because what if that happened to them or something like that? You, there is just law is incredibly, it's incredibly complex for a reason, right? Laws are supposed to be very, very, hard to they're supposed to err on the side of the defendant right you need to really 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 prove that somebody broke this particular item in this law for it you know for you to be ruled against it mm -hmm. and in when it comes to cases where intent is involved you cannot prove that unless i mean most of the time you can't prove that unless you have a piece of evidence that can prove that that's what's and, stated and if, at some point yeah that this is my intent to do this if they told yeah. someone yeah. or something <laughs> like that and even then it usually has to be like written or recorded because it's yeah. just hearsay if i tell you that this is my intent exactly. i could be lying even then yeah and you, for intent to be proven you, you just generally you can't do that and right to operate off that assumption is just you're doing the entire justice system a disservice at that point mm -hmm. which because I think that was Sonia Mayor that, that wrote that. I think that. so. I think so. Yeah, that that's that doesn't surprise me coming from her because she seems to be very personal when she writes in her her opinions. And that there's no basis in law. You know, there's so many cases we've talked about even here on the show where like, okay, well, yeah, you'd have to prove intent, and they, you can't do that. How do you prove intent? You unless you have a piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you run the risk of persecuting somebody unjustly yeah and in the era in the era of social justice how do you not see that as a problem you're just because you don't like the way it turned out you can make the assumptions that this is bad or mm -hmm. he was bad or you know whatever it was i it's it's a bad it's a really really bad thing to be in the supreme court now recorded forever because that dissent's not going to go away it's going to live there forever now and people can go back to that and try to make a precedent off of it Quoted, or refer to it yeah. or, it's not a good it's not it's a very damaging thing to the overall justice system which is already on pretty shaky ground as it is these days right when i was in when we were in junior high i played football in ninth and tenth grade right and in ninth grade <clears throat> you're automatically on varsity because that was your freshman in junior high at that point that's a weird and system it was yeah. very ruined weird. me forever it i'm was... like why are these eighth graders at the top of their class because anybody you <laughs> talk to outside of the district they're like what are you talking yeah, about exactly. why do you have a junior high you're like, i how is it not all this way um and it was i didn't get very much playing time there was a couple of people that didn't and i never and then when i played in high school um i was i was swing playing i was playing varsity and junior varsity my first year in high school Ooh. i never considered that there was uh any type of malicious reason as to why rusty wilson chose to not play me like I, at some point i said something about it and then got playing time you know and so i don't I assumed that it was because most of the people that were playing varsity also played in seventh and eighth grade. So they had been playing at a certain time. When you're talking about football, team sports, there's a team cohesion that's there. If you have a group of kids oh, yeah. that have been playing together for three years, <laughs> mm -hmm. they already know how each other moves. They already know things about each other. They've grown up together, you know what I'm saying, in that sense. So, uh, yeah, I, th 
especially in sports there it would be very difficult to oh yeah to prove why he did something you know yeah, yeah i never considered that there was any type of Rusty Wilson liked me way more than was uh, sounds like a second Coach Albie. Right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Rusty Wilson. Yeah, no, he trademarked by Russ Wilson. Yeah, probably. he he liked me way more than the high school coach did, and I got way more playing time in high school. So yeah, I never, I never, I agree with you. It concerns me to think about that mm-hmm. and think that in the time of just woke people and crazy people who who take a thing and, and blow it out of proportion that someone mm-hmm. my mom you've met my mom right she's, she's she's pretty far to the left and you had somebody who was less stable in their mind could take a situation like that and fucking blow it out of proportion about like oh is this because my kid isn't religious is it because they're because he's a quarter mexican is it because this is it because of this and that's a scary thing like you said to be planting in history like that yeah that could be scooped up if you if you find the right type of activist lawyer that's mm-hmm. going to spend the time oh, yeah. and dig through all the dissents in any case that might be relevant and try and build a case on that. That's yeah. And I have some sympathy for like high school coaches too, when you think about it, because on the professional level, right, you have X amount of people on your team for a, a determined amount of time that is going to be more than three years, generally speaking, right. Or the main core of the team. Yeah. And you need to work out the player dynamics, who has, you know, who does better in this place, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, where are your, your losses and your gains and who's the best and who's the worst and blah, blah, blah. And then you, you, you kind of move players around and you give them certain times or certain people work better together than others and this and that and the other thing. But when you're dealing with high school sports, there's a lot riding, especially with the, like the juniors and seniors, I would imagine in particular, because there's going to be scouts at certain places kind of like right. trying mm-hmm. to pick up people for colleges. And do you, as a coach really want to, I mean, you're going to have to, do you have to totally go equity and give everybody completely equal playing time, regardless of trying to how win. the team's working? Exactly. <laughs> you're trying to win the games, man. You're trying to get a good record for your school. So you can hang that banner up in the gymnasium and shit like that. So I have some sympathy for those coaches because yeah, he may like you. You may be a great player, man, but Maybe you don't jive with this particular core. Maybe I, I I got plans for you next year, man. We're losing half the half the varsity team to graduation next year. I've seen the way you play in practice. I know how you do in scrimmages. You know all this good stuff. Like I got a spot for you next year. Maybe maybe he's thinking about that. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just doesn't like the looks here. Maybe he <laughs> right. You know, who knows? There's too much at play there, and we're not going to play thought police about this. And so I have a lot of sympathy for these coaches, man, because the more you start to think about it, they're under a lot of pressure too from parents, school districts, so on and so forth. Just the name of the game itself. My kid's playing for the Jags. That's <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that for every, yeah, every kid who played under someone who, even like Larry Dixon or someone who went on to play for a college or professional team, I'm sure there's a kid who played under them that's like, if I only got more playing time, I could have fucking done the same thing. You yeah. know? But same deal. If you have someone... If Marshawn Lynch is your high school running back, are you going to let anybody else run the ball? Or are you going to give him the ball every fucking time because he's going to score a goddamn touchdown? You're going to let him run the ball every time, you know? If you have a freak-ass quarterback, are you going to let him hand the ball off? Or are you going to let him fucking throw it? You're going to have him throw it every fucking time because he's going to get the job done. Yep. It it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's got to be a tough thing for those guys, man, to kind of balance. And then they're trying to just also work on just, you know, bringing you know growing these kids up 
in that environment because there's so many benefits to just being a part of a mm-hmm. team and, and playing a competitive sport like that. So you don't want to crush the spirit exactly. of the second man because he's never going to play. So exactly. The spirit. Yeah. There's when we were in junior high. I don't think they did it in high school, but in junior high they had a thing. I don't know if they did it in every sport, but in football they had a fifth quarter, right? So mm. for kids that weren't going to play in the first four quarters, there was a fifth quarter of the game that. That's was not obviously how math works. Was not a real. <laughs> it was not good, um, and because it doesn't feel good to play in the fifth quarter, you know, if you only play in the fifth quarter, it doesn't feel good. So, um, but that's like it was designed, you know, so everybody's going to get playing time. You know, it's a, probably one of those fucking equity things. That's like, you know, we're going to make sure everybody gets their time on the field. But like, say, if you only play in the fifth quarter, it doesn't feel good, yeah. you know. And they designed that for like non-cut teams because in junior high. I think in high school, too, the football teams were non-cut. There were not enough people to make cuts. Oh. So you kept everybody that tried out. But it just, just on a sheer numbers time, game. But your playing time was determined on how good you were. So if you were shit, you could be on the team and you would be at practice, but you were really only going to play if somebody got hurt. You mm-hmm. know, you weren't going to play in that position if you were not good enough. But they weren't – I don't know if they weren't allowed to – I don't know exactly how that system came about, yeah. but it, they were non-cut teams for football. But baseball was a cut team. Like, there were other sports that were cut sports, but it was just football. So Interesting. Isn't football teams, they're much bigger? Usually, you, yeah. Like, you need an offense and a defense. And... Yeah, but yeah. there was – in high school and junior high, there's a lot of double play. There's a lot of people that play on offense and defense. That's very common, especially – especially if you're good if you're just a good general athlete you're going to be on the field more because you can handle more play but if you have shit stamina they're gonna even if you're good they're gonna switch you out a lot because they don't want you to gas yourself out in the first half of the game and then not be able to do anything in the second half yeah so just a special teams guy so a lot of that (laughs) it depends yeah um but i know especially in junior high and high school, there's a lot of double play. A lot of that goes on. That makes sense. Uh, and maybe it was just because we were non-cut teams, uh, but I got to imagine that it happens a lot yeah. all <laughs> over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to be in college and professional, it's a little more risky. You have more on the line when you're on yeah. the field, so you want that person to be in their specialized position as opposed to doing whatever. Like I said, if you're just a good general athlete, if you're good – offensive lineman you can probably be a decent defensive lineman if we need you to be in there because you really need to just run forward and be disruptive mm-hmm. you know so if the core is there then you could do the same thing there's a lot of skills that translate to either side of the ball there are a lot of running backs that'll play linebacker and stuff like that a lot of wide receivers that play quarterback as well um that's the same side of the ball but that's still very common like for people to just oh, play yeah. multiple positions in junior high and high school. Yeah. If you catch, you better be able to throw. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of people, especially if your intent is to go far, small sports, I guess, but if your intent is to go far, it behooves you to be able to play more than one position because if you maybe get on a team and they don't need another quarterback, but you can play wide receiver, you can train and get better at wide receiver and then maybe get more playing time, get more money, right? Yeah. That's very common. Cordell Patterson is a great example of that. He plays for the Falcons. He signed there as a wide receiver last year and played running back like 70% of the time. Because that's they, interesting because they needed him there because yeah. all their running backs are shit that type of stuff <laughs> happens all the time and that can see like especially when you're like with a wide receiver especially right it would be good for you to know how to play quarterback because yes you guys are teamed up all the time you yes. got to know how those different positions work together and then maybe even then with the the wide receiver running back just seems strange to me because they're usually of a very different build 
yes. those type of humans. And you know, you want a, a you know, you want a beast mode tank guy like Marshawn to be able to just run through a wall of humanity Who's versus, he? you know, the long you know, kind of a gangly Sherman with like the giant ass <clears throat> arms and the super long legs makes him be able to r- fucking run like a lightning bolt. Right. Is very Debo different. Kind of both. Uh, Debo Sim, he is enormous. Yeah. And that's what makes him one of like the freak style athletes is that he is an enormous individual and is also shit about able to I'm learning. Yeah. He's <laughs> extremely fast. I think he's six, five. I mean, it was the same deal for like Cam Newton was the same type of deal. Cam Newton was like six, five. 235 pounds that's a, just a that's a large that's person to a play quarterback human. because he's also super <laughs> yeah. fucking fast you know so that type of stuff does happen um it, Taysom hill is another example he is a tight end for the saints but when drew fucking drew Brees wasn't playing he played quarterback he's, he's a great quarterback he was totally serviceable so it just depends you know when you're that high status it behooves you to know how to do more than one thing so you can stay on the field all the time you're always in the eye of the fans of the coaches of everybody who's there so and this is why you should have the freedom to pray on the 50 yard line after a football game that's it (laughs) that's it with that we will take our first break yeah we'll be back in just a few minutes for uh part two we'll talk about some more supreme court cases yes let's do it thanks guys and we're back, and we're going to open on uh, yeah your your screen there. We yeah, go. no, one hundred percent. I was I was expecting, right. waiting for it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for coming back, Jonathan. Uh, Donovan from Salt Streets. Colin. We're joined by Josh over here in the corner. Thank you again for joining us, Josh, and thank you, everyone here in the chat. I want to thank. For a third time, fourth time, fifth time for joining us here, youtube.com, Salt of Streets. We also have the Facebook, fuck Facebook. We have Patreon, Instagram, everything at Salt of the Streets. We have our personal social media. I'm at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. Colin is a big bird off you on both those things. You can find right. all this at saltofthestreets.com. Um, uh, you can also find the newsletters, the yeah. beer shows, things like that. We do all that stuff. I was like, what the fuck am I going to say next? Who's, I, was who's to, your, I know who's that your, I'm missing uh, something. It's Swell, Swell Blended for this is, is, the, is the sponsor or whatever for, for this segment. Swell Blended is uh, my barber, our barber. So he does. He deals with this mane. I'm growing my hair out. Oh. We talked about some of oh, yeah, show. We show this um, one, I'm going for a modernized, revolutionary haircut. So... I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. It's a concept that I'm working Does, yeah, through with sounds... Swell Blended, but I'm so I'm growing out because at the end of the day, I want to have a small a small ponytail so that when oh I, like Mel Gibson yeah, and the yeah. Patriot yeah. so that when I class it up, I can have like just a little braid in it, you know, and maybe like a ribbon at the end. <laughs> yeah, and he, we'll he's be trying to look like that right there with yeah. the, with the little a low thing pony back in there. the back and maybe a braid when we're flossing. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, we'll braid all the time, but maybe ribbon. Dude, your son's gonna die in a church. Where well, I'm really hoping not, <laughs> but it's possible. If he does, it's I'm possible. a murderous rampage, and it's That's gonna right. be. It's gonna be. And lit. then you're gonna marry your wife's sister. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, watch out. I ju- Michael, watch out, dude. I just watched that movie the other day, and I was like, oh yeah, fucking great perfect. movie. It's yeah. really good. So good. Yeah. yeah. It was Fourth of July, so we well, we had to, me and my brother had to be patriotic. So we put on the Patriot, of course, and then we started. The Band of Brothers. Freedom. Yeah, we're on like oh, episode six. Band of Brothers. Other Freedom, Mel Gibson movie. But yeah, we started Band of Brothers so again good. the other day too. We're like episode six now. Love I that think. intro. Just and punch a Nazi. I didn't even realize as my brother told me about this, but um, Stephen Ambrose, the the guy that wrote the original book and all that, and, and helped do the movie and all that, he got one of the dates of death wrong with one of the guys. There's an episode there. I don't remember oh, I know the guy's name about. now. Yeah, and like he he got shot right at the end of one of the episodes, right through the neck, and then you see him later on uh, towards the end of the episode. He's in the hospital and he's all 
fucked up and shit like that. But he ended up surviving. And then at the end of the episode, they said he died like a few years later or something like from complications from his wounds or something like that. And it's like, actually, no, he didn't. He lived until like the mid sixties and oh, then shit. died. And I was like, Oh damn. Blythe. That was his name. Blythe. Albert That's Blythe. Fucked. Yeah. And I thought maybe they'd eventually catch it and change the show, but uh, oh, on HBO. Nope. Yep. So like just, yeah. it's just another Starbucks cup. It's, it's just, <laughs> just another <laughs> no Starbucks cup. NVD. Yeah. What's up, bud? You want to okay, come so up? let's, what are you drinking there? Yeah. Let's do the beers real quick. This is your non-alcoholic beer, Sober Carpenter. It's called oh. the IPA. Yeah, it smells gross. It's an interesting experience. What? The old blind dog with. <laughs> he's got like that's not three good. teeth. I would not. Do you want to try that? Sure. I would not drink that. Sober it's Carpenter. It's not. Yeah. Okay, so it's not horrible. Yeah. He's but like, oh, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. Ew. It's been a thing. But, like you know. I get what it's going for, but I think it's just like. It's very surface level. Yeah. To like, like if it was as deeper, I feel like it'd be much better. It's yeah. like a seltzer. It's, it's like, like a gross. It's like, like Lacroix of beer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Lacroix of beer. It's the uh, Bud Light seltzer. Yeah. A hint of IPA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I have the Drew Brew the hop session here. Oop, so we're going for it. So, there we go. So and I fucked up the pour, so we have half of it. You here. pulled a me, dude. But, yeah. Usually it's pretty good. One of the best so films we'll, of all time. Hard yes, Bill Boswagens. We'll <laughs> act like it's a good pour. There it is. Look at that. Perfect pour. Now that's going to be a good, <laughs> nice sessions beer, hoppy sessions. I like a nice session beer, man. I'm, I'm not. Give you these I'm trying to hang out for like a few beers, man. You know, like yeah. I, I don't want to just. Oh yeah, it's nice. I don't want to drink two seven percent beers and then have to be done. I want to be able to have like a nice four percent or something like that, and right. it still tastes good and be able to hang out for a while. Yeah. What are you drinking, Josh? What is it? I got the um, second sight, Raven. A black raven, mm-hmm. scotch ale. Scotch very good, very dark. Um, good. I do love a scotch ale. Yeah, what kind of beers do you like? Do you like I'm a dark beer, beer guy. You were give talking me, about my, porters yeah. earlier. Scott, my ales, my porters. Mm. I like the. I want to say it's Maui. <clears throat> it's not good. <laughs> Maui Brewing Company, I think it's what it is. They make one. It's a coconut porter. Yes. Fuck. Yeah, they, they used to only sell it out of one gas station. That gas station up by the Seven Cedars Casino, kind of like on your way up to like Squim and stuff. Okay. I would literally drive to that gas station just to buy a couple six packs of that because it is bomb. Do, Plus, it's a really nice drive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love? Like gas station culture. Yeah. Like I love going to different gas stations Hell and yeah. seeing like what is this place about? And that yeah. has got to be an American thing only, right? Um. Yeah, America. And I, I so inter- interesting that you say that because I. I never really thought about that. I will go. I guess I thought it was a personal thing. I'll go out of my way to go to particular gas Hell stations yeah. because they're like, they're better. You know, yeah. the, the Chevron up the road from work, there used to be a guy named Dinesh that worked there. And I remember. Yeah, this Indian as fuck, this guy, Dinesh. He was cooler than hell. He was cooler than shit. And he would call you whatever you called him. When you walked in there and if you said, what's up, brother? He would call you brother when you left. <laughs> yeah. If you said, what's up, dog? He would call you dog when you oh left. So it was it was almost like a fun thing to be like, let's see if you're really going to do this. And fucking no challenge every time he would do it. And he would cut deals to shit. He was always giving me like free air for my tires. He was a really cool fucking guy. Yeah. And I now I go there because I like... I just like that gas station. There's better shit. There's a better selection of things. I'll go out of my way. Yeah. Won't buy gas there because it's expensive as balls. Yeah, that <laughs> exactly. But I'll go and buy all my other shit there. Protein bars and the fucking... If I go to the gas station to work, that's the one that I'll go to. Oh, yeah. Even though there's a closer one, though, like whatever the... 
76 or the Circle K or whatever that orange one is down in Silver to right by the bowling oh, yeah. alley. That's yeah. like... Yeah, fuck that place. It's arguably closer than the Chevron is. I'll still go up to the Chevron instead. <laughs> Hard, yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite gas station by where you're... I... There's this one by my gym I really like. Okay. Um... But I just love going to random gas stations. Like, if I'm, like, on a road trip, yes. I love just being, like, let's see, like, I'll, like, I don't need to get a drink. But I'll do, okay, let's oh, get a drink. Oh, hell yeah. Like, on the way up, I guarantee you I'm going to stop at, like, some random place in Marysville and get, like, a bang so I finish my drive. Just, yeah. Hell yeah. It's just, like, a part of the culture. Yeah. <laughs> I like, um, and that's got, it's, it's got its particular name worth reservations, that, and any, like, Indian gas station you go to, like Native American gas station you go to, is fucking huge. You know, it's oh, yeah. market. There's like They're legit. a place to get hot food in the back. The Glad Eagle. That's why they go there every time because it's fucking huge. It's on the way yeah. out here. Great selection of everything you might want. Everything, yeah. and they usually have like if you want, if you're gonna go fishing, there's shit for you to go fishing. Mm-hmm. If you need to yep. fucking cook something, they have aprons and shit that they sell at the Glad oh, yeah. Eagle. They have everything there, and a little cafe. I just saw the last one was there. There's an actual sitting area. Yep. In the back corner. So if you do get like a breakfast item at the little cafe or a coffee, you can sit oh, yeah. down and you can enjoy it in the yeah. corner. Where do you think we stopped at when we went? We left here around like six thirty last weekend to go crabbing. Yeah. Stop in there, top off the uh, the gas tank in the in the boat, go in there, and I got these. I got everybody these you know br- breakfast burritos from the hot case. There you go. Bomb, dude. The Eagle, just bro. bomb. That yeah. and then I have my old place. I used to work literally right down the hill from it um the place called strebel's gas station which is right. no longer strebel's anymore they no? sold it off and they changed it up on the inside and it is markedly not as good anymore oh, no. which is so now i just pass it and i go <laughs> i go to the chevron up on the hill above the chevron is lit they it, also good Dinesh stuff. sold his shit during covid yeah. and it was pretty sketchy for a while um but you but know they figured it out it now yeah yeah they, they got a good operation out, they put these these coolers in there mm-hmm. that like come out from the wall fucking like four feet so there's like less, too much though yeah, so like there's less much. room in there. Um, so it's, it's a little squeeze. cramped because they kept all the same shit. They didn't yeah. take any of the other items out of the floor. Yeah. They just pushed everything closer together. So you definitely can't walk through an aisle with another person. You yep. would have to turn sideways or else you would not both fit in the aisle. Yeah. But it's I still fuck with it, you know? Oh, yeah. And a good, like, mom-and-pop gas station. You can always tell because there's just there's some kind of, like personal flair mm-hmm. to it you know and it gives it the character and that's yes. that's that little bit's the same thing is going to keep me coming back 60 yeah. percent all gas stations in america are owned by individual families 35 percent are small chains only five percent are owned by corporate yeah and which that's, is exactly that's why, why fuck joe biden telling all these gas station owners just lower your prices to be fair gas did go down it did. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know it's, I know it's not bit. his fault at all, but I think it's yes. super funny that he yeah, just right. tweeted it, and then it's like, oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it, But that makes sense. Yeah. I know, especially around here, you know, 7-Elevens and stuff. Like, there's oh, three yeah. or four 7-Elevens in Bremerton. It's like the same dude that owns all those 7-Elevens. Is mm-hmm. it like families and stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, just, it's just families. and it, <laughs> So it's if you go there, you know, on the right days, you'll see the same dude at different 7-Elevens because he owns all of them. He's you just working work a little at bit. Di- <laughs> yeah, he's working at different ones at different times. Exactly. Oh. It's the same deal. AMPMs are fucking huge around here. There's a ton of AMPMs. Best BLT so sandwiches by you, Bilbo Swaggins. Mm. That's I will say this that my one gas station uh, that I used to love the Streebles yeah they always have a really nice selection of like homemade sandwiches every single day and that BLT they make man is just they just make it from the leftover bacon from the breakfast stuff yeah and it's just fire man it's cheap ass like white mm-hmm. bread some fucking iceberg lettuce tomatoes mayo and some a bunch of bacon but it's it's perfect and it's like 
four fifty. How you yeah. gonna how you gonna complain about that? It's legit. Yeah. And um not Bellingham, but like Mount Vernon, there's a lot of like migrant communities. And so like the gas stations will legit have like a Mexican restaurant in them. Yes. And yeah. and right before um and they'll just mass produce burritos and so you can just go in there and get like a burrito for five bucks. That's and fill up your gas. It's like I love that stuff. That is excellent. <laughs> there is a chain of gas station slash convenience stores on the east coast called Wawa. Okay. Uh, I know what you're talking about. It It is I can't even explain it, but the the, you can go in there and get like legit freshly made sandwiches right in front, kinda like Subway style. They always have a ton of like, you know, chicken sandwiches and they're made like fresh as you get them. The stores are massive. They have tons of selection. They are an amazing chain. You literally driving down the Jersey Turnpike, be looking for the next Wawa because it's like, eh, you know, I don't like that Wawa, but that one, they they got the bang flavor that I really like. The other yeah. one, you know, they, they, they don't carry my sour heads all the time. So, damn, I'm not going there. The East Coast equivalent of our Native American gas stations. Yeah, yeah. Because them fuckers are everywhere. If you go on a Washington State road trip, you're going to run across numerous of those enormous fucking gas. They're like markets on yeah. yeah. not even gas stations. They just yeah. happen to sell gas there. Yeah. But they're enormous markets. It's like, what's a... What's slightly bigger than a convenience store? It's like a convenience store plus and, I think, and gas. I think that's why, like, in New York, you have a bodega. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a specific oh. thing because it's not a gas station. It's a small store. You're going to get whatever the fuck. We yeah. just don't have a name for that here. They just call them markets. The Gliding yeah. Eagle Market is the name of that store that's, that's there. That's true. So I think that's, they just call them markets. Man. Did you, you guys know? hear about Bodega Guy? No, no. Who's you didn't hear guy? about bodega guy. No. I, I okay, so, so I heard the term bodega guy, but I didn't know what it was affiliated with. So this dude, I think he's from Wisconsin. He moves to New York and he starts posting on TikTok about how he Googled a grocery store and all it did was take him to bodegas. And so he's like bitching about the fact that, like, it got really big. He's bitching about the fact that he's like, I Googled a grocery store and it took him to a bodega. Yeah, and. Th- but but this is where it gets it got so big that he eventually got fired from his job because the company didn't like the fact that some people some people thought that the dude was being like racist because he was like just like saying like this isn't a grocery store which is right. not yeah right and and so he ended up getting fired from his job and like people are commenting as like well if you're going to move to New York you have to get with the New York culture like this is a bodega but it's like kind of ridiculous because, like, it's not a grocery store. No, and it's like it would be like shopping at the markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. can buy groceries there. You can buy most shit that you would need, even like fresh fruit and stuff. For most part, limited, mm-hmm. but you can buy some fresh fruit and stuff there. Yeah. That would be like calling it that. And I would never call one of those markets a grocery store. So as the only individual in this room who has ever lived in New York City, <laughs> I will say I will say your your local bodega is as important to you as your local grocery store. Yeah. Because they generally do have like a a small selection of like your everyday type groceries. And yeah, you'll only go down to like the IGA or whatever the main grocery store is every now and again because a grocery store in New York City are fucking terrible and that's where dreams go to die. <laughs> and it's a weird system they have going on there. You know, it's New York City. They got so Why many fucking laws terrible? and shit like that because you're not allowed to bag your own groceries. You're not allowed to... You have to go through this weird like... TSA style security checkout like our checkouts here normal right you think normal checkouts there man it is it's so much tighter it's so much cramped you know the cashiers are always really if if you don't have your shit ready to like 
be bagged in the specific order that they should be bagged, they will get pissed off at you because there's not enough room there to be stacking groceries up and there's no baggers. And so you have to bag your own shit most of the time like because, Winco. yeah, like <laughs> stuff like that. And then people get really pissed. And that's these... pressure being at Winco. We grocery shop there. It's pressure. Dude, it it's is. pressure, it's dude. Pressure Straight up. Shit, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Going to the grocery store in New York City can be a very stressful experience. And then the people that are working cash registers are not there to help you. Right. It's just a, it's a conflict situation every <laughs> single time. Uh, but they do have one really cool thing is that you'll get your groceries, you pay for them. You bag them up and all this, and then you can have them deliver them to your house later, which is nice. I got a oh. delivery dude that'll run to your apartment and bring it to you because you're not trying to bring like you're, you're on your way home from work or whatever. You're not trying to bring eight bags of groceries home, man. Like it's just not that you can't you bring your car home. there. Right. Okay. There's no cars right. that you can do. And so there's this massive Taxi system of like, you. yeah, exactly. They won't. That's, there is no way to do that in most places in New York City. So they have a really awesome system of like grocery delivery. Go in there, buy your shit. And then you walk out, and then an hour later, it shows up at your house. And it also means, too, that people aren't going in there shopping for, like, the month. Mm-hmm. You you just can't do that. It's not well, the system at Costco. In, which is why That's bodegas weird. are so important. Because you hit the bodega on your way to work, then you hit your bodega on the way home from work most of the time. And you get the same deal. You get to know the people that run the place. The most tragic thing. There's a lot of tragedy in it, but about my in-laws. New York is full of tragedy. Colin. It is. It's total tragedy. Um, obviously. <laughs> Most tragic thing about my in-laws leaving New York City, getting out of Queens, and, and moving to Jersey of all places. For one, the tragedy of moving to Jersey, which is just soul-crushing in its own. But I don't get to go to my favorite bodega anymore every time I go there. Because I, I go in there and get a fucking bagel sandwich in the morning. And then I buy these fucking scratch-off tickets every day, buy like two bucks in scratch-off tickets. And then by the week, you're usually up 10 bucks just because it was the best scratch-off ticket place you can get. <laughs> I mean, the guy knew who you, were, who you were. You had all, you know, nicotine selection is a very uh, good judge for me about how I'm going to deal with your gas station where you're going to line up. Even if I'm not into whatever it is that you're selling, like you'll have a certain selection of stuff that I know is, is good for the nicotine user in the world. Um, it's just a good deal, man. But like, yeah, the, I understand how New York City people can get so passionate about bodegas. Um, but they also, fire you for it. Yeah, they will fire you for it, which is. But yeah, that ain't cool. But the one thing I did see Brig brought up that I thought was really interesting is a whole bunch of like, like particularly liberals who are like really mad that this dude's like, dude, just like just integrate into the culture. Like bodegas are the thing. Hmm. But it's but like if a conservative made that same argument about like America. People, people would be very mad. Yeah, it's like if Donald Trump was like, "You just need to when you come to America, you integrate to become American." Yeah, and people like, "No, no, 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 no!" But they're telling the same dudes like, "You need to integrate into that culture." <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> it's like at least that's we- awesome. That, <laughs> that is, is awesome. so perfect. <laughs> it's you know yeah because you, know, you always have those guys that are like, "Well, if you don't like America, you can just get out." Yeah, but it's <laughs> like. No, bro, that's not how this works. Yeah, but like I get the sense. Well, but in New America, York City, love it or leave it. Yeah, if you if you come to New York City, you better yeah. if you better assimilate or get the fuck out. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, so sorry, we've got off no. on a tangent. What are we going to talk about during part two? Yeah, of no, this absolutely. deal, part man. Part two, we're going to go over some Supreme Court cases. Um, so first, I wanted to get your take on some of the ones that we've talked about already. Right, we've talked about the Dobbs case already, and then the gun case in New York. It's where the gun and pistol club versus whatever. It's a fucking yeah. long ass name. That's why yeah. I haven't been able it's to. It's a long one. Yeah. It really so, is. 
we talked i think we've for like two or three episodes we've talked about the Dobbs case obviously we'll talk about it again but i want to get your take on it and then also for you to talk more about again about your difficulties in the civics department of people not understanding because we talked a lot about kind of comparing contrasting the new york gun case with the Dobbs case yeah. um, and how they kind of overlapped a little bit so i wanted to get your take first on the Dobbs case then we'll talk about the new york gun case so the Dobbs one's really interesting because i guess i guess my my thoughts on it are like i guess i guess, I guess there's a lot because so first let's talk about like the initial case so you had roe versus wade within the 1970s yes. which decided that um Abortion was legal under the concept of privacy. Yes. I think based on the 14th Amendment. And then that was overturned with the Dobbs decision just a couple weeks ago. Um, as well as the, just not to interrupt you, but just to add, as well as the Ninth Amendment right in, your, in the enumerated rights found in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of the base, and that's kind of the big distinction that we drew when talking about it between the Second Amendment and the Ninth Amendment um, was, was kind of the big distinction that we drew. So mm -hmm. that's the only reason I, I stopped you to add that. Thank you, yeah. So a lot of people are arguing that like one of the big interest like like difficulties of the Roe decision is that a lot of people, especially conservatives, saw it as like legislating from the bench. Yeah. And so the, the the Supreme Court, the seven versus two, I think they essentially decided to make a right that wasn't necessarily in the Constitution, make it a right in the Constitution, and that was overturned versus Dobbs. And I guess my I guess my thought is. I don't know. I think I think my, my, my issue with, with this is like I don't necessarily like I'm against it, but I don't think abortion is something that can really be left up to the states. Because if you think that abortion is murder, how do you have a system where it's okay to murder people in some states, but not okay to murder people in another? Right. Like, yeah, that's like, a very common argument for like, for conservatives a lot. Yeah, like like there there are some conservatives that truly wanted to go up to the state, but a majority of them, this is this is a moral issue. This is the idea that like, mm -hmm. are we a nation that says we should be able to kill our unborn children? Right. And so it's not up to the states. Like like, it's very obviously this is something that needs to be federally decided. Just like I kind of going back to like the like the issue of slavery. Like this is an issue you can't have up to the states. Like over over time, this is going to boil into an issue that like we'll have to decide at the federal level and we've seen already in the three weeks or whatever since the decision the the inconsistency in one state to the next one has been driving people crazy mm -hmm. you know there's mass confusion chaos between can i travel can i not travel is this can we take these drugs here can we send these drugs here can we do this can we not do this is are you gonna or am i gonna go to jail if i help somebody come here or if i let them stay at my house or if i those type of things and it's they can those issues interstate issues can really only be solved on the federal level with the interstate commerce like that's yeah. that's really the only way for those things mm -hmm. to be solved so i think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying that it, it eventually has to be solved at the federal level yeah and um yeah it just, it just seems like it's not it, it seems like a lot of people are saying like this is the end but it really seems like the beginning of a new fight because this i feel like ultimately this is it's something because like what 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 happens when the republicans take power let's say trump wins 2024 you get a republican senate and a republican house though there's a base that is going to call for a national abortion ban hundred percent oh, yeah i mean yeah. as soon as it happened mike pence was coming out saying yeah. that he needed to do it so mike pence. and <laughs> and so and, <laughs> and so it just it just seems like it's it wasn't an issue of the states this is this is fundamentally an issue of, of two different sides seeing an issue morally mm -hmm. and so it, i just ultimately like 
like the Dobbs decision, it seems like while I, I, one could argue that it was correctly decided because I do think the argument of legislating from the bench is undemocratic, but it has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, for a long time. Yeah, a lot. It has had surprising. Unarguably, yeah. yeah. But it's just like this issue of like <laughs> sometimes democracy can't like sometimes sometimes the the best thing is the most democratic thing because I think of like interracial marriage. When um, Loving versus Virginia came out mm-hmm. in like the 1960s, interracial like interracial marriage was only approved by like 20 percent of Americans. Like that was an incredibly unpopular decision. Yeah. But it was the right decision. Yep. Right. And living in the year 2022, we can't objectively like that was the right decision. Yeah. And if the court went off a popular opinion, went off this idea that like, well, we can't do that, then they would have made like mm-hmm. a poor decision. Right. And, and that's, so sorry, go ahead. It, it's just hard. Like I'm glad I'm glad I'm not a Supreme Court justice because like it seems like you you have to like y- these nine people simultaneously have more power than like Congress and it's not, even the president I argue like in a lot of like Cong- like these obviously they're more powerful than I think the Constitution intended like obviously depending the on how Court? they're yeah the Supreme used, Court I would say because so I would say working off of that. In an ideal world, the Supreme Court should be nothing but a reflection of what the the federal legislature has passed yeah, that's a, through law, right? Yeah. It should do nothing but tell you what the Congress has made law. Mm-hmm. And in this, like in this particular case, I would I would argue that they made a correct ruling on the legality of things mm-hmm. because of, we don't have any. We don't have any federal laws necessarily yeah. that that say this is what we have in place. These are state laws, and we have general guidelines and this and that. But there's no there's no right ensconced anywhere. There, there's there's none of that. And the Supreme Court just says this is what you got. I understand that it might not be what people want. Some people do, some people don't. But it's not the Supreme Court's job to to do that. And unfortunately, we get a mix and match of. Sometimes the Supreme, the Supreme Court legislatives or legislates from the bench, and sometimes they don't, and it goes back and forth depending on who's there and what particular case it is. Um, but in the like, I think in a perfect world, the Supreme Court is their whole job is essentially reflect the state of the current federal legislation against the Constitution and tell you whether or not it's constitutional or not. And then, according to the laws that you have that you are running through this case, it's either constitutional or it's not. And I can understand how people get upset about that, obviously, but from a an under like an actual from the way it's supposed to work, in this particular case, I felt like it worked mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to. Whether or not we all like it or not, that's up to us to internalize. Right. Um, but with like loving v. Virginia, that was also something that I think they they definitely ruled correctly because we did we there was a lot of problems back in those days with like equal protection under law i mean most of the things that dealt with um you know segregation racial segregation and just you know slavery and the whole nine yards that's all just the laws were already there it was already in the constitution well actually in a lot of it it's already in the constitution it's not necessarily even laws you have unconstitutional laws at that point being overturned Mm -hmm. by the supreme court because the the state got it wrong. And in this particular case, the state hasn't done anything. And they just say, no, 
you can't rely on the ruling from back then because they ruled the wrong way, according to the way the Supreme Court should be doing their job. Right. And so I see the conflict. But, you know, when you're talking about whether or not the Supreme Court's doing its job or not, in this particular case, I feel like they did personally. And when I look at my I'm not a constitutional scholar by any means, but we have these weird amendments that get a little gray with like the equal protection clauses and the uh, what is that uh, due process substantive or otherwise and it gets real murky a lot of times and so there gets to be some kind of gray area from the Supreme Court which I think a lot of the the conflict stems from because it's it's kind of up to interpretation Mm -hmm. to a lot of people Um, I don't know if that kind of I don't know if that kind of really melds with exactly what you were talking about but I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding in that case. I, I don't see, I don't see any other way around it. There's, mm-hmm. it's if the federal government was, if the if the Congress was doing their job, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be having a state law being fought at the Supreme Court level. You'd be fighting a, a federal law at the Supreme Court level, and I think it would, things would be much clearer for mm-hmm. people at that point. But we are only here because the con- the Congress has abdicated their power to the point where we get legal rulings that act as essentially a, a, a makeshift legislature. I don't know if I would argue that the Supreme Court has too much power because at the end of the day, there's no enforcement mechanism that the the Supreme Court has to do any of these things. True. They have the U.S. Marshals, and that they're <laughs> they can't even they can barely even protect the the actual justices when they're out in the public as it is. I mean, it's a tough deal for them to actually have any real teeth. The, the power in a Supreme court comes from how society and the government as a whole reacts to their decisions. Um, and I would say the power that, excuse me, the power they have now is whatever power is being abdicated, given to them by the abdication from Congress. That's why we were talking about is their refusal to do anything about it is giving them the power that, we can even interpret their decisions as legislation from the bench. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the inherent issues that I see in so much, you know, a lot of different news companies talk about the approval rating of the Supreme Court. That doesn't fucking matter. Like yeah. you said, when they ruled on uh, whatever was the case in Virginia. Rule versus, for, uh, 11 versus Virginia. Yeah, so when they ruled that 20% of the United States. Yeah, I'm glad is, they is didn't take a poll on that. Right, yeah. so <laughs> that's, that's not the point. The point is not a reflection of what the United States thinks at the time. It's what in the base and like what the right thing is. You know, the right thing based on the Constitution for, for everybody's rights, right, mm-hmm. was that if regardless of what color you are, you can marry who you want. That's that is the right thing. And in this case, the right decision, like you said, was that this isn't our decision to make. This decision needs to be made in a different branch because we took too much power by making it. Mm-hmm. And so I almost feel like they're, I almost feel like they're ceding power from themselves and not even, mm-hmm. not necessarily giving it back because it has to be taken. But it has to be accepted by Congress. They're just yeah. putting it out there. You know, and that's where this gray area starts because people are calling for Joe Biden to do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets us in. You know, he signed an executive order yesterday about the federal protections they're going to have for medications. And people are asking him to allow people to do abortions on federal property and things like that. That is not how this works. And when you have an abdication of responsibility by Congress, when they give up chunks of their power and there's there's a. Uh, 
it's not even a, I guess, I guess it's kind of a vacuum, but it's only a vacuum created by the demands of the people. And it's because we're asking for a decision. We're asking for something that no one wants to take accountability for. Mm-hmm. No one wants to make this decision who can, mm-hmm. you know? And to get back to the, the substantive argument, I think you're talking about where you don't think it's necessarily the, you don't think it's a state's rights, right? You don't think it's a state issue, right? No, like I, I do think it's a state. I don't think the problem can be solved with the state issue. Yeah, it's fundamentally yeah. going to have to be a federal issue. Yeah, it is a, it is a nationwide issue, which, yeah, I, I think I definitely agree with you that there, there doesn't necessarily need to be, it doesn't need to be solved at the state level. If that's where we're going to start it, I think that's a good place to start. But yeah, if there is a nationwide call for one way or another, that what you need to do is you actually need to get the federal Congress to get off their fucking ass, quit playing games, and actually try to take responsibility for the positions they take when they go out and campaign. If they're going to try to get reelected off of you know, a woman's right to choose, you either need to start pushing for an actual amendment to the constitution which is never going to happen no way because that's because you're not going to get two-thirds uh, you're not going to no get way. two-thirds of the states to <laughs> no. rat- probably barely get half yeah you're way. not going to get the states to ratify that so that's not going to happen but you can pass a law to do that and that that'd be an easier path to go but but then again you're going to have to be confronted with the real you're going to actually have to fight the argument in the public to say you're going to have to argue with the people that think it's murder and you're going to have to deny an unborn child personhood. Generally speaking, throughout history, when arguments are made to whether or not people are people, generally speaking, more personhood rights are given to more people than less. I, I don't know how that would work out in the wash in the end of things, but that would be the right path to go, would be to hash it out and have your constituents actually vote and put their votes where their mouth is and you're going to see a massive turnover on both the left and the right on that point because most of the people that have spent their entire lives arguing for this in congress today they don't actually have a real stance on this they can actually defend Mm -hmm. they they take a moral stance which is probably the easiest to defend or they take a stance on like a a person's right to do what they want with their own body but as as we've seen over the last couple years that argument is a pretty shallow. a little little shallow coming from one side of the aisle, depending on what it is you're trying to make people do with their body. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is problematic. But I I like the idea of not so much focusing on the fact that it should go back to the states because I can get that argument. But at the end of the day, we've been the reason it landed in the Supreme Court's lap beforehand is because this is a national issue. And I think that's I think that's the right way to look at it. There's a lot of issues we like to think it should just be to the states. Uh, I'm fairly sure there's no. I don't know. I've heard this talked about before that there's no real federal law on murder. Uh, it's always a state law, and the, yeah, every state handles murder differently. But at the end of the day, that's protected in the Constitution, anyways. You can't kill somebody because you're depriving somebody a fundamental right in the first ten. Right there, right. it's pretty easy to do that. Abortion is not so simple, unless, of course, they overall society lands on the fact that this is a person, mm-hmm. and then it's over, and you're going to kill a person. And that's what 
Well, Joseph Wright is in here, and he's saying the same thing. We need a definite answer as to when we're considered human beings, a.k.a. what does God grant your rights at birth or at creation of the world? And we talked, we've talked about it as, I don't remember who it was that said it first. It was someone on Timcast, one of the Daily Wire guys, that talked about people being insult, right? There isn't really, I think, a question about, like, when that's an individual person, you know, because there's an individual set of DNA created, like, at conception. So pretty soon after conception, that's an actual, it's a person... We can talk about how much of a person it is, but the real question, I think, is when it's ensouled, you know? Because as we've talked about a million times before, um, I I find myself in a very difficult place with this argument all the time, that I'm I'm a thousand percent in favor of bodily autonomy pretty much in all circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I, that goes over to to a baby, you know? When Jordan is pregnant, I've watched this process twice now, when she's 12, 16 weeks pregnant, that's definitely a baby. There's no doubt in my mind. It's definitely a baby, you know? And when you get to some of the other states, talking about fucking 39 weeks and shit like that, that's that's definitely a fucking baby, no doubt at 39 weeks. Mm -hmm. No doubt in my Mm -hmm. mind, that's a fucking baby. My my second, my daughter was born at 37 weeks. That's a fucking baby at 37 Mm -hmm. weeks because she's fucking alive now, you know? You can't tell me that it's not because she's alive now. So... Isn't the consensus like over like oh, like the first trimester pretty high, like I yeah. think pretty high majority? I was listening to Cairo yesterday, and Jack Stein was on, and he's one of the better people on Cairo, and he was saying, and I trust what he said. I did not look into it, but I trust what he said that the general consensus across the nation is like fourteen weeks, and first, in a lo- first trimester, right? yeah, and in a lot mm-hmm. of European nations, it's twelve weeks. That's yeah. like the base, and that's. Jordan, when I've talked to her, that's kind of her line on it. You know, she's like, I've done this twice now. I feel like 12 weeks is a reasonable <laughs> timeline of that's not me. That, that's my wife. She's a lady. Mm-hmm. She's had two babies now. That's, mm-hmm. her, you know, her stance. There are a lot of women who feel that, a lot of people in general who feel that way. So I agree. And I don't know how that's my big issue is I don't know how you decide that. I don't know how you decide <clears throat> at what point, you know, that being deserves equal protections as the woman who's carrying it because i'm equally uncomfortable with the government telling anybody what they can or can't do with their body if you're a baby or a woman or a a fucking man or a they or a whatever Mm. i don't the government should not be telling you what you can and cannot do with yourself yeah but i don't i'm equally as uncomfortable with being left up to a social issue because you get fucking states like oregon where they're like 39 weeks oh whatever you know yeah. it's fine it rarely happens i'm not saying it happens all the time because it's rare but the fact that anybody would be okay with that is counter to to logic and science to me and my own personal morals so i don't understand that i agree with you with the uncomfortability on that level of being left up to the states that like uh the other end of this is happening, the other end of the extreme, that there are other states that are leaving it up to 39, 40 weeks where there's no fucking limit. That mm-hmm. is just as disturbing to me as the state government telling anybody at six weeks, you can't do this. Like, wasn't like you a know? 10-year-old who was pregnant and she couldn't... And I, I have not looked into this, right? But there was a hashtag, there was a whole deal. There was a, a 10-year-old girl that was sexually assaulted. And I don't... In Indiana, I think I don't remember what state. I think it was Ohio. Was. Think it was Ohio. Ohio. Okay, so I, that's I couldn't remember, but so she had to maybe she had to go to Indiana. Like to she had to go to a different state. That's what So yeah. she had to go to a different state to get an abortion because she was like six days past whatever the cap was. Oh, okay. she's ten years old. So it's a, a whole obviously, it's yeah. a whole fucking deal. And I'm not yeah. I'm not belittling it. I'm not whatever. But I've not personally looked into this past that, so I don't know any really of the details. But I think that lays out there. There's some fucking issues with yeah. what we have going on here you know there are some problems that are not solved 
by leaving it up to the states that you can't just let fucking 10 year olds die potentially be and i don't that's the argument that's being made here i'm not trying mm-hmm. to that's the argument's being made right you can't just let people die because you want to make your own decision i, I don't know and you, you can't know. and you can't necessarily pass laws based, based on, exceptions. on exceptions you can't really do that's kind of like the opposite of what you're supposed to do 100 percent. Right? which 100 mm-hmm. but then yeah it becomes a personal a really personally touching issue so so much and I, part of the problem here i think is we have abdicated our responsibility as a society to work this problem out amongst ourselves for so long yeah we thought it was settled yeah we thought it, <laughs> we yeah we were just told it was settled and that mm-hmm. was the way it was and and so we need to we really need to kickstart this argument unfortunately I, I think the the heat behind it now is exponentially more than it, it probably ever should have but fuck, man, we should have been arguing about this thing since the '60s, and right. whether well, or not we one side st- was, yeah, because yeah. that's a like said, that's a cultural issue. At what mm-hmm. you like you were talking earlier, at, at what level are we as a society comfortable with saying this is okay? You yeah. know, and that's you're saying one side is having an argument of of I assume you're you're arguing with conservatives. You know, yeah. at, at what point are we? As a nation, it's okay with this. Yeah. You know, if we're going to let, said some states say that this is murder, we're okay with that. That we're going to let some of these states murder people when it's they have active laws on the books against it. How, how does that work? Are you going to yeah. let us try people from other states? You know, and that's a part of the discussion that's being made now. Of if we have people that someone in one state that travels to another state and gets an abortion and then comes back, are we going to mm-hmm. try that person for murder because we know that they just committed it in another state? Does that then yeah. become a federal issue because they've crossed state lines, crossed mm-hmm. state lines, and murdered somebody under our state laws? Who fucking knows, man? And the those types of cases are going to. It's going to be huge. popping up all over the well, goddamn place. And those are the cases we need, though, right? Because the you need to you either need to rule that argument out or not. And so, unfortunately, they're just going to keep getting sent back until until uh, laws made. You know, until yeah, there's some type a of law basis. has to be made. Yeah. So that you can you can make the so you, you can bring that legal case up. You can you you need a legal case where. The state is trying to try somebody for murder because, according to their state law, abortion is murder, and that's that's the biggest that's, that's the biggest thing in the Constitution, right? I mean, you can't deprive somebody of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, obviously, right. and that's what you do when you murder somebody. And so, unfortunately, you need to get to that position, or you you could argue. You could argue the law, I think, on the merits of the law without having to actually put somebody through trial, I would imagine. Because if the law is there, the law can be unconstitutional, right? Yes. So you don't actually need some – now that I'm thinking about it, you don't really need somebody to go through that fucking terrible process. But Well, and hopefully it's not someone like a fucking 10-year-old girl. You know? Yeah. Those are the just – obviously, those are the cases that receive the most media attention because they're the most radical. You yeah. know, it would be the same the thing. the most heart-wrenching. And... It would be the same thing if you had an 80-year-old woman or something that somehow got pregnant, you yeah. know? And they're like, are they going to make this woman at 80 year old, years old carry this baby to term? It's going to have fucking Down syndrome and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It would be the exact same thing. It would just be the most radical case at the time, you yeah. know? Because I think, same to listen to Jack Stein, he was talking about like 80% of the abortions that are done in the United States are medical abortions. They're not even like surgical abortions. They're with medication, you know? Yeah. So there's even a huge part of the discussion that's 
not even really discussed you know it's just all encompassed into one thing and it's only now that it's starting to be parsed you know that the same view you talk about extremes you know when you're talking about against abortion you're not going to talk about what the most abortions are we're going to talk about what the the smallest portion of it are which and i did the same thing 39 weeks you know that's fucking insane that's 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 my line you know this (laughs) is that's my line we're not okay with this anymore (laughs) so it's just the most sensational you know the biggest problem though is yeah i think what we pointed to is we as a society have no idea where we want to land on this yeah everybody's got their own opinions this very complicated issue that deals with moral emotions and politics i feel there is no middle ground with it anymore have you seen there's like a louis ck skit and like his first joke it's it's like it's funny but it's also really accurate where it's like abortion is either a normal medical procedure or murder there's no in between yeah like it's not an issue that you can be like it's it's either a medical procedure or it's murder. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do we as a society hash this out? Because we yeah. have to. We, we like, have fundamentally to. have to. But it's like, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. We, we've talked about it before. Uh, with every right comes equal responsibility to uphold that right. Yeah. And Peter Parker. It's, oh, there you go. There you go. That's, there, there, there you go. My wife's going to be highly ashamed of me for not knowing that. Uncle Ben, um, sorry. Uncle Ben. Um, but there's a... There's a duty and a responsibility that comes with being a citizen of any given nation, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I think arguably more so in the United States because we are a nation founded on freedom and liberty. And it is, it is up to you as an individual and us throughout society to be responsible with that. And when we find a fundamental disagreement that we have amongst each other, it is our responsibility to figure that shit out. And then we can codify it in law after that's done through the vote. And we have abdicated this responsibility that we as citizens have to hash this out and try to figure it out and find a there. You're going to have to find some kind of middle ground. Somebody, both sides are going to have to compromise on this because yes, on Mm -hmm. one hand it's murder and one hand it's a medical procedure. Yeah. Mm, (laughs) No side is going to be happy with that. And so you, it becomes clear at that point, there's only two options. You, both sides either need to meet somewhere in the middle or you got to go your separate ways. And that only ends one way and it's not good. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a student of history, didn't, has never ended well when society has found something they cannot agree on and decided that we're not going to budge. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a, we got to figure it out and relying on a branch of government whose duty who has no right to have a say in it other than whether or not we as society have made laws that we've decided you know through the legal process that this is how we're gonna this is where we're gonna be at the supreme court has no say in whether it's right or wrong right. unless we decide as society that it's either right or wrong we can't have them make up our mind for us and it probably just gets back to the lack of civic understanding again with we've abdicated for so long. We've been told it's settled numerous times. It's every single Supreme Court hearing I've ever heard in my life is Roe v. Wade um, you know, settled precedent. Uh, it is it is precedent right now. And that's just what you've heard. They all stake their flag and they all rely on it to be precedent because they don't want to touch it because it's fucking nuclear. It's radioactive. Mm-hmm. But we need to do it. We have to do it. Otherwise, there's only one way to go from there, and it ain't good. 
Right. Yeah. It's um. I guess going back to that, you mentioned the civics thing. That that. So I think one of the things I think is really interesting is, so Roe v. Uh, so Roe's overturned, and you have a lot of Democrats who are really mad, especially at the Democratic Party, for for never doing anything politically about it, never never codifying Roe versus Wade at all. Which I think which goes back to the civic understanding because one, I don't think people understand just how like liberal. Roe versus Wade was for even like like America's pretty conservative, right? Like we're we're probably like center left conservative just country. A little closer. Yeah, sorry. And so it's it's just weird. Like like France has like a fourteen week abortion ban. France. Mm. Yeah. And Roe Roe left it very very open. And so so this idea that we could ever ever could have codified Roe versus Wade is is like probably impossible there was never yeah. the votes for that yeah and like people always talk about oh well like in 2008 and it's like this is a time period where there's like democrats from nebraska like you think they're voting <laughs> on roe versus no yeah. that's not happening it's like, joe manchin ain't going that no, way you know no. west virginia democrat he's not doing that yeah and and it's interesting how like at the same side though um ruth bader ginsburg um if she had like retired appropriately i think i think who's the john roberts has talked about he probably would have settled on like a 14-week, like abortion ban, which would have been pretty much in line with a lot of European countries. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of interesting how like a lot of this is because I think Democrats kind of played their cards like like their hand too hard, mm-hmm. and, and they lost. And so you could probably bring it all the way back to Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. Once Harry Reid got rid of the judicial filibuster, at that point it's over. Said that they wanted to do since Roe. Yeah, like you know, you know the plan. Yeah, right. It's, it hasn't <laughs> been surprised. Yeah, so I was listening. Do you know who Jimmy Dore is? I do. So I was listening to Jimmy Dore, and he was talking about the abortion decision. I mean, yeah. he was saying he was talking about. I don't know why any of these Democrat voters think that the representation actually cares about this issue for the same reason. So they had a super majority during Obama, and they yeah. didn't do it. So they had every opportunity to introduce it and pass it and get it fucking but, but over. But it with, wouldn't have, and happened. they didn't do it. They didn't even try. Yeah. They had a supermajority and didn't even try. Yeah. How I much mean, do you they care pushed... about the issue if you don't even try? Yeah. They I mean they pushed uh you know uh Obama Obamacare like barely yeah, Obamacare. happened. Yeah, it, it did barely happen, but But I mean, it happened. That was the arguably one of the most fundamental structural changes in American history in contemporary American right. history. Yeah. And if I you mean, and if you're arguing about something at fourteen weeks, like we're just saying that a, a supposedly most of the nation is in phase okay with, you know, fourteen weeks. If that's where you introduce and not something 24 or whatever the yeah. fuck, if you introduce something that could actually be codified when you do have a majority enough to introduce it, then you at least have pressure to try and put some purple state Republicans in the corner to, okay, now you have to stake your claim if you're going to be okay with this because most of your constituents mm-hmm. are or if your morals are going to override what your voters want from you. Yeah. You know, you, and that, you would that's need... a, that 14 weeks is a different test than anything we've actually seen outside of the states you know there are states that have that but we've mm-hmm. not seen 14 weeks mm-hmm. on a federal level yeah so we they didn't even they didn't even didn't even try you know yeah and so i want to just flush this out a little bit more because there's been some talk in the chat about it um the idea of republicanism right um why is just to build off because i think we've touched on it a little bit but let's build off a little bit more why is something like abortion why why do you think that can't be settled at just at the state level what what are some of the problems with that um i think because it's it's i think going back to like it's a moral issue Mm -hmm. and um 
like 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 I I think of we'll, we'll we'll go we'll go crossing state lines. Great example. If you are living in Idaho, very pretty red state, and you like I think Donovan kind of mentioned this earlier, and you go to Washington, get an abortion, and come back. Like what? What happens there? If or if Idaho says that you can't get an abortion because mm-hmm. that's murder, you just murdered someone in another state. Yeah. Will they now like pressure Washington to indict you based on their laws, or or like will Idaho then like charge you based on on murder? And it's like, I think it's it's different if it was like less of like a moral crime. Like like weed isn't something that like you know no one's no one's there's not as much of of like tension there but it's I not think, really a moral issue you might say that it's against your morals but it's not really yeah a moral like, issue. like yeah. no one's it's not the, murder which is the right. which is the argument from the other side yeah and i think that is a perfect way to put it and i think it's why you have to just kind of go to that extreme at that point speak the reason why it can't be a just solely a state's issue is because interstate commerce laws would get invoked somebody would call it murder somebody else would say it's fine and then you, we'd, we'd be taking that up with the Supreme Court where arguments between states are supposed to be hashed out. And then and th- I don't know if you want to go that route because then you're going to have all those states really, really unhappy about that. And there's going to be a gang of them that are all going to think the same way. And then the republic falls apart anyways because, you know, there are common laws concepts and ideas that we do as a nation hold as as one nation look at slavery we had a fucking civil war over it because some states thought it was their right to do it and some states says no you can't those are people you can't enslave people and boom we had a war over that shit to decide that because in the end we couldn't do it any other way or they at the time they just couldn't do it any other way this could, I mean, this is why it's such a nuclear option or a n- nuclear, it's a problematic issue mm-hmm. because, yeah, you can just say, well, it's a state issue. And I have, I think I've talked about that before. And that's where I, I felt at one point, yeah, it's a state issue. Leave it to the state's representatives to figure out and hammer out because in my brain at the time, it felt like the right decision because I don't want the federal government overstating, you know, telling other states what they can and can't do. But when the argument comes down to when it's such a moral issue that it is either murder or it's not you can't have murder legal in some states and murder not legal in other states so it is by nature of the issue at hand cannot simply be left at the states you could start it there you're gonna have to start it there that's where we're at now that's where we're at now yeah it's gonna trickle up for sure yeah and time I, I don't think it'll be that long either because these you know a lot of these states had trigger laws that went right into place mm-hmm. and i don't know when they all take effect or whatever it is right. but it's gonna work its way up and de- depending on how hard they want to go with it if they want to call it murder and charge somebody with murder for seeking out of state i don't know how you would prove that first of all but you know it would it would it would have to go to the supreme court and that's I don't know where that ends at that point, because then you just find whether or not a, a law calling it murder is constitutional or not. It, it's that's that's when things get really funky. Yeah. In my mind. What um. <clears throat> I guess what what do you what do you think about like. This is 
this is a law that is obviously decided by the entirety of the country. Mm-hmm. But the people that are realistically affected are women from their teens to their 40s. Like, like, like let's say child, child, mm-hmm. childbearing years. And so I think, like, I, like, I think it's interesting how, how this is, like, a public debate about, like, like a group of people's bodies. Like, I think we're all pretty much for, like, bodily autonomy. But that, but that, that like, like, as, as all men here, like, obviously we want to, like, figure this issue out. But, like, fundamentally, like, it's not going to affect us. Like, it might affect, like, our partners and stuff. But it doesn't mm-hmm. fundamentally affect us. And I think that's kind of a cop-out argument. No. I used to... I used to say the same thing, right? At the end of the day, if Jordan and I are together, even if we're not married, and she gets pregnant, and she decides that she doesn't want to keep it, but I want to keep it, that affects my life. Yeah. That changes my life. So it doesn't affect my inherent abilities within the bounds of the law. Mm -hmm. That affects my life for sure. Mm -hmm. And the argument goes past that to the baby. That affects that baby's life. If you think, you know, and that goes back to the moral side, if you think that at conception that's a baby... That affects somebody else outside of the woman, you know, outside of whoever that woman is. So, so we're layering issues here. Well, no, it's, I guess it's my personhood my... and bodily autonomy, and you know, the moral, the moral argument thing. There is more than one deep, deep moral issue at play in one, in one combined right. together. You know, that's definitely makes it even exponentially more complicated. Because yeah, you do have, you have the the bodily autonomy argument. That is that is a strong argument to make because obviously, yeah, we are super into that. You have the personhood argument, and that even gives the like the the partner argument even more power because yeah, that's half your person too, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you if you as you know as two parts of a couple that made a baby, if one person doesn't consider it a person, and one person does, fundamental argument there. That's a problem too. Mm-hmm. Ideally, if you were you being responsible about yes. it, yeah, you would have figured that out beforehand. But yeah. obviously, we are a very irresponsible culture these days, and we don't even. This is why, <coughs> excuse me, and this is part of the reason we're having this argument to begin with is because we are fundamentally extremely irresponsible with what we do with each other, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. Um, but then again, shit does happen, and safety nets should exist. That's, you know, but. And then you also have the other moral argument of whether or not it's murder, but that I think probably more of a personhood argument at that point too. Yeah. But that's so we have multiple layers here, and different people like we could we could all line up on one side of it on one part of it, and then we'll have fundamental disagreements on it on another part of it. Which means that at the end of the day, as a whole, the whole argument can't be agreed upon anyways. Yeah. Because each aspect of abortion is so fundamental. It speaks to all these deep, deep, fundamental, you know, keep saying morals and things like that, but that's yeah. essentially what it is. But um, that's part of the problem. It's layered on layered on layered. It's not just – doesn't just touch one thing. Yeah. yeah. And, um, no, go ahead. Oh, so what I was going to say is, like, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, like – like, what I was trying to say is, like, obviously it does, like, affect the man of, like, a relationship mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but what I was saying is, like, if you the, – the, the, the criminality of it can only really be put on the woman. Like I guess that's what I'm kind of mm. trying to say okay. is like let's yeah. say let's say it is murder and you, you you prosecute that. If I had a one night stand with a girl and she has an abortion, am I liable for that? Like right, like right, like 
you helped. She killed my kid. Like we made this baby, and then she killed it. Yeah. Like, like what? What part do I ever like? Like, it seems like, like the only like, like I guess the, the gender argument comes in. Like, if you're gonna prosecute women for right. this crime, men are entirely yeah. scot free, despite the fact that they were involved in the baby making process. That's yeah. and like, so how do you how do you make a like? That being that's an angle I've never thought of. Before. That's 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 a good angle to, to look an, at. It's inherently a discriminatory law yeah. because you literally can't. I can't depending, right? depending on how woke you are, you literally can't be charged under this if you're a man. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> Dude oh man. Like, wow. I, I would love to see it discussed <laughs> for that for that exact reason. Of now we need to define who can and cannot be charged under this law. Yeah. Because that defines on that's gonna decide for you whether or not it's discriminatory. Because I yeah. think that I, I agree. That's inherently discriminatory that only roughly half of the population could ever actually be found guilty of this crime potentially yeah. it would have said, it would only be women right and from a specific age group yeah. right <laughs> which is even a smaller fraction that's very interesting Ooh. yeah that's very interesting wonder i i i started to think about equal protection under the law right well it, equal protection is a different thing than than like a a persecutionary law you know, somebody, you know, this is you being charged with something that you did after the fact, right? It's not something that you. I'm trying to just work this out. It's, well, this think, is a, it's a complex, man. I yeah, think a lot of times that's, why, that's <laughs> why a lot of these laws go after the abortion providers and yeah, not the women. That's you true. Know? It's because that's, I think that they would run into that issue very quickly, yeah. even if not on a social level, on a legal level from a lawyer is going to say this is inherently discriminatory she's a woman you're going to only do this because she's a woman so i think that's why I'm, and you would have to go through all of the laws obviously all mm -hmm. the bans and stuff like that but i think to my knowledge most of them if not all of them go after the providers mm -hmm. as opposed to the women themselves that's yeah. um but i again, i would have to look into that so that's but like how long would that system stay like, there, there's some yeah. deep, there's a hundred percent some deep yeah. red state that yes. as soon as they got the votes for it they would like if you get oh, yeah. an abortion, you're you're, right. getting, you're serving time. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if I'm wrong and there are laws that charge the women that have already been passed in those states. I wouldn't I think, be surprised. Yeah. Um, I think there was yeah. Trump said something super early when he was campaigning in 2016 and he immediately retracted it about how like the women themselves should be like yeah, yeah. for an abortion. And then he's like, oh no 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 no. Yeah. He's he was, super bad. He was confused on whether he was pro-choice or poor life pretty <laughs> no, much until he was like the guy. You yeah, know? exactly. It's funny how like everyone. I, I feel like we know he's pro-choice, but he's Republican. Like he has to run as a Republican. One hundred percent. He's the first president that was openly L supportive of the LGBT. Yeah. Like the first one. You know. But yeah. I, I, I love how it's more of it from like <laughs> from just, he doesn't care. He just doesn't give a yeah. shit. Yeah, you know? like, yeah I, don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. He just yeah. doesn't care. It does not. It does not affect his life at all. Who you want to take home with you? Mm -hmm. It doesn't affect yeah. Donald Trump in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. Who you want to take home with yeah. you? I Why mean, would he care? Yeah. From his own track record, he's you know he's a fan of uh, not having extra kids around with other women that he doesn't want. <laughs> you know, I mean we we've seen it before. It, yeah. This should not surprise anybody who's a Trump supporter because he's a New York City <laughs> Democrat. For up until most of very life. recently yeah this yeah. is not something that has been it should not surprise anybody i mean he's pulled over he's pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes I, but i think i think it's probably just because he's not there's really no substance to him as a person really i don't he's just you know and people get very divisive about this oh yeah trump is it he's an empty vessel that speaks for whatever's going to get him a w at that point you know i mean he lines up with a few things and I think, generally speaking, he is 
Yeah, I think the one thing he he is is somewhat of a nationalist, and mm-hmm. and well, maybe not so much a nationalist, but an anti-globalist when it comes to governance of America. I think that's probably the one solid thing he probably truly believes is that like we Americans should kind of deal with our own shit, and yes. the rest of the world, yeah. if we want to have interest with them, we could do that based on us. Yeah, which I think is part of the reason he was so popular because. Obviously, the other things we're going to talk about in the grab bag. But <laughs> so this yeah. is an interesting point here from Bill. And we can make it the last one and then move on to the next year because we've. I mean, there's a good discussion, but um, we're not going to solve abortion here. No, no. <laughs> we it's did this, it, guys. <laughs> and I think it's also kind of a counter argument. Usually, not necessarily a direct, one, but usually into the point that you were just making. Uh, Bill says the father gets screwed in the core more now than the mother, so we can fix that first, right? And there's a, a lot of conservatives are making a similar argument about like child support, right? Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to make people pay child support from this point until then? You know, when are we deciding this is a person and i yeah. think that's it's fair because it's not necessarily a direct argument but it's it's a fair point to make that especially in a state like washington and you know, this is a very women woman first state even if the woman is not necessarily the best parent of the two she will get custody of the child first in a separation yeah that's that's how that's going to go mm-hmm. you essentially have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that, that woman is not a fit parent for the father you to get go custody ham. yeah and the amount <laughs> yeah the amount of child support and alimony and stuff like that that happens in some of these states is is fucking ridiculous you know and it doesn't it we could argue about that all day because my parents were divorced when i was growing up right and my dad would purposefully have jobs where he would get paid in cash so they couldn't stipend his paychecks Mm. so there are ways around it and if you're a shitty enough guy you'll find ways to get around it even if the law is going to make you do it (laughs) and it wasn't my mom didn't start to get that money until i was until after I was 18 years old, wow. until he had a job that was go being run through the state all the time, and he had no choice but to make these payments. Mm-hmm. So that is almost a separate issue, but it's a fair point. That's why I want to address it is because it's a it's another inherent inequality that exists in this baby making, child having process of past that point i mean how many mothers are paying child support in the united states how many of them have custody when they shouldn't have it in this state alone let alone in the united states you know Mm -hmm. that type of shit happens all the fucking time yeah i mean generally speaking when it comes to paternal rights men have generally been screwed um we've all abdicated a lot for a long time yes you know for yeah i was gonna say and i whether or not we men have uh, deserve it, we've deserved that due to our actions <laughs> yeah. over the over history and time. I, you know, that's that's an argument. It's easy to make, but it's again why you can't necessarily make a you can't have one rule for that because every every person is going to be different. They're yeah. going to act different. They're going to make different choices. And you know, some people, if you are a responsible couple, good parents. And for whatever reason, there was a divorce happening. The man shouldn't be screwed. If the man was bad and the divorce happens, the man should get screwed. If the woman was bad and there was a divorce, then the woman should get screwed. Like, it, you can't just one size fits all for this type of situation. Right. And, and too long we've allowed that to happen because deservedly not or so. It, it's generally been men making poor decisions and being pieces of shit that it has led to laws to right to get us to this point yeah and it would be up to current generations of men to disprove the system and 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 i don't want to say you have to earn back your your you know your trust but you kind of are though, you kind of have yeah. to <laughs> because if if we're all a bunch of pieces of shit 
then yeah, you need protections for for other people against you being a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I guess Donovan, I have a question. So yes. like, I guess kind of going on that, I think it's interesting. Like, as as a as a young parent, yes. do you f- if if like do you feel like your input? I guess if you had to get, like, do you feel like your input in this early stage of childhood is like, I don't want to say equal because like obviously it is equal but different, but like. I think we in society typically favor mothers like like even 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 when they're both involved, Mm -hmm. like we typically favor mothers. Do you do you see that reflected like in your own relationship or like is there something just about like a kid and their mom that you as a father who never like like can you ever get that? Um, That is tough because I. There's definitely something that you can only get from your mom, mm-hmm. right? But uh, as someone who grew up without a father, I would say the same thing about the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a mom, and she had a boyfriend, and I had my sister and my grandma, and there was always men around that were available to be a strong male role model, but it's not the same thing as a dad. You know, just like if I had both of my children and I had a fantastic, even like girlfriend or new wife or something, it's not the same thing as their mom, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's not, I'm not equalizing step parents or anything. It's not because they can be the same thing. Right. Mm But, um, so that's not a good example, but being without either one, there is a, you're missing something. Um, I think for a very long time until maybe the last decade or so, for one reason or another and maybe responsibility is a good is a good example of that we have devalued the importance of a father figure because we have said also partially like feminism and stuff like that your mom can be both of those things your mom can do it all your mom is the same thing as your dad and it doesn't matter my mom was a fantastic woman she did everything that she could to give me and my sister everything that she could she is not a dad Mm -hmm. she is not a dad there are deficiencies and i feel comfortable saying the deficiencies that i have or had as a man because i only had a mother so there was a really interesting conversation that uh jordan peterson just had on his newer podcast with dave rubin um talking about dave rubin's new the aspirations yeah, about yeah. being um you know future parents and as you know, the difficulties that might come with that two parenting system, um, being two fathers in the house, essentially. Right. And they, they have a, an hour and a half hour and 45 minute long conversation about this, essentially talking about that. What I feel is the, the important part in that. And it's, it's not so much, yes, there are, there are things that only mothers can give. And there's only, there's certain things only men can have or fathers can give. And, but what is more important, I think, than anything, regardless of who plays what role in a relationship, is the the fact that there's two and they're a cohesive team. Yeah. Raising a child, ideally, you know, the ideal situation, which nobody can meet but everybody strives for, is to have a maternal influence and a paternal influence guiding a single life through, you know, development. And the difficulties that might come, you know, they focused on the fact that they're going to be raising two kids as a gay couple. But I think the the most important thing, because there was no answers at the end of it, other than the fact that it's important for whatever team that that is set up to be cohesive and to be 
um, you know, a true team. Uh, a, a child growing up in a broken family where they have a mother and father at home that fucking hate each other mm-hmm. is not the same as, uh, I mean, you might, the kid might have better outcomes having a single father or single mother. It it really just depends. Having the cohesive team where there is, the mother does more generally at certain stages of, of a child's life than the father does. And, and then the roles are balanced. There is a trade-off. There are things that you, you will do as a father that mean less, arguably, at the earliest stages where the mother's role is a little bit more important and then vice versa and it switches as you grow older maybe and so on and so forth. But I think the important part is having those two parties, having generally a maternal and a paternal influence on that child, just being a coherent team. I think is the key yeah. whether, you know, cause every couple is also going to be different. You know, some roles are going to be different depending on what those people's relationships is like. And I, th- I think that would be the most important part is obviously having two parents in the house is the, the most ideal, ideally the mother and the father. Right. But if that, if that team is broken to begin with, probably not the best situation for that child to grow up in anyways right. mm-hmm. so it's 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 a very situational thing but it whether you have step parents like you were talking about before obviously not exactly the same but the roles can be fulfilled in the same fashion right right and that i think is is the key there and i would use that to refine my answer because i definitely i would never place like a traditional nuclear family in inherent value over like a like gay parents i don't i don't think there's anything that you can't get from two dads or two moms that you can get from a mom and a dad like a traditional mom and dad i i, I would never well, maybe say potentially but i don't think it's inherently about there being two men or two women i don't mm. think i don't think you lose anything inherently because of the gender thing i would never say that right so mm-hmm. just to be clear about my answer i would align it more with what you said or with, uh, if you want to call it energies or uh ideas or whatever to make sure that you have a fully you're able to create a fully encompassed person that you're providing both sides of it mm-hmm. that of like the uh what's the basis where i can break it down like uh maybe maybe nurture and protection maybe that's the two things mm-hmm. and that's a very off very mm-hmm. off the top so don't you know uh, that's not cemented but if i think of think about the two basest things that like jordan and i provide for dax and for reason jordan nurtures our babies f- forever that's that's you know what i'm saying even though i'm dr daddy and all the other things yeah. when dax has a boo-boo it's not jordan that takes care of it it's me i'm the one that cleans yeah. it and does the band-aids and all that stuff it's not because i'm so gentle and because i'm whatever it's because i'm i'm quick about it and i'm clean about it and i don't take any bullshit and he needs a band-aid it needs to be safe so <laughs> yep. so it, it just efficiency it, and so that is something that would i think traditionally fall into more the nurture category but for our son it works best when dr daddy comes in and handles it because i'm just like said i'm quick and clean and it's done it's over with Mm -hmm. you know but if you tried to coddle him through it it would be would be too difficult so i think that it's more about providing a a maternal and child experience whatever you want to call it yeah Mm -hmm. of the nurturing side and then my side of it is Mm -hmm. 
is protection. Dax knows, and we speak frequently, that I, I keep everyone safe. That's that's Daddy's job. As Daddy keeps everybody safe, lock the doors at night. That's my whole gym. <laughs> he knows, you know, he sees we go to everywhere all the time together. So he, he sees when I put a fucking gun in my pants. He knows because we've talked that I carry this to protect us, to protect other people around us, to protect people. That's why I have that. That's why I go shooting. That's why we do these things. We have, I have those discussions with him so that whatever amount of that he can take in he understands he conceives that i'm doing these things to protect people it's, yeah. it's this is for safety this is for protection so um and if that's not like a base tribal kind of community basis i don't know what it is you know like right. the old school like um i don't want to use the vikings as an example because that's a really bad example because the shield maidens were badass but <laughs> you know generally speaking you had a protector and you had a, a like yeah the nourishing you know the people that kept the tribe fed and yeah. taken care of at home, and then you had the people that kept the tribe safe from external forces. And so more, you have a protecting, and you have a, a nourishing. And in a more new-aged example, Jordan and I have had open discussions with both of our children that stemmed from Jordan Peterson discussions, actually, that we agree within our family, because everyone is going to be different, right, that for essentially the first year, year and a half, you know, Jordan's kind of job as the mother is to just not solely, but to, to take care of the baby, you know, and my job as the father is to do everything that I can to support her in that venture. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say, of course, I still take care of my daughter. I still change diapers. I still put her down. I do all of that stuff. But that's the same reason that Jordan is staying home. One of the reasons that Jordan is staying home and that I'm going to work, mm -hmm. you know, and that's. Part of that job includes me doing a huge majority of the housework and fucking working 12 hours a day and yeah. working overtime and doing all of these things because that's not just protection. That's not just the male role model because I'm vacuuming. I'm doing dishes. I'm doing all of the stuff. I'm doing Dax's mm -hmm. bath almost every night now. I'm doing all this other stuff that you wouldn't conservatively, quote unquote, traditionally would ever put into a male category. That's my job, my role as the male to support her in the venture of of nurturing the child, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's just, I it would be a, just a fuller experience is what's important because I yeah. couldn't, if it was just me with both of the children, they would be fine. They would just, they would be just fine. I am perfectly capable to raise two children by myself. They're not going to be as fully developed as they would be if Jordan and I are together for the entirety of their development. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I like to look at two, um, uh john's situation um the stay-at-home dad situation right yeah it could work that way as well and I, I think seeing that work in that specific example too is just a just more evidence that as long as the two roles are fulfilled in some fashion yes. then it works out generally all right most of the time yes but without a shared responsibility like that that's generally when you open yourself up to problems because i just don't think one person can make it work but it is uh, suboptimal at best. Yes, because yes, I also, to, to the counter, what I just said, I would be happy to stay at home. If it financially worked out for Jordan to work and for mm -hmm. me to stay home, I would be fucking happy to do it. Mm -hmm. There's, I don't think there would be anything... It would take an adjustment period. Jordan has yeah, more right. patience than I do and things like that. But, but it but would you still... could provide that. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think they would lose anything by being at home with me as opposed to being at home mm -hmm. with Jordan, other than... Yeah. You know, they might get some more timeouts because I'm not as patient yeah, as right. Jordan is. But so let me ask you a question real quick, um, Josh. It kind of in a callback to what we talked about in part one a little bit in your own um, your work, and obviously don't 
you know, all the examples I might ask you to give, keep them very, very vague. But um, you had initially talked about um, how you could tell generally by looking at somebody's grades, whether or not they have two parents in the house or not. Have, did you find any anecdotal evidence that, uh, you know, a stay at home dad or a stay at home mom had any difference in that? I have not worked enough in the system to like really know that. Um, I, I think the biggest kind of, I guess maybe maybe going off on that is the, I guess the, the circumstances of the situation also have a lot to do with it too. Yeah. Cause I think there's a huge difference between like a kid who has like divorced parents, but their parents are like still involved versus like a kid who is missing one parent and the other parent isn't like, doesn't even care. Because you also said grandparents. That yeah, like a lot of kids. A lot like of kids, kids are being raised by their grandparents, right. and and it's you can you can tell in the kid that there's something. It's hard for them to do well when they fundamentally feel like no one. They're the people who created them don't want them, and and you can. It, it's very. It's it's super sad to see, but it's like very palpable in how it's they distracting. How how they how they live with like tragic. my like my like my like I hadn't I guess. I'll say it anyway. Um, so I had a, a former student who he had to go into foster care, not because his his parents couldn't take care of him, but because his parents were in the same house as a child molester. He's like his like cousin, I think, and so he could not be in the same house as him. Mm-hmm. And so they chose the child molester over him. Fuck those and, people. And so it's like, how do you like, like how do you go to school? How do you learn when? You fundamentally know that they would rather choose a, a predator over you. Right. Like, God, like, <laughs> like, how do you, I, it's just like, I think that's like. What a mind job. Yeah. It's that just poor like, fucking kid. Exactly. And it's just like, <laughs> that. it's like those sorts of things. It's just like, yeah. Like he has bigger things to worry about than his math test. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. My parents don't want me. Yeah. <laughs> they picked a, oh, <laughs> fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the same thing is said for single children of single parents, right? Mm-hmm. When you only have one parent, a lot of times that child starts to fill roles of the missing parent, right? If their gender mm. fits with that missing parent, they start to fill those roles. I mean, so a really good example I can give, right? When we were in high school, when I was in high, when we were in high school, um, in tenth or eleventh grade, our house was going through foreclosure. And we were going through an arbitration process with the mortgage company. Was that like the 2008 financial? It, it was in high school, so it was it was involved it was like, in that. It was like 2010. Yes. Yeah, so it's it was, so crazy to think that, like, as you get older, it's like, wow, that was really fundamentally disruptive to yes. our youth. Oh yeah. So <laughs> Big when time. that when that happened, right? Um, nope, I'm going to place a policy because I would never do this to my to my son. I would never do this to my kids. I was, like, deeply involved in that process. I was, like, in the room during the mitigation between the mortgage company and my mom and her lawyer and the public defender and the urban housing development company, stuff like that. So that was at the very minimum unemotional role that I was filling to support during that time that, again, you can – policy decision or a parent decision all the time. I would never do that to my children because I know now that I could never fucking focus on my schoolwork when I was focused on losing my house. Mm-hmm. 
you you can't right and it's not because oh what was me in this in this position it's because my mother was placing me in such an involved position that i was in the fucking room when they're mitigating mediating who how much the mortgage payment is going to be and whether or not we can keep the house as a 16 year old i should never be in that position you know yeah. and i'm not blaming her in particular because i think there are kids around the fucking country that are in identical circumstances oh for sure they are mm -hmm. filling roles that they should not because their parents cannot deal with the loss of their partner for one reason or another right yeah and that type of pressure is difficult to encapsulate in anything because even at 16 i couldn't have told you that i was proud to be involved in that. I came to school dressed in with suspenders and a tie on because I knew that I was going to leave school early that day and I was going to try and save my house. I said that to people. I'm going to go and try and save my house today. I was fucking 16. There's no reason in the world I should have been in that position. Mm -hmm. You know, you cannot reasonably expect someone to perform in their tasks when that is the type of pressure that they're put under. Yeah. You know, so I, it's, it's horrific. Mm -hmm. um the way that that fucks with children mm -hmm. you know you're growing up so fast like you oh yeah you gotta like vroom. i mean yes. i heard something really interesting the other day and i've never really put it together but till now but uh in fact i'm not gonna well i'm gonna have to now that i'm kind of chip committed but the founding fathers of the united states so of you America, bought in now it's too late you can't right? go back how old were these the majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence when they signed that thing and created a nation? Under like 35. in the 30s. Like in yeah. the 30s. Like under Pretty 35. Uh, okay. We're going to go with that, and I'll, I'm going to pull it up real quick because I don't want to fucking be wrong about that, but I'm fairly sure some of them were in their fucking teens. I know Thomas Jefferson was like 24. Like he was super he was fucking like young. Yeah. Late 20s. Am I, thinking, am I thinking of Ben? Am I thinking of ben Hamilton Rush? was like the youngest. Am I thinking of Benjamin really Rush? I'm. I mean, one of these core you guys, guys keep bantering them boobs. they're kids balls. they're they're yeah. they're young men they're like, very young men around the age 18 20 21 yeah around the age that we are now like franklin was jefferson, an outlier jefferson was 32 there you go so i i must be thinking of benjamin rush i'm telling you yeah someone was young as fucking balls 1776 okay we get close let's hear it some ages Oh, Let's do it. Jefferson was 32, 18, 19, 28. James Monroe, 18. Marshall, 20. Aaron Burr, 20. Alexander Hamilton, 21. James Madison, 25. That's what Madison. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, principal author of the document, was only 33. Where the fuck? James Monroe, 18 years old, 20 years old. Well, he was the last like, founding 19. father president, wasn't he? So it makes sense. I think he was so, that young. Yeah. yeah. Different times, though, obviously. Yes. And, but it, it, does, it does hearken to the severity of what it was that you did go through at that point in time because contemporarily that is unheard of but also kind of a badass situation to be able to do that to yourself and mind you yeah you had other shit to focus on because you're in, in school these guys didn't this was a totally different situation right? right now if you're you know if you went to school you were going to a single fucking you know single room schoolhouse and and you know there was you're going to like 10 and then you were needed out on the farm or some shit, you know, who knows? I'm not going to pretend like I understand exactly when all <laughs> that stuff was happening, but, but it's not like a young man at 16 is not capable of stepping into a role like that. It's just when you do sacrifices are going to be made. Mm -hmm. And in, in like in your particular case, it was sacrifices to your education, 100%. your educational life. And that's, 
the tragedy I don't think really does those types of situations justice. It's it's exponentially more involved than just a single word like tragic, but mm -hmm. and it like you said, it happens to God knows how many kids these days right now. And I mean kids these days are much more immature than ever before in history. That's it's amazing that, that people can be put in that kind of position and still be able to turn out okay. And bringing it all the way back to kind of where we started here when we started talking about like the cohesion, cohesion in a family and the family unit and stuff like that. It, I wonder if there's room for, there has to be more, there has to be room for additional responsibilities on young men and women in families, um, regardless of whether or not there's two parents in the household or not. Because um, I would argue that probably made you a stronger human on the back end, mind you. Yeah. It was, you know, with tough times, you know, you're usually better. You're usually a better, stronger person on the back end of that. But also you also sacrifice things in the meantime. You know, we look at uh, I'm like fucking watching Band of Brothers right now. How old were those people that that went overseas 17, to go? 18, 18, yeah. exactly, lying right? about their age to get in. Yes, and that so even even younger probably yeah. 15. Yeah. And just yeah. saying exactly. they were 17. I guarantee you, there's like 14 year olds oh, scrub the scrub the numbers. Oh yeah, it's like a civil war. There's fucking nine, 10 year olds. Yeah. There. Oh like, yeah. Fuck it, just go for it. Yep. You know, <laughs> fucking watching the Patriot the other day that that father and son that like sign up for the revolution together, and the kid's yeah. like fucking nine years old. <laughs> yeah. That was that was common, you mm -hmm. know, we, in desperate times calls for desperate measures. But obviously, when that nine year old kid is going to go out there and murk some motherfuckers, it's going to change the way he goes through life. It'll make him stronger in some aspects, but it's also going to fuck him up a, a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and that that arguably had some kind of negative effect on your psychology, I guess, in a general sense. But it also had benefits. Yeah. It's strange times. I think the I, that's an interesting thing because I feel like in, in modernity we've definitely extended adolescence, like oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and and I don't. I guess the question is is like kind of we're teetering around is like is that a good thing? Like like on one hand no. I do think that like it's probably better to have let like there's there's certain advantages to having less pressure on you the longer you know so you can like trans transition into like adulthood but on certain the, advantages in, in certain advantages mm -hmm. certain advantages for sure but on like, the other hand like like i think of like when we talk about like your foreclosure thing i think if you didn't have to go to school the foreclosure thing would have actually probably been good experience like there, there could be some like there could be some benefits to that like that day or didn't have to go to school like if you day. didn't have to worry about that that stress yeah like if, like it would have yes. been like imagine if like yes. those soldiers yeah. had to like train and then go to school at the same time like yeah. right. like you you had right. you had these burdens of a man quote unquote and then you had the burdens of still being like a student there wasn't well, a trade-off mm -hmm. yeah you couldn't you couldn't yeah. have been like yeah. like you had to do both and i think that was that that's that hard thing where i think mm -hmm. and it wasn't like a seamless transition it was this weird like dichotomy of like you're trying to work within like the legal system while you also have to ask to use the bathroom yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> yes. and it's just like 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 how does that how yeah. does that work with your like well like, and that duality <laughs> not to keep talking duality, about that, but that yeah. duality continued through working at Benick. you know all those first few jobs i had i still again I, it wasn't until i had children of my own that i'm able to like solidify some of this i always felt like I'm a fucking man. No one can tell me what to do because from that around that point on, you know, I'm like, well, I'm involved in this. Like what other 
adult thing is there in America besides buying a house and dealing with your mortgage. That's about as adult mm-hmm. as it gets, you know, yeah. is dealing with your mortgage. So at that point, when I even have my first job, like I'm a fucking adult. Like I don't need anybody telling me what to do, but I'm also 18 years old and still have to live at someone's house and, and you're you're dealing constantly with i know deep down that i am still a child and i still need to be nurtured because especially without having a father like I, i'm an incomplete human being i still need nurturing mm-hmm. but i have been hardened with a shell of i'm a fucking man and i can handle all of this and i have no choice but to handle this it's, it's what i need to do this is what what the situation demands of me mm-hmm. and that's a you can't you can't live a healthy life that way, um, denying what you need while trying to work with what you think you have. You know, you can't live like that. Mm-hmm. And you're setting, we are setting youth up to live like that. And that's, that's not good. Um, yeah. It causes bad interactions um, at work and a huge amount of insecurity and being unsure all the time of, of who I am and your position at work and um, things like that. It's, it's not good, you know, because you don't know who you really are. You don't know where you actually stand, um, especially when that duality begins with your parent, because how is your parent actually looking at you? Do you think that I'm an adult because you asked me to be involved in the mortgage process and with mm-hmm. bills and stuff like that? Or am I your kid because you still think you should be able to tell me to do this thing at this given time? Because, you know, it's the foundation of off of which you build up. The rest of your entire life. Yes. And if it's a cracked foundation, you can only build so high mm. without going back and doing the repair work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, yes. You, you can't. You can't live that way. You know. And you know from knowing me deeply personally, it took a separation from my family to be able to solidify those things in myself to find out who I am what i need and what is best for me yeah you know and the creation of a new family it took that Mm -hmm. and that's the type of deep damage that we're doing and allowing to happen by not solving these moral issues whether it's abortion or divorce or whatever whatever you want to draw these lines to by allowing this type of stuff to propagate we are destroying the base of our country as our, as the youth destroying yeah. it because yep. you, you you can't as someone who did it you cannot live like this if you don't figure it out mm-hmm. you will kill yourself you cannot live like that you can or other people I battled with depression and anxiety throughout my youth up until now mm-hmm. you can't fucking live like that if you yep. don't have a solid base of who you are when you're going through that you can't live like that yeah you know so and we, we talked about that when we were talking about David Goggins. You know, yeah. if there wasn't, and I guess I have to owe that to that adulthood of just, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to persevere. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to persevere. If you don't have a core in that, you will kill yourself. Something will happen because mm-hmm. you don't have a base in anything. You don't know who you are. You are you are confused at your core. Mm-hmm. That's a horrific life for yeah. a fucking 13-year-old, you know, to like you said, to try and pass a math test after that you can't live like that yeah. you can't fucking live like yeah. that it's 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 so funny when you say that because it's just like you you go through all this big impassioned talk about that and, and then you got to pass a math test um so i think one more thing before we move on i wanted to address this comment here greatness has never been conceived without stress and adversity we should all be tested to our upper limits it's healthy yes but 
if you don't have a strong foundation built by say for the example that we've been talking about a strong family unit there is no way you can stand up to the stress of that and then you will crumble and you will probably bring others down with you right which is it is not an argument for coddling people. It is not an argument for babying people or no. fucking snowplow parenting or any of that shit. That's, that does more damage than than the opposite. It's part of how we got in the situation we're in in 2022 is the coddling, the safeteism yeah. of The parenting. coddling of the American mind, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of that, that's part of how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. But with a strong foundation like that, once you go out into the you know into the dangers of the world if it if it, you know as it were that is when you take on that, that those stresses and those extra responsibilities and you fight those dragons out there that need to be fought because you you started from a strong enough foundation that has, has given you the armor to face those battles and if like in your particular case you had to make your own for the most part you got some but you had to make the rest of it yourself. And some people, depending on their situations, won't be able to do that. And a lot of people can't. Um, and it's that, I don't know what the difference is in people when it comes to that level, but obviously some people do and some people can. And unfortunately, like you just said, in modernity today, there has been a complete abdication of that, generally speaking to the state and that family unit is almost seen as unnecessary in many cases. Um, yeah, a single parent can do the job. They can do most of it, but they can't do they can't do the same thing as a two parent household. Right. Period. Mm -hmm. And there's just there's no way to get around that. Yeah. So I guess before before we transition, because you mm -hmm. kind of mentioned, um, kind of like the the I guess like we we've talked a little bit like fatherhood and like coddling, um, and it kind of. And, and like and like maturity, and so one of the things that I was I, I learned pretty recently is that one of the one of the one of the big differences between like being a male and being a, men and women is women go through a very distinctive transformation when they go from a girl to a woman. They have periods, and so it's a very distinctive. I am now a woman. Mm -hmm. Where men don't have something distinctive, so right. oftentimes we create cultural Secularly. transitions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's 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 interesting how like when, like when I was, when you guys were talking about like growing up, I, I was thinking a lot of like gangs, where you have a lot of time these young men who grow up without fathers and they have to take on that adult role super fast. And oftentimes because of like these gang initiations, get jumped they, in. They they yeah, they get jumped in, which is a, a sort of initiation to adulthood. Right. Yep. And so they oftentimes even like 13, 14 years old, they right. they feel like they're men. Yeah. And so it, it's just interesting how like. I guess I guess what, what I'm saying is like, how do we, how do we transition, make us transition men, boys to men, more responsibly. All you gotta do is throw on the CD, man. And on a <laughs> and on a societal level, because um, yeah, I, I, that that makes a lot of sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense because if you don't belong to a religious group with that type of rite or of mitzvah. passage, if yeah, you don't yeah. belong to a group with that rite of passage, then the only real rite of passage you have is like high school graduation. Yeah. And if you're not gonna graduate high school, I don't I don't have a high school diploma. I didn't I didn't, you didn't graduate. I we I walked there, but I didn't ended up getting enough credit, credits to graduate. There's a whole. Do you have a GED? Of, no. Oh. No. We got through, we can, there's a whole discussion. About that. We, I went, and that's another, that was another insecurity I dealt with for a really long time, you know, of like, of not having one and having these jobs and kind of having to lie a little bit and get there and every time. And 
I'm a point now in adulthood and in my relationship with the state that as an entity that I don't believe that the state has the ability to arbitrarily designate when I have relieved, when I've reached a threshold of education to have a job. I've yeah. had the same job for seven years now. Mm-hmm. I had three other jobs before this. I have two children. And I support a whole family with this job. Do I need the state to tell me that I can do this? No. There is yeah. no world in which the state should have the ability to deny me my right to have a job because they have set this limit. Mm-hmm. So that does not mean I don't think education is important because I think it's deeply important. And I think that those levels, the thresholds that we've set are deeply important. Mm-hmm. I think some of the things that are involved in that are extremely arbitrary and they should be fleshed out. So I don't at all devalue education on all levels, especially for children. As an adult, I don't feel receiving that document is important to me at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say that a high school diploma. When my ma- kid's 17, there's going to be a whole other discussion that has to be had about, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm an adult, you're... There's, You're I, getting your degree. I, I yeah. don't. I and I'm. I'm not denying these inconsistencies, um, but again, even at 17, I don't think the state has the ability to decide for him when he's reached that threshold. I think mm-hmm. that as a parent, I have a better idea of when he's reached the threshold, and the ability to be an adult and have a job, mm-hmm. than a fucking high school that. And in my, we'll hit. We'll hash into it a little bit. I was lied to by Olympic High School. Dave Reichel told me that he had wiped away credits that after I graduated had not been wiped away. They were PE credits that I was going to have to make up as a 24-year-old. I was going to have to go and take a high school PE class to try and get a GED. Oh. Eat my ass. I'm not going to go and take a high school PE class to get no. a GED. Eat my ass. Especially when he lied, when I had medical documentations, I had meetings with my parents, meetings with higher-ups at the school. And it was only after I graduated, walked with everybody, because you were there, we were all there, that I was then told that I didn't have those credits wiped away. Hmm. So there are deeper things at play there that are not just my own inconsistencies as a student and my own inabilities or unwillingness to reach those thresholds. There are deeper things at play there, but um, the argument still stands that as I stand as a 27-year-old, I don't believe any member or age of the state has the ability or the power to decide when I have reached the threshold of arbitrary designation to have a job. Mm -hmm. So... And I want to make one quick point before kind of bringing it back to, like, the societal coming-of-age ceremony or, like, thing that we were just talking about. Uh, Getting a – the requirement to get a diploma, like a high school diploma, is the first indoctrination step in um, establishing the, the need for credentialism throughout the rest of your life. If you don't have that piece of paper that says you went through this system, then obviously you are less than. And that is that is something we definitely need to get away from because obviously people in, since time immemorial have been able to get amazing educations, gone on to do great things. To use a popular example, Tim Poole, high school dropout, no GED, he, and he's a multimillionaire and runs a massive company and has massive influence, and he's a very smart person, right? The the owner of t-rex arms right yeah he, is, he owns a multi-million dollar company it's it's a like holster and weapons company that we're huge fans of mm-hmm. ha, was homeschooled does not have a gd has no qualifications at all yeah. owns a multi-million dollar international company hmm. yep, yep. And, but that does not necessitate because i think what that was was a, a secular response to that lack of a 
coming-of-age traditional ceremony or something like that that, generally speaking, is only found in religious cultures these days, yeah. um, religious communities, um, and few within even that. Um, and it, that's just the, the secular version of that. But as a whole, in Western society, you know, historically, coming-of-age coming ceremonies, you know, this, this is the day you go out and become a man today, specifically revolving around young men. Um, historically, there's in every subculture everywhere, there's always been some traditional. What is the right word? I'm the right of for, passage, right of passage. Exactly. That must be done. And the. Usually the older men help shepherd and prepare that young adult to go through or the young men to go through that. And then they walk out the other end knowing that they've become a man because they've done something that within their own community has marked that. And unfortunately, like you had brought up before, we see that a lot in gang culture. It gives a lot of those parents that didn't have or those kids that didn't have that in their society or in their culture, something that gets them to that. A lot of people can kind of, I guess, look at that diploma as part of that. But even then, I, I, I don't think I think that's a cop out. I don't think that's a real most most young men. Um, that really want to do something would do something like join the military at that point mm -hmm. to go prove to yourself that I am a man and I can do this or they start a family or they do something because we don't we are such a multi multicultural society now there is no there is no general coming of age ceremony that someone's going to go through on a general level um, you might have some small subcultures that do have something like that but so we say that it's high school diploma. So we do. So we mm -hmm. rely on the state to give us that secular excuse, which you can argue that we've abdicated a lot of things to the to secularism like that in society. And I don't think I think you can look just I think if you have two eyes, you can see in front of you. It hasn't been working out very well. You know, even, you know, a few decades ago, there was things like, you know, a group of dads would bring their kids out into the woods and teach them to hunt and camp and fish and do these types of things. And, you know, when you kill your first deer, you go out, like, you take isn't a Isn't like Eagle Scouts? That's like a, yeah. for a lot of boys? That's right. right. Something like right. that, you know. And so there are institutions that, that can provide that service in some manner. But culturally, if we have an American culture, there is nothing that has taken up the mantle. There, there is no, you go out, you know, fucking um, Spartan way. There's no, there's no way to go out there and prove to yourself that you are a man. It's up to others to do that for you. And these days we've just mostly abdicated that responsibility to the state, which essentially doesn't really exist because it's, it's not meaningful at that point. If it doesn't prove to you that you have achieved that milestone, it never happened. Mm -hmm. Everybody can have their own at different times and different things. You might have to find it for yourself, but... That's, again, to bring it back to that family unit thing again, I mean, it, that's where you would get that is from that that family foundation of um, you you would have received something from that community, regardless of how small it is, whether or not it's just your mom and dad, you'll get something out of that to say, okay, you're an adult now. You made it. You're, you're a dude. You, you, you've now become a man. Yeah, women might have an easier time doing that because they have a biological way of doing that. And obviously societal on a societal level, it doesn't really mean anything because it happens so young these days. But back in the day, it did. Unfortunately, once you bled, you were able to 
you know, get married off and shit, and you know, yeah. some nasty stuff happened from that. But there, it's just yet another example, I think, of societal decay. Probably all built off the fact that we don't have family units anymore. Yeah. So I guess I'm a teacher, so I'm definitely going to have a little bit of pushback well, on, the, on the high school <laughs> diploma thing. I'm prepared for Obviously. That. So, like, I, I do – I actually, like, totally agree with you on, like, credentialism and the thing. There's so many things, like, why do you need a bachelor's degree for, like, half of these jobs? You don't. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. Over, totally ridiculous. Over half of the people that we work with in our department have college degrees, either associate's degrees or bachelor's degrees. I've worked there for longer than them, so I'm in a better position than they are. You know, and that's obviously, you know, that's not going to equal everywhere. But there are a lot of people, I think, especially in our generation, that went and got a degree that did not apply to whatever they did afterwards because mm-hmm. that's what we felt like we were supposed to do. We'll get into that, that particularly more in the what. I'll keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. Because, like, I know a lot of people who, like, like, my dad's at a position where, like, despite working at his company for 20 plus years, he needs, like, a bachelor's degree to go higher. And it's like, wait a second. Like, for he, what? He knows more about the system than the people who probably made the bachelor's program. Right. And so it, it's, I, I, I agree with you on that. But I guess, I guess my criticism of like the, the the bachelor's degree is, is a huge reason that we're able to create schools is that there's a social understanding that like even if you're a 60 year old man, your taxes are going to this school system that makes sure that you, the 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 people that are being pumped out into your democracy are credible, vote like are are they are they are adding to the. Um, to the the intellectual pool of society and by going through the certain state standards you know that my i don't have any kids in the system anymore but my tax dollars are going to make sure that these kids know are are able to vote off of be able to get into society and vote there's it's the democratic angle to to education and like i wish there was better ways to do it for sure but i think the high school diplomas show to that let's say 60 year old man that you went through this system and my tax dollars weren't for nothing because most people don't pay the kids don't pay their own taxes right the society mm-hmm. pays for their schools and so it, it, it's essentially showing society that you what you put into me mattered and i used it so my pushback on that would be two examples right three maybe one of them would be even when i was in high school i couldn't divide long divide on paper mm-hmm I never learned how. I was able to make it through high school not knowing how to long divide on paper. Yes. As an adult, I don't know how to long divide on paper. Rob Gronkowski, extremely famous, famous tight end for the Patriots and then for Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. Didn't learn to read effectively until he was in the NFL because he was pushed forward by teachers who didn't have the same mm. values that you do. Yeah. So I don't disagree with your values, right? I, I agree. Educate, as I said, education is extremely important. It took me being an adult to realize that, that I'm hosting a book club. I was fucking reading five books at one point in time because it's so important to me to have knowledge, to know things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's so deeply important, right? My other example would be until as a society, that is our common and cohesive moral baseline. I don't agree with you because I- there are people who's who push Rob Gronkowski forward and countless other other athletes who don't care about their academics. They care about winning. They care about them being the best. Yeah. So until mm-hmm. all of the teachers, and but I'm just going to say all the teachers, feel the same way that you do, I don't think that high school diploma means fucking anything. No, like, I would agree with you. Like, if we, if we, like, hey, you didn't do the work. You're not getting a diploma. Then like, 100%. I would agree with that. 
But like, we, you're totally right. We push kids through this system yeah. because we want them out. But it's the same. I got fucked. I got I after after my suspension and all that stuff that happened. Right. I had to do running start so that I could try and get my diploma. I also had to halfway lie about the state of my knees so i could try and get out of pe and i worked with the state i worked with the county i worked with the district with the counselors did everything i had to do and still mm. at the end of the day said oh sorry you still yeah. have to do these things so even then you know they still fuck people mm -hmm. so even though i did everything that i could to try and get a diploma i still got fucked by the state in the end yeah so even those people the counselors the, the guidance counselors don't even hold common values with the students that they're claiming to try and raise so i don't care i care what you think i don't care what the system thinks yeah. i care deeply what you think because i know what your values are i know that you don't care that i have a piece of paper you care that i'm a fucking intelligent human being mm -hmm. right and i think that that leans more to not more but it leans to the credentialism that he was talking about people don't care that you have the knowledge they care you have the piece of paper yeah right oh. because again a we can relate to a bunch of people that we graduated with and went to school, graduated with like communications degrees. What the fuck are you going to do with that? The job you're going to have, is it going to relate to communications? It's not. That's the degree you got because people told you you had to go to school and you didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Just like I didn't know what to do, but you chose to go to school instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had jobs instead. And you got a piece of paper that now you're able to wave around and say, I did this. I have tangible skills and assets that people don't give a fuck about because they care more about a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, since I kind of caused this stir a little bit, I want to also throw... I don't throw, think it's I didn't, a stir. I didn't I think, just... We kind of, like, a, agree. I'm I think just it's just saying it's a common ground. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about the discussion. Oh. <laughs> because of what I said about credentialism. And yes. I do want to, in part, defend... Um, what camera am I going to here? Too many cameras this episode. I'm not used <laughs> to it. Um... I do want to, in part, defend the concept of a state education, right? And the need to get a, uh, a we, diploma. Can I pause really quick? Yes. Should we unofficially call this part three? Yeah, we probably should. Okay. So we're Actually, just going to call it part three and we'll move into <laughs> some. We're, gonna, we're just going to talk about education and then we'll move into some of the other topics. Okay. So there you go. We'll uh -huh. just, without, without taking a solid break. Good segue. We'll just mm -hmm. So in part, I do want to defend... Um, especially your line of work particularly, right? Because I, I, <laughs> I don't want to, because there's two ways to look at this, right? My, my general way of looking at it is from a, uh, a foundational point, right? That you shouldn't be required to get a piece of paper by doing this thing, and then that means you know stuff. But I also have a, on the practical level, it is a halfway decent way to get a baseline education, general education, right? Yes. And that is, I think there is no way to disprove that it is as a whole a good thing for society. I think it is definitely a good thing in general for society, right? 100%. I don't necessarily think it's, like I said, fundamentally, I don't think it's correct that you would need that. But also, if you don't require it, a lot of people aren't going to do it. And no one's going to get right? it. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, let's, I definitely don't want to completely disenfranchise the idea of generalized state education because there are a shit ton of people out there that could, if there was only private education, a lot of people aren't getting educated, man. And a lot of people's parents aren't going to do the work themselves to do that. Just like um, founding fathers. So the same exactly. Deal. If you didn't have money for... 
George Washington, great example. We're reading 1776 with a book club. Great book, by the way. Had like, I think he had private tutor for eight years when he was a, when he was a youth because they had the money for it. At that point, doesn't matter. That was anymore. it. Yeah, it's, it's fine. You move on. Fucking general of the Continental Army. Mm-hmm. So now we can argue all day too about like the validity of today. What is in today's educational block that you get, um, and how well that's delivered and all that good stuff. But that's just arguing about the, you know, the details of how that works out. But you know, you know, generally speaking. I think most people should go through high school and get their diploma and make sure that when they go out into the world, they are at least somewhat prepared to take on the burdens of the world that are about to be thrown at them very, very violently. Yes. Because that is what's going to happen. Um, we do a really bad very, job. Very violently. Yes. The no, world comes at you at a million right. miles an hour. I 100% agree. Yeah. Like, a lot of the times you're, you're hanging out with these kids, like, they don't know. Yes. No. Like, no one gives a fuck about you. No, <laughs> dude. Yes. You have, you have an entire yes. system, co- like, being like, oh, everyone's supporting you. You yeah. get out there. It's like, hey, I need a job. It's like, what? I don't They're all work. trying to fuck you, man. Yeah. Right? They're all <laughs> trying to fuck you. I'm just going to make a quick note real quick. If we're not going to take a full break, I got to. Yep. Sorry, I just felt like it, you know, just worked best for her. Yeah, we're in the flow, man. We're not getting out. <laughs> this is too much fun. Um, so, yeah, I do. There is validity in having this system, and especially in our society today. I think on, in an ideal world, we wouldn't require it. We wouldn't need it because people would be more responsible, and they would make sure that their children are well-educated. Yes. Um, the most important thing. And it's not taught in school at all, essentially. I think homework is their half-assed attempt to do it. The most important skill any human being can learn is to be autodidactic, to be able to teach themselves things. And it has never been easier in the history of mankind to do that today. Very we true. fucking Hell 14 yes. year olds running around with this goddamn supercomputer in their in their hand it's magic, in their pocket. Bro. It's magic Seriously. in your pocket. It is definitely magic <laughs> in your pocket. I have taught my Perfect example. We're talking a lot about our you set educational shortcake. Uh, work. <laughs> I taught myself how to do all this shit. Um, the perfect example of one of the ways I was able to like skate through school um, and not do the actual work that the state said I did when I graduated was I didn't read a single fucking required piece of reading. I didn't actually read a book until I was 23. And I read my very first book cover to cover. And I was a terrible fucking reader, and I still struggle with reading today, but I still – the only way to become a better reader is to read, mm. period. And that's just the only way to do it. And so I do that today as much as I can, and, you know, I, I have my own shortcomings, obviously. But the very first book I ever read is on one of them shelves over there, and it was a stupid fucking – people would call it like a uh, a dime novel or something back then. Um, it was, it's called, it's uh, Halo, the very first Halo book that ever okay. came out, right? Aww. I read that shit cover to cover. I forced myself to do it every single night when I was underway. On, to read? On, yeah, to read um, for 15 minutes at, at the very least every single night. And it, at first I get a couple pages in. And my, my big problem was always reading retention, right? I couldn't, I would read three or four pages and then all of a sudden I remembered the first page. I don't remember what what did I just read now? And then I have to go back and I'd force myself. Nope. You're going to do it again. Cause you don't fucking remember what the hell you just read. <laughs> and then after I slammed that one book, then I decided to make the leap to, uh, Fahrenheit 451, which was so ill advised, but you know, <laughs> but it worked out. And to this day now I, I love doing that, but that's because I had, I had learned the skills to be able to teach myself pretty much anything that I wanted to learn. 
And then I, all of a sudden, I had this massive appetite for knowledge. And that ultimately brought us to this point right here where we are today, because the same thing that drove me to read that first book was the same thing that drives me to do this podcast. The same thing. Uh, this is a little bit more fun, I would argue, but also depending on what book I pick up, eh, you know, some books are fucking great, man. Um, I'm a big fan of fiction, so I like to disappear into other worlds and, and, and live other people's experiences through literature. And it's a fascinating thing that you could do. And I also like to write, but obviously I'm not a very strong writer because I'm not a very strong reader. You, the, the two go one and the same. You can't, you can't write a book unless you can read a book. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, and the generalized education system that I went through did not ensure that I got that. So there are definitely severe problems in our state-run, you know, general education system. Huge deficiencies. But I think on a practical level, it's about the best thing we got going for us right now. I'm not going to argue that it should remain and we shouldn't completely rebuild it in some different fashion or something like that because it's flawed in a lot of ways. But, but yeah, I would never argue that somebody shouldn't get a high school diploma. They shouldn't go down that path and shouldn't try to stay on that path because it does also teach you a lot of other different things other than the, the content that's in the curriculum is only a part of it. A lot of it is being able to go from class to class and be on time and be somewhat responsible and, and not interrupt, you know, people that are in points of authority when they're talking and, you know, they're giving instruction and, you know, different angles of how to learn things. Like in the first thing you talked about that, um, the sense of taste utilizing that in education and especially in history, that is an amazing concept that I I would have severely appreciated when I was going through school because it would have made things more interesting for me. Not very good at providing really hands-on educational approaches, I think, in at mass scale. Um, and I don't know how you change that, but that's a, another discussion altogether. But there is definitely validity to it. But when I argue on the fundamental level, that high school diploma you get on the back end is essentially worthless if you're if you're going through the system not retaining the most important things you can you have to look no further than social media to realize that most people that are out there shooting their mouth off and talking about opinions people i had a fucking this dude on twitter the other day who was a former u.s ambassador to russia um, he's a professor at Stanford that teaches political science and a bunch of un other governmental jobs, big type of shit, you know, big international race stuff. Sh displayed a fundamental misunderstanding of how uh, the Supreme Court works. And I was like, this is how did you get far this far through life working in the government, not having any basis of understanding of how this government is supposed to work. And if there is one subject in particular and I'm really, really glad that whatever school you end up in throughout your entire edu educational career, those kids are going to have a better understanding of how our nation is supposed to work and how we're supposed to get along with each other than I got when I went to school because you believe that that's important. And you're going to find a way to teach those kids how, you, how they're supposed to learn civics. They learn civics in one way or another. I didn't get that. We just learned that there was three branches of government and, you know, you know separation of powers and it's all supposed to be checks and balances 
Sounds cool. As a fucking 14-year-old kid, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> but I would imagine you'd probably find a good way for those kids to be able to grasp some kind of real understanding of what that might look like. Mm. The vast majority of people these days have no concept of how this thing is supposed to work. And it doesn't. No, no fucking high school diploma is going to tell me that these people are good Democratic voters are going to understand that they are how our uh, representative democracy is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. They, they, it's been on full display for a very long time. People don't understand that, and the education system has failed society gravely in in that respect. I think, which is which is sad, and I really hope that as we go into the future more and more people will gain a better understanding of that and then get into teaching positions and be able to pass that on to the youth because if they don't the only other people that will are the parents and parents went through the same system they did and they probably have the same lack of understanding that the kids are getting so yeah we'll just leave it there I like that that we put a bow on that it sounds good (laughs) Um, one thing we did not get to that was supposed to be in part two was the expansion of the court. Did you want to hit that at all? Yeah, yeah, we can the talk concept about there. that. Um, yeah, so the concept of the expansion of the court is one thing that we have heard in reaction to a lot of these recent discussions, right? Um, is there something that you've thought about at all, the expansion of the court? I I did. I actually, um, someone was talking about it, so I, like, I did a little more research into it, and Mm, I so this is this is this is what I would say. I don't love the idea, but it's an entirely legal political move to do. Yeah, it's entirely like gr- like apparently in the Ulysses S. Grant, the Supreme Court ruled something that he didn't like, and so he used the Republican Congress, added two more seats, ru- ruled it again in his favor. Yeah, and so like I I thought it would, I like initially when I'd heard of it like before like because I remember when Biden was running that was like a big question right. I was like this doesn't sound like savvy but it's apparently like an entirely le- like legit political thing to do because the number right. of there's precedent for yeah, it yeah yeah mm-hmm. there's, the number of seats isn't set by the Constitution so it sets up to Congress to mm-hmm. add or subtract judges when they choose traditionally it's been expanded with the other circuits like with the population you know um or at least that's been like the argument behind it and so we've talked about this privately um not much on the show and i think that i'm in line with kind of what you're laying out that i i agree on a i'm not fundamentally opposed to the idea i'm opposed to doing it now in reaction to a partisan idea i don't think it was right when it was done the first time and i think we both agree that precedent doesn't make something right mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. make it the right thing to do just, versus ferguson yeah it doesn't make it precedent. the right thing to do just because there's precedent that exists <laughs> there so if this was a uh, non-partisan in quotes because it's always going to be like that but like a mm-hmm. relatively chill time in american politics and there was an organic bill of someone was like hey the country's gotten really big and we have all these circuits, like maybe we should consider adding a few justices. If it was mm-hmm. done in a nonpartisan, organic manner, I would be totally open to the discussion. Totally open to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Because it's happening right it's now. Yeah. I, I cannot condone it, and I will not support it at all. Because I know because it's done reactionarily, it will be done ultra-reactionarily on the opposite side because of how fucking crazy politics is right now. Yeah. The moment... That the other side has the opportunity, they will do the exact same goddamn thing just to fuck the other side over. Mm-hmm. If there's even one person that remains from when it happened the other time, 
they will do it again. They will whip everybody else on their side. Do you? I was fucking. I'm old enough to remember when those fuckers did this, and now we're gonna do it again, and they'll do it. <laughs> so, yep. so I can't support it now, but I would be open to the discussion, like I said, in an in an organic manner. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of maybe putting a colloquial speed limit on the expansion of a the Supreme Court. Because obviously, I think you should take into account population size. Mm-hmm. Because every judicial system that we have in this country right now is backlogged out of hell for multiple reasons, right? Frankly, there's just there's not enough courts. There's too many people going through court. Part of that is because we have too many laws that put people into situations where they have to go to court. Not a good thing. It's not a bullshit court case. Exactly. <laughs> there are a lot of bullshit court cases, um, especially in civil court, which is where most things get wrapped up because. Yeah. People are petty and they have fucking petty disagreements all the time. We got to go to civil court because you, you fucking hit my dog or I don't know, man, you make up whatever situation you want. But so the idea of balancing it with uh, an overall population would be good. And then um, kind of like a, a reading of, you know, how, how long is it taking court cases to go through the system? Um, if for whatever reason you have a bunch of bullshit legislature on the books that is making is is flooding the court system and really bogging it down so you can't get anything really important done in mm-hmm. any sense of a timely fashion. If it takes you five years to go through a court battle, that doesn't <laughs> seem right to me. It sounds very, very expensive, too. So, like, the average Joe can't take up a, a, a suit that he might, you know, whoever the person is might want to bring might be totally justified to bring and get through the system because won't be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. That's insane to me. The fact that you, there is a price point on our judicial system is crazy to me, but I, I, I could see a world in which you take that, like however congested the court system is balanced with the amount of populations. And then you bring in some more precincts. Um, and then, however many precincts there are, you know, um, you know, each individual Supreme court justice handles like a, you know, a a certain number of precincts that they hear cases on. And, um, you know, there should be some kind of ratio balance, I think there, and, you know, nine Supreme court justices can't take care of like 50 precincts. That seems kind of crazy. Don't they have to throw out like a wide, like a wide majority of the cases? I'm fairly sure. Yeah. And some of them not solely on, like some of them just because they can't take them all up and they, you know, you guys, you're not at our level yet. You need to go hash this out again at the lower courts, do that again. And then even there, you're adding more volume that must go through the system. So I could see an expansion of the court that way, but you would need to try to find some kind of as non political fashion as possible to be able to do that. I don't know what that would look like, but there's got to be a way to do it. And these days we got algorithms all the hell. I mean, we can, mm-hmm. there's, there's a math problem that can solve that somewhere. I bet. But that's, that would be my, my, my only case for expanding the court in some kind of fair manner. I think. What do you guys think about like the lifetime appointment that is current? Like, obviously we can't amend the constitution, but like, what is like your thought on it? Oh, I'm into it. I am totally into it. I, I should say I'm, can I give that to you? Yes. You. Uh, I am cautiously, trepidatiously into it. Um, I don't know any other way in which you can protect the the sanctity 
of the court other than a lifetime appointment, um, a lifetime term, if you will. Um, I would argue that there might be some kind of retirement age that is required because whenever somebody dies randomly, it, it kind of throws, due to how political it is, um, it really throws a wrench into things when, when there's something that can't be, when something like that happens, and then all of a sudden it's like balance can shift overnight, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in this as age where... As we have where, seen, yeah. Yeah, as we have seen. And whether or not... I don't know if maybe that's an oath a judge can take where they say, I will retire when I when I deem I am you know physically and mentally incapable of doing like, that. Diane Feinstein's like a senator who was... A, Pretty pretty obvious signs of like dementia. Oh yeah, she was on the Supreme Court. She wouldn't retire. No, and Joe Biden's the president. Yeah. Joe Biden yeah. the, he is the president. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is. Those are my thoughts. Those are facts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I I think it's the safest thing we have at this point. There is no way that the court does not become political in some fashion, because partisan organizations are the only organizations that put judges up in the running to be picked by a partisanly, you know, elected individual, the heritage foundation, the heritage like foundation. That. Yeah. All those people, they all have laundry lists of candidates that they have vetted that, that that's where Trump their idea issue from, right? Was from the yeah. heritage foundation. Yeah, that's the conservatives um, yeah, yeah. go to people. The daily, the morning wire loves having heritage foundation. On. They do. <laughs> and some of those people know what they're talking about, but regardless, they are incredibly biased one way or one way. And, you know, um, I would, I'd be, I'm very interested to see next year's session of the Supreme Court because our newest Supreme Court judge, um, uh, Justice Jackson, will be having her first opinions. And that's really the only way you can really learn who these people are is through their opinions and their dissents mm-hmm. and their concurrences and things like that. Because um, the confirmation process is totally fucked. Oh yeah, it, it, it's, it's a show. Yeah, it's a total. <laughs> it's a it's a total show that gets nothing done, yeah. and then it's just a matter of partisan politics. But I think it's I think lifetime appointments in in the judicial system are the only way, the best way we have right now, right now, to maintain whatever shred of validity the court has in being nonpartisan. What about you, Don? Um, yeah, I would agree that I think. I've not given it an insane amount of thought, um, but I think that it falls in line with the all of them, huh? They're all frothing. Do you have napkins over there, or just these? Uh, it exploded. Exploded. So <laughs> it's just tissues, but that'll work. Um, That's weird. It, I wonder why they're doing that. The all of them. All of them are doing that. Yeah. Um, uh. I think it falls in line with uh, not as bad as that one, but <laughs> <laughs> um, with the error and the intent of the Supreme Court. You know, they. Uh-huh. The design was to remove as much as possible any outside influence from the decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the decisions that we've seen, especially the confirmation processes, have underlined from us that the design of the system can only be so perfect because the flaw of man is inherent, especially, not especially, but no, especially when you start to give them power. You know, there's oh, yeah. the flaw becomes more and more evident the more control they have over other people. Mm-hmm. So, I think it makes sense. Um, I am sure that there is a better way for it to be done. Yeah. But I think, like you said, for now, is probably 
probably the best thing we got. Yeah, I would have to think about it more because I've not thought about it a ton. So I'd have yeah. to think about it more um, to give a more solid answer. But off of base, it makes sense with the body itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm here for it. I'm here for it, right? <laughs> now, what about did you, did you give your two cents on the expansion? Yes. Yeah. That at another time that okay. I just wasn't down. I'm not down for it on a partisan basis. Yeah. So organically. Organically. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. So. Yeah. Yeah, when Josh, when he gets back, we'll talk about. Um, what do I have here first? Let me go back to my regular. What beer are you drinking? First of all, this. Let's yeah. take this minute. This was, I just handed you the can. I think. Oh um, yeah. It was the Hellas beer is what it is. Oh nice. And it's excellent. German so, Hellas beer, clean usually. Yeah. We'll talk about student loan forgiveness first, because that'll kind of the other two topics will. Uh, the don't say gay bill and the leftism in education will will kind of meld together. I think. Yeah, I think so. so. And this, this also aligns with kind of what we're talking about with schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Nobody saw. Nobody saw. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Student loan forgiveness, right? Let's talk Ooh. about this. You and I have discussed it briefly, I think, numerous times before. You know, we've, like, spoken briefly. Um, we did. And first I want to draw some distinctions because we've seen some stuff. The headlines had deceived me at first when I was sending them to you, right, of, like, student loan forgiveness being more accessible through the Fed. And so recently there has been some movement from the Biden administration regarding people who were deceived by their college, like for-profit colleges, people who are disabled, and people who have careers in public service. So there have been headlines about, like, this much money in student loan forgiveness has been out. And when I first saw it, I was like, what the fucking fuck, Colin? But... It's, it's this. So I, I just want to draw that distinction that there, this is happening. Um, and as far as, as far as this goes, I would have to look deep more into it. But if, if you've been deceived by your institution, I am in favor of you not necessarily having to pay for an education that isn't fucking worth a shit when you're done anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are a lot of schools like I know University of Phoenix is one of the ones that was mentioned. And we've had a bunch of local ones. IT, uh, what? There was one that was ITT just... Tech? Yeah, and then there was one that was down by the ferry, too, that was like a nursing institute. It was like Cascade or something like that. They went under, too. It was the same type of deal. Four ITT Tech was a scam? I remember all those commercials. Fuck yeah, bro. Scam as fuck. Okay, so, now, it is not as simple as that, right? Because <laughs> this was handled in a court case, yeah. um, and there were $6 billion that the federal government had to essentially fund the refund the fed loans that were taken out to students that went to these institutions and it's because the the institutions themselves actually they were essentially not defrauding but they were they were taking the fed loan money um more or less in a fraudulent manner from the government they were not giving the students what they they were charging too much Mm -hmm. essentially kind of what all the universities do now they taking all this government money and then they just turn you know they charge the students up the ass but in line about how quickly they could get jobs with those degrees like the the certifications they were getting were not as good as they were told they were going to get and so when they went to go and get those jobs they didn't hold up like Mm -hmm. they were told they were going to yeah but this particularly hits most of the online institutes because um when it comes to the rate at which the federal government subsidizes the student loans um, they pay a different rate than, say, the standard person does. If they just go and pay the tuition, they they don't necessarily pay as much as the federal government pays. And so they, they were essentially overcharging the federal government and causing – they were taking money 
and then giving people the same outcomes for more money. And then this puts these students who are now responsible to pay that money to the federal government um, essentially in debt when they shouldn't have. And so because you entered into that contract under false auspices, you get your money back. And yeah, guess what? You also still get the fucking degree that you got. And so a lot of the online institutions that kind of created these, they're all for-profit institutions. I should preface that. All of yes. them are. Um, they essentially, yeah, they, they got too much money and they made the student take out more money than was required. And so I don't think fraud is mentioned actually in the court case, but for the layman, they essentially defrauded the government for billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And then they still gave these people the education that everybody else got. It was just they got popped at a different rate. And so these people are now eligible to sign up. Um, you fill out a form and just I'm not going to give anybody the URL because it's a big, long, complicated thing. But if you Google it, you will find it in about three to four clicks. And, these and you can find the form, you can fill it out, and you can essentially have your Fed loan debt removed because it's the government's money. So the government can get rid of it. And these particular moves eased the process in which that happens and also opened it up for like essentially class action suits to be done instead of them having to be done individually. And I guess that was done under the Trump administration that they ruled or changed their executive order that all these claims had to be handled one by one. And so it was mm -hmm. yeah. taking people a fucking super long time to try and get their money back. So yeah, a couple colleges that, uh, will probably sound familiar to people. Ashford University, University of Phoenix. Um, My mom has a degree from University of Phoenix. Yeah, this one is great. Le Cordon Bleu, which is the, the like, cooking school. The cooking one. Yeah, the prestigious fucking cooking oh. school. Um, they're, was, they're, I, think it, I think probably they mentioned, uh, like, what is it, deceptive business practices. Yeah. That's probably what's more yeah. along the lines of than defrauding people. Brown College, Brown Institution, Washington Business School. Yeah, sounds bro. legit. Uh, let's see. K Kitchen Academy. Come on, bud. <laughs> what are you doing Kitchen going to Academy. Kitchen Academy? Where'd you go to school? Right? Kitchen Academy. Uh, sounds like some like weird sexist joke. <laughs> yeah. DeVry University. Oh DeVry Institute of Technology. You know, I mean, it's a laundry. Kaiser University. I feel like I remember that one. Kaplan College. Kaplan Career Institute. <laughs> you know, all the, all the big for-profit colleges that you saw fucking commercials for growing up. Right. All these people, man, you need to be filling out this form and seeing if you're eligible to get your Fed loans removed. Because might have boned you. <laughs> if there is one institution on this planet I feel like should eat a bunch of fucking money, it should be the federal government. For one, they insisted that you need to go to college, which was a fucking lie because most people don't need to go to college. Well, let's, but this was just to draw a distinction between the two different types of student loan forgiveness okay so perfect so yes there we the go there you go so yes this is the on, fed you're loan on a roll today i know <laughs> this is yeah so yeah it's uh it was a big deal but and there's been a couple other cases like this with other dollar amounts but it is not the grand scheme right you know right that we're talking about so and i brought it up specifically because i was deceived by the headlines of it that's why i was bringing it up is yeah. because it's not if you're only reading headlines like many people do, you might be like, oh, this shit's already happening, right? But this is different than what we were talking about. And the most, so what we're talking about is like a broad based student loan forgiveness. Yes. And the most recent, not proposal, but rumors, right? That's because nothing has been confirmed by the White House. They've just continually said, we're definitely talking about this. And like, uh, yeah. probably next month, we're going to do it. It's always yeah. next month. That's always like, yeah, yeah, next month, well, we're definitely going to. August is when the student loan pause ends. And so I think right. they're actually, I think they're 
there actually well, is some it's been extended. expectation I, of action in August. I think it's been August. extended three times now. It so has. It's every time it's little... been extended, yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going <laughs> to I check my emails. Wait. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're like, just, just uh, you know, next time. We're definitely going to do it next time. So yeah. the last numbers that I saw were they're going to – they. The rumors were they were going to forgive up to $10,000 for people who make less than $150,000 um, per year. I, I don't know if it was a joint number or just an individual number, um, but that's, that's the number they have here. So they're just rumors. They're not confirmed. But like I said, the Biden administration has said, you know, all the time, we're, no. we're, going, to, we're going to definitely be talking about it. So, so I have a uh, – Let's start here. So I got a couple of fundamental issues with it, right? Um, even before these particular numbers, because I find these numbers to be arbitrary and I have issues with the way that they were lined down, I, this didn't make logical sense to me. Um, it's using taxpayer dollars to, even if you're talking about federal student loan forgiveness, I think in my mind, we all know the federal government well enough to know the the money doesn't doesn't just go away someone it has to come from somewhere to pay that money off even if it's from the fed or from whoever someone has to pay it off it doesn't just go away they don't just erase zeros from the account and call it good right yeah. so at the end of the day it's taxpayer dollars from people who didn't take these loans out or chose not to paying off other people's choices and we could hash through probably for the rest of our lives the different reasons that people took a loan out or can't pay it back or can't mm -hmm. whatever because there are people who it doesn't matter um so i have an inherent issue with that um and i guess we'll leave it at that and so i want to hear what's what's your take on it so hmm. we both went to high school I, together obviously took two different paths so. yeah so <clears throat> i i guess student loan forgiveness for me is is hard because i not it's not hard but like, I guess I guess it's it's a weird issue because the the question kind of becomes how much should a society like invest into its citizens? And so I think I think the thing that I think Colin, Colin kind of mentioned earlier is you had this ethos from the time that we were kids that the only way to make it in life is to go to college. And so there that's is what we were told. That's yes. what you're yeah. told. Yes. And so we know that like memes and, and cultural culture matters. And so you had millions of kids who were told if you want if you want that yard and picket fence house, you have to go to college. It's not a choice. Right. It is it is the only way to make it. Our government didn't have any jobs planned. There's no GI Bill, like you know, there's kind of the military, but but even then a lot no of times you trades. go to the military to get money to go to college. Right. That's 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 what it all was. It all ended up leading to college. Especially our generation. Yeah. yeah. And so you had millions of kids who were told that if you want to make it, you have to go to college. And so you have a lot of kids who went into college not knowing what they wanted to do. And so you had them taking on student debt, despite the fact that they never got their bachelor's degree. And so now they have ten, twenty thousand dollars in debt with jobs that they can't afford to pay off that debt. And then you have some people who I saw on Twitter yesterday. This person got a bachelor's degree in political science, and they are a quarter of a million dollars in debt. Yep. A quarter of a million dollars for a bachelor's degree. Yeah, I know man. people like I know I have a friend who's a lawyer who doesn't even have that much money in student loan debt. Mm -hmm. If I went to a fucked up institution, it, it, it's like a pretty prestigious one, and so mm -hmm. I think maybe it'll pay them back. But like a quarter of a million dollars for a degree is not. Yeah, much. that's that's ridiculous. One hundred percent. But and so I guess I guess what I would say is, 
I feel like I, I I think that there is a certain responsibility that society should I don't know pay but but at least have a conversation about the fact that millions of people were lied to about how to make it in this world. And and so you have I and so like I'm in a pretty good position where like I have student loan debt but I will be in a position where I can pay it off. But imagine being a person who went to school for three or four years, did, you didn't know what you're going to do, and you got $20,000 to the loan debt, and you flunked out, or you couldn't continue college. And so now you have $20,000 without the degree that gives you a job with the ability to pay it off. And so it's like those people are in a really sticky situation. And it yeah. also is kind of crazy to me how an 18-year-old can't buy a, it was Washington, it was when he was watching it, an 18-year-old can't buy a rifle. But you can take $100,000 in loan debt, <laughs> Without talking to your parent or a financial advisor at all? Uh, well, in here, you can't buy a rifle. You have to be 21 to buy a rifle, depending on the rifle. You can buy yeah. a bolt-action rifle in Washington. But, but, but I think it's, yeah. it's just crazy. I, I understand. It's just crazy it's to me that, like, there's no conversation with the parent. I didn't talk to my parents for shit about anything. Right. And I was able to take out thousands of dollars. I'd never, I'd never yeah. seen $1,000 in my life. Right. And you're able to take out this money without any conversation about how you're going to pay it back. What is what is interest rate? I don't know what interest I just recently I'm understanding the power of like compound interest like stocks and stuff. Yeah. And so I think I think there is I, I guess I'd say there is a place for student loan forgiveness. I don't think if like like I see some people talking about like fifty thousand dollars. Like that's ridiculous. Like if you like if you if you if you got in a position that you could pay it like you have a good job, then you probably don't I I guess you you probably can't afford to, but I do think there is a place where society should pay back the fact that they lied to American citizens. So, so I think we addressed a couple of different issues in that, right? Yeah. And so we'll talk about, um, we'll just talk about one of them. I'm going to say the first one, right? So you and I are of the same generation. So I 100%, I, I'm right along. I experience the same things that you do. And I, I understand that. There are many people who chose not to go to school mm-hmm. or because they most people because they didn't know what to do and they didn't want to be saddled with that debt so even if because i think the compound interesting all that like that is that is an issue but i feel it is separate from this because mm-hmm. that's that's education that's we were not informed as youth in general about the things that we need to know as adults one of those things is interest you're mm-hmm. gonna take out a loan when you're an adult you have to know how this works as a society we should be teaching our fucking 13 year olds how this works because everyone should know by the time they're 18 and they can take out a loan how the fuck it's going to work because if someone's going to come after you you've got to know how it works so i think there we could address that in like an education sense or like a legal sense of like you these people have to know what they're doing before they sign this paper and i don't know like Mm -hmm. i said that's kind of a separate issue the cost of education I agree with you a thousand percent. I also feel it's a slightly separate issue. No one should be paying a quarter of a million dollars for a bachelor's degree. I don't care what fucking school you went to. No one should be paying a quarter of a million dollars for a fucking piece of paper. That is ridiculous. I don't care if it's a Harvard, Stanford. I don't care where the fuck you went. There's no way that that what you learned is worth that amount of debt that you've got. And I will speak to the level of debt on like a scale right that i feel that if you are taking out an immense amount of student loan debt you should be ensuring that you are getting into a career that will repay that to you and if you're not you're doing yourself a disservice but is that the decision that an 18 year old can make 
then they shouldn't be taking that loan out. I didn't take that loan no, out. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. exactly my point, is that if you don't know what to do, because I didn't know what to do, I didn't fucking go. Mm -hmm. that's, if you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't take that money out, because it's not reasonable for you or anyone to put an arbitrary timeline of two or four years for you to decide what career you want to have. Yeah. If you have no idea. When I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was pretty fucking certain I wanted to be a doctor. Three years ago, I was 99% sure I wanted to be a fucking cop. 99% sure. You couldn't pay me enough money in the world to be a police officer now for any number of different reasons. So even at 24, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. I don't think that's a decision that anybody should be making at that mm -hmm. point in time if they're not sure about what they want. There are – you also addressed, like, uh, people who had a dropout and stuff like that. There's other exceptions that I would acknowledge, but I don't think we need to make – rules or laws based off of on huge sweeping amounts of money billions of dollars because people weren't able to i didn't finish high school no one owed me money because i didn't fucking finish high school you know it's the same deal i i acknowledge for one reason or another people had to drop out they couldn't finish they couldn't whatever mm -hmm. if you got into a school that you shouldn't have been into that's a whole nother issue of why are you in this school yeah. right why were you accepted into an institution that you don't have the level of intellectual capability to achieve success in you shouldn't have been there. That, I feel, again, is a separate issue from the forgiveness portion, right? I think there are, there are elements, so they should be taken into account. Um, but to me, especially someone who didn't go, it doesn't amount up to enough for m my tax dollars to be used to forgive someone else's potential mistake or lack of responsibility or choice or you know whatever avenue it goes down because it, it could be any number of things it could be a mistake that you made it's to a certain extent i think a lack of personal responsibility that even if you didn't understand you signed a piece of paper taking money out knowing you would have to pay it back i spent a bunch of money in credit card debt i knew i would have to pay back i'm struggling now to buy a house because i fucked myself from credit card debt mm -hmm. right was that fair at 19 that a company gave me a card with ten thousand dollars on it and i could do whatever i want not necessarily. I also still have to deal with that. I still have to pay it all back. Yeah. You know, I, I have no choice in that matter. And when this gets forgiven, people like me or people on the converse end that parents or other people that did manage to pay for their education get totally fucked. Mm -hmm. Get a middle finger to the face because they did what they could to pay for that education instead of taking out the loans, you know, or do something else instead of taking that out. So, and that's, I, I think that's where I struggle the most is like the personal responsibility factor. You know, it was like I made the choice at the same time that everybody else did to mm -hmm. not do that, you know? Yeah, but I guess the the thing is like we pay for things that we don't partake like we don't partake in a lot. Like I never I've never called the cops in my life. My tax dollars go to the police officers to make sure that that system is is there. And so like should I want like the police officer abolished because I don't use it or should, or like maybe not abolished but like should I, like, not, like, like, I, I guess I'm, I'm also, I guess I have to say personally, I am very okay with, like, my, my tax dollars being used for public good. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and that, like, and personally, like, that, that, that's entirely, like, a part of my character or, or, or I guess a part of my belief. So mm -hmm. I guess for me, what I see it as is, is, I, and like, I would actually argue that for you, I don't, I don't think a credit card company should have been able to give you $10,000 in 19. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's like that's predatory and it's it's you you're not responsible or, or i guess not responsible you weren't we're, I, I i think this is like i would i don't know i i think i think 
I guess what I'd say is like I think there's a place for the government to for to help people who made mistakes. So I want to address one thing. Um, one of the points you made was like uh, with policing, right? Um, you've never called the cops before in your life. That's probably because of the money you put out there to pay for the police, right? Mm -hmm. Because ideally, in a good world, if policing is running at an optimal level, nobody needs to call the cops because they're just their presence alone might be doing the trick or something. So, um, but when you're talking about a predatory loan situation or predatory lending situation in which the federal government was the main culprit of, um, I think there's, I think part of the argument is moral and it says these people got fucked and it's, it's not fair because the, in part, the government fucked them, helped fuck them through these other third party lenders, which it's also important to remember the money that you would get from say like a federal loan guarantee does not come from the federal government correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. It comes from government-run banking institutions like Freddie Mae and Freddie Mine Mac and all that shit. Yep, and they mm-hmm. do that shit all the time. So at some point, there is a private entity out there that is owed money from somebody. And it is if, – if somebody is going to take the, the stance, the moral stance, I guess, that these people were fucked so they should be helped out, you cannot, in my mind – you cannot screw somebody else over for somebody else's mistakes, whether it's the federal government or not. If somebody didn't chose to walk the path to either pay their own way through college, take out private loans, or make a calculated decision to take a Fed loan, knowing that they were going to pay it back over a number of years, or people that did not, it is immoral at that point to ask them to pay for that person's um, mistake or somebody that was taken advantage of. It is then amoral to ask somebody else to pay for that as well. Um, somebody else's problem is not your problem to take care of necessarily. You personally could have a stance that it might be the right thing to do and you would be right to do that. A lot of people out there can't afford another $100 a year in taxes. We'll just put it that way. $100 these days goes a long ways for a lot of people. It's not, it is completely and utterly unfair to ask somebody else to pay for somebody else's situation. In that particular case, we have social programs and things like that where we all pay into and you may never use and it. You may never see it working, but some people are going to benefit from it. Different case. We will never get to take Social Security out ever. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but no. we pay into it every fucking week. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people die before they even have a chance to pull it out anyways. But um, So I think it's just the people that make the moral Howdy. argument Howdy. that it's a good thing to do. Yeah, I think I think little brother's home. Sure. Heard his giant ass truck pulling. <laughs> that thing is so fucking loud. But yeah, if 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 people make a moral argument that people were wronged and and the wrong should be made right, you can't you can't make that right by doing someone else wrong again. And so you kind of run into that. No matter what happens, everybody gets fucked. And there, I I don't know if maybe I don't have a because I'm dealing with this myself like my wife has student loans um and so we've been beneficiaries of the holidays on you know student loan payments and stuff like that and i've benefited from that so is she and i am very much not looking forward to the time again where we have to start paying that again and uh, luckily she went to one of those schools that was settled in one of those lawsuits so we're gonna see what we can do about that But, (laughs) but i i would never ask somebody else to pay for my mistake um 
Now, I also can understand that, yes, there were generations of people that were lied to and indoctrinated in the system, told that this was the thing they had to do. But I don't have much sympathy for those people. I really don't because it is it was up to me when I was growing up. I, uh, my parents were at a point where they could have paid my way through school. I mean, they could have afforded it, um, to a certain point. And, but they, they said, no, if you want to go to college, you find a way to pay for it. You take out debt and then have be saddled with the responsibility of paying it back or join the military. They usually have educational programs that'll pay for stuff like that too. If that's the path you want to go, you need to do the work to do that. And I don't see it any other way than a, a failure in societal responsibility to instill common sense. Everybody fucking knows. Every, every parent that has a child that is now dealing with this concept and, you know, millennials, Gen Zers, even Gen Xers, even the fucking boomers knew their parents knew exactly what compound interest was. They knew what loan forgiveness or loans were. Everybody knows what that was it's interest and the loaning of money has been around since fucking mesopotamia always been that way right so i have very little i have very little patience patience for that <laughs> it's it's not right it's something that we have known forever mm -hmm. it has gone back from time immemorial and if some point of authority says you have to do something to make your way in society you should go, why? Okay, well, maybe I can go about this in a responsible manner. There's ways to do this. I'm not going to saddle my, I'm not going to tell my child to saddle themselves with debt. I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure that they don't, they know what they're getting into at a certain age. So like, hey, you're going to be looking at colleges, blah, blah, blah. Just understand this shit's really expensive. This is how you do this. I mean, there's a reality to the situation that society has abdicated and I'm not going to pay for that abdication of responsibility. It is ridiculous. I, I, it's not, it's the same thing when you're talking about like people infringing on other people's rights. There's a reason we have laws and things to prevent people from doing that. Is there a serious problem with predatory loans? Yep. And it is clearer today than ever. And we should probably find ways to address that. But it, mistakes of the past cannot be paid for by money today. It, it doesn't, it doesn't right the wrong that was done. All it really does is perpetuate the problem moving forward. And while I can understand the moral argument of wanting to help people, I'm not okay with screwing over somebody else in order to help somebody else. I, I would imagine that there is a way the government could find money to pay, you know, off predatory student loans. I'm not going to say that the government has the ability or the, the capability to actually find out which people were, were you know, preyed on. Um, but say, you know, let's, let's take a, a portion of the, you know, the, the latest weapons deal with Saudi Arabia or something like that. We can take some of that cash and throw it over there instead of giving it to fucking Raytheon or some shit. I don't know. Didn't we, like, there's, there's probably a way we could do that. But I am not okay with saddling any person with an extra cent to pay for somebody else's misfortune or mistake, regardless of how morally understanding it is that you would want to do that. It's just in, in the era of equity, especially it's not okay, man. It's not okay. And anybody that I think really pushes that 
that everybody should be equal and all this stuff should have that base understanding that like just because I got screwed over on my student loans doesn't mean I need to screw over my neighbor who didn't take student loans out. And I, I think that's about as far as an argument as anyone really needs to make to say that this is morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. regardless of the moral good that might be thought that it's being done, if that yeah. makes sense at all. Yeah, n- like, <laughs> I, I guess, because I guess, like, I, I, I agree with your viewpoint, but I guess I kind of, what I said fundamentally is, like, I would, I, I would be fine. want to help those people. I would be fine with using my tax dollars to help their yeah. mistakes. Yeah. So I thought, I, I guess that's where we'd have, like, a disagreement. But I guess, I guess my, one of my, like, issues is, is, like, a couple months back, Biden gave Ukraine... Several billion dollars of aid, and no one asked where's this money going to come from. But like when student loan oh, is, we did. I guarantee you, guys probably did. I guarantee, <laughs> you, guys probably guarantee did. you, we did. No, yes. no, no. I'm certain you guys did. You're yeah. fair. I no, can't. Just, just for the I point, can't put that on you. But, <laughs> but, but like oh. those questions, like it seems like like these questions are always asked when it comes to internal development. But whenever it comes to like shelling money off to yes. like. Foreign, foreign powers and stuff yes. thing. It's like, we'll find the money. We'll just find oh, yeah. it. Increasing well, a lot the of defense times. budget every time is no question from most people who don't have a finger on the pulse of the defense industry. You know, if you don't care about that, if that hasn't perked your ears at all, then you don't even blink when they increase the defense budget from $750 billion to $775 billion. You just don't yeah. even care. It doesn't matter to you because it doesn't register. You know, when... You care about, I don't even want to say care because it's not necessarily a denigrative thing because some people, I don't want to, don't have the privilege to care, but are focused on other shit, you know? Mm-hmm. When you don't care about politics at all, it doesn't matter to you. When you care even fucking a little bit, it doesn't make any sense at all. Why are we, why are we sending, like you said, billions of dollars to another country when Tens we're, of billions. When we're <laughs> asking for a fraction of that for a program home? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Why are we sending billions of dollars to another country, tens of billions of dollars to another country, when we're arguing about a billionaire paying that much for Twitter and he could have he could have dealt with world hunger? What are we talking about? What type of morally equivalent situation are we creating in which we're saying that Elon Musk should have ended world hunger, but we're okay with more money than that being sent to another country for something that only half of us actually agree with, mm-hmm. right? That's insanity. It's a misalignment in morals that isn't handled in a conversation like this before it gets up to that level. It just gets up there immediately and then they just send a fucking check out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's a reactionary reaction to... I don't even know what it reacts to. Um, societal pressure, I know, social media, whatever. Some kind fuck. of externality. You know, I'm just yeah. now thinking about it, but <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. There, It doesn't make any type of sense to me for this amount of money to be spent outside of the United States when we have this many issues that are going on here yeah. that supposedly would be handled with more money. Mm-hmm. Supposedly that's all we need is more cash flow to these social issues and it will be fine. Mm-hmm. But we can't solve them here. We can only solve them other places. So so here's something here. I'm just going to com- kind of work off of something that Zeke just said in the chat here. Yes. Um, so they're talking a little bit about, you know, obviously what we're talking about, student loan forgiveness in the chat and, you know, it deals with the sympathizing of the people that are going through this struggle, right? Yes. They got to this point. Um, and I want to make an argument that one of the reasons we should not forgive this is because at the end of the day, how we got here was a lack of understanding and responsibility, right? Of people being 
told for generations they have to go, and regardless of the cost, and we got to do it, we got to do it. You that it was a lie, obviously we know yes. that, and their society has not been able to learn its lesson. But so the hmm. only way society is going to learn this lesson is for people to be paying for the consequences of of this mistake. That's cold. So that's cold. But I guarantee you, anybody that's been saddled with all this predatory lending and all this bullshit debt that they, they were lied to, I guarantee you they're going to tell their kids they probably should think twice. That might fix the problem going forward. You um, can't right the wrongs of the past by throwing money at it, but you can you can change the future by ins- by enshrining the idea that this stuff does the happen. Shit out of the kids? Well, no, <laughs> I'm teaching them reality. No, I'm just, I'm just yeah. fucking with you. Though. That's but, actually a really good point, though. Yeah, because yeah. there's no way to fix it if we just pay off the fucking debt. Right. People are going to continue to do it. And I've heard other little conversations about like ways to, you know, little programs you got to set up before you take, you know, a little fucking PowerPoint thing like your hunter safety course that you just got to click through to make sure you know what you're signing up for. How about your parents are settled with their debt because they made bad decisions because they were lied to? They're going to make sure their kids don't do that shit in the future. And then those kids are going to make sure I their kids don't do it in college. the future. Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. You had something you wanted to say. Oh, no. I was like, it's like a really good point because I, I, I think about my position and I like I want I would like hopefully I've talked to my part Katie about this. But like I want to like make sure like I'd pay for their last two years. But the first two years I got to do community college because like fuck yeah. It's yeah. like it's, it's I think just that's fair. Yeah, like I mean, I, I, I hope that I can afford it. But I, it wasn't something I don't think I would have thought of that if I didn't have this like. You know, debt hanging over my head that will yeah. affect me for probably the next five five years. Right. <laughs> so Zeke said here, excuse me, college is giving 19 and 20 year olds tens of thousands of dollars in loans should be considered predatory lending. And you hit on that as well. Um, but by no means should I be paying for someone else's college education, whether it's for good or bad degree. I do not want my tax dollars going to that. Do I sympathize? Yes, I do. But everyone has to pay their dues and face the consequences eventually. So I actually um, don't quite agree with that. But what the fuck's that? Okay. So I don't for other necessarily. College. I don't know that I disagree at all that it's predatory lending, right? Because I don't think that that money should be given to those kids. I, because I found myself in a similar position. Deborah's here. By different means. You made I it. struggle to find sympathy for that because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not being given the same option. You know, I found myself in similar amounts of debt by different means and I'm not being given the same option, even though it was a mistake, right? A huge amount of my debt is like we missed a payment on one of our medical things, we have thousands of dollars that went to collections. They had to pay it off with a credit card. I had no choice because we went to fucking collections, right? Usually, you can, like, ride out medical debt. It doesn't collect interest, so had to pay it off out of collections, right? So I'm not being given that same option uh, to, to rid myself of this debt. So I find it to be not from you, but from the general populace making this argument for it to be an inconsistent argument of the predatory lending thing, right? Yeah. And we should be talking about forgiving all of these predatory loans not just these student loans yeah but i would say most people who are for like student loan forgiveness are usually for like medicare for all and and maybe i don't know about like um bigger socialized yeah pretty social programs like i I would say that like forgiving student loans is consistent with the idea that my tax dollars should be used for more social needs. Certainly, so, certainly, my only point is on the predatory lending aspect. Of if, if the issue is predatory lending, then we should be addressing that as a whole, not one particular yeah. aspect of it, because we got fucked by the same group in different ways. You know, 
one group, one portion of that should not be given forgiveness when the other ones are not. That's yeah. my only point. So that I find it inconsistent um, because, like I said, I don't disagree with you on the predatory lending part. I think that a better way to go about that would be for someone to have to co-sign on that loan for you to be able to get it because mm. – especially now there's no way to guarantee for you to get that knowledge no way to guarantee it you but, know um mm. while you should know we should all know what compound interest means like you said it's been mm. around for a fucking bajillion years i didn't know how to long divide when i was 18 years old i'm 27 i don't know how to long divide so you have a calculator we that's, that's right saying. <laughs> i'm saying on paper right like yeah, I, yeah, can't, yeah. I can't long divide on paper so yeah. i can't we, do that i can do a bunch of trig but i can't do long division we on can't paper. reasonably expect or demand that people will have that information because their parents will fuck them the schools will fuck them i took business math i so but if you don't maybe you don't know how compound interest works because mm -hmm. your parents aren't telling you or whatever right i'm not making excuses i'm exceptions is what i'm laying out so mm -hmm. um the point that i was making Ooh. yeah well i think this does definitely uh then when i was talking about uh young people being violently confronted with the dangers of the world co-signing on the loans then co-signing on the run I, with it i agree with you yeah i'm sorry but on the predator i i agree with you and i think that you, you should someone should have to co-sign on that i think that's you a know? hard one because like if you're a poor kid and you like if this is your way out. How do you like? I'd rather them get saddled with student loan debt than not be able to get it at all and not go to college. Like if your parents have fucked up credit, yeah, them co-signing a loan doesn't do anything. But I can understand. I don't know that the solution is is. I think we find ourselves in the exact same spot. Yeah. You know? I don't. I still. I. I was. I didn't have money to go to college because I had a single parent, right? So I didn't go. So instead, I went off into the world and I racked up credit card debt to try and survive. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't know that you find yourself in a different position, you know? Yeah. Um, and so maybe not the parent, someone, you, someone needs to verify the money will be paid back because if we can't, if we're not going to demand responsibility from the child, from, from the young adult, because when you're 18, you're an adult, right? And if we're going to, I'll get onto that after this, right? <laughs> we, we need to demand responsibility from somebody. Mm -hmm. You can't expect something and to, for nothing in return. And that's what this is. If someone else cleaning up this mistake that you made for one reason or another. And I'm not saying mistake is necessarily denigrative because you're a teacher now. You didn't make a mistake. You're, you're in the career path that you want. You just had to take out student loans to get there. I did. Other people who got themselves into a school they shouldn't go into or got into a school and didn't know what the fuck they wanted to do and now they don't have a job in the field that they tried to get a career in or they got a communications degree so they have a useless degree or fucking what, you know, underwater basketball, even all the bullshit yeah. that people come over. <laughs> if you got a degree in that and you can't get a job now, fuck you. I, d I don't care that you did that because you fucked yourself around for four years and took loans out. Mm -hmm. That's not my job or my responsibility that you got a loan that isn't readily applicable to the reality of this world. That's part of the job not part of the job that's part of the point of college education is to chase either a blossoming or active career path i don't i don't think that is though like like there's this huge disconnect that actually i've, I've been thankfully i don't have a struggle with it a ton but there's a disconnect when you go to college between what you like and what is profitable and for a lot of people that don't disconnect people go to Certainly. school for marine biology you're well, not paying off $60,000 in loans in a long-ass time with a marine biology. Yep. Other people go to school for business. They're going to pay that off in like six days working for Wall Street. And so it's like we, college, it, it's that weird disconnect because you have people who go to school. They genuinely want to be communications majors. Do, is that a lot of jobs for communications? No, probably not. But that's where their passion leads. 
And so, which is fine. Yes, but like I think the when when I applied for college, they never once said, "Hey, what do you want? How do you plan to make money with this history degree?" Because if I did not get my teaching degree, history is useless. Like it's love. Certainly. I love history. I love like I love the 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 practice of it. But without, right. but just that bachelor's complete waste of time. But that's incumbent on you to make that decision. It's no one else's job to tell you how to make money with that career field. It's your job to take your passion and make money out of it. But As not... a person, that's your job. That's what we're doing here. This is my passion. This costs me money to do this every time. It costs me money, costs me time with my kid, costs me everything. I'm, I'm spending time at the job I do make money at preparing for this job. Yeah, right. I'm actively spending money to try and make this work. It's incumbent on you as an individual, you, all of us as individuals, to make what makes you happy make you money. And I also in wanna, America, I in wanna, the capitalist society that we mm-hmm. live in, I should specify that. Right. <laughs> and I also want to bring in, like, I, I think an aspect of this that is little talked about, if at all. And I think it's the the value of a degree essentially should be set by market forces. If there is a demand for marine biologists, the marine biology thing really sparked my my thing because I love. I love animals, especially, like, I love marine biology. It's, like, a huge thing. I've always loved that shit. Um, but when you when you go on to, like, the Fish and Wildlife website, they always have their career positions open and all this stuff. Um, the salaries are, you know, mediocre at best. They're, like, 70 to 80 grand. But you are required to have a degree in, say, like, marine biology or some form of biology degree that's going to probably cost you close to 100 grand relatively close right um and then you have to go out into the market and compete for that job the involvement of this is the the market being flooded with free money the easy money to get to go get whatever degree you want to get devalues certain degrees and boosts the value of other degrees right based off of you know with with no say from the outer market afterwards Mm -hmm. If you know that you need a degree to go get uh, to be a job to go get a job in a career in marine biology, something that may not necessarily pay for itself for about a decade or so, right? The you know you want to know that you want to be a marine biologist. You should also be understanding, uh, you know, what kind of money I'm going to make when I become a marine biologist. Yeah, I, I'm going to follow my passion, but you know, in the, in the eyes of Mike Rowe, d- talks about this extensively it's it's really fantastic don't follow your passion follow um what's going to allow you to fulfill your passion you know if if you're going after your passion odds are you're not going to make much money in it if you want to be an artist or if you want to do something like that it's incumbent on you on damn near 100 percent to be able to make that worthwhile in the end financially we all like to live in this utopia where you should go out and do what you're passionate about and what you love and all this stuff but in reality money's a thing man the economy is a real deal we all understand that there's bills to pay and if you want to have a house you got to make money and you want to do this and that and the other thing it's a failure at the educational level to teach kids this obviously but it's still incumbent on society in general to make sure that if you want to do a thing you need to know if the investment is going to have a return or not it, it, it's it's basic economics. If you're going to we invest $150,000 in a career, you better make sure that you're going to get a return on that. And whether or not 
that's going to be financial in nature or just uh, in the goodness you feel in doing your job and being passionate about it. Yeah, I might have to live that out of my van, but fuck, man, I don't really care about it because I live on a boat most of the year. It's awesome. I go out there and then I'm fucking measuring fish and doing this and that and the other thing. I'm doing my thing. It's great. I don't care that I have to live in a fucking van. Not a big deal. I'm okay with that. You you take that. You have taken that under your own auspices. You, you've taken that responsibility for yourself. The generic business degrees and things like that, there's endless opportunity in those because a lot of, like a good, a good business degree will teach you basically how to do anything that you really want in the realm of business and, and be able to turn a profit in one way or another if you can really apply what you've learned. Mind you, that also doesn't factor in just most businesses fail generally. <laughs> um, but it, there's got to be a market-based solution to set the price of a degree for what it's worth on the back end. Right. And it's, unfortunately, it's always going to be a lagging indicator, which is a, you know somebody that if you're going to go to college, man, you've got to do your due diligence to know what it is that you want to do. The very first question I was asked when it was like, all right, are you thinking about going to college? Well, you know, what's the plan? You're going to go in the trades. You're going to do whatever. You know, because I had a really tight relationship with my career counselor at my school. So as most people don't take advantage of that. And I had a very, very good one. And I understood getting into that realm of my life when they asked me, what do you want to do in life? Well, you know, because that'll help determine what kind of schools you should look at, what kind of programs you want to look at. I didn't know. So I decided to go the military route. And that was it gave me time to figure out what I did want to do. I'm 30 some years old and I, you know, this is what I want to do in life. You know, make content, make entertainment things, you know, what we do here, what, what I am truly passionate about. I have found it is now incumbent on me to try to make this profitable so that I can support the lifestyle that I want to live. Ideally, I want to do this damn near every day of my life. I don't want to do this once every two weeks. It's just something that we have to do because of the externalities on our life to try to build this thing up. Ideally, we do this Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, sometimes, whatever. <laughs> and then that's just what we do. And that's incumbent on me now to do that. I didn't have to go to college to learn that. I didn't even know that I wanted to do it until we kind of discovered that through the process of you know just living life. But to get back to the college thing, I kind of diverted there. Um, I, I'm really bad at that today. The fucking alpha brain's firing, bro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's gotta be some kind of market solution to, to tell a college that like, we're going to offer this marine biology degree. We know that when you go out into the world, you're only going to make $50,000 a year for the first 10 years. After that, you, you might make 150, you might make 200,000, whatever it might be. But for the most part, we're, we can't sell this degree program at $150,000 for four years. Right. We can't do that. So we have to do it. But generally speaking, all college degrees are kind of, depending on the school, kind of a static level. You pay to go to college. Depending on how long you're there, how many courses you take, all this stuff, your your tuition might be different. But generally uh, speaking, yeah, a four-year degree is going to cost a f what a four-year degree costs you know four years at, at stanford school you mean yeah at a particular school four years at stanford whatever it is that you're studying at stanford for four years is going to basically cost the same exact amount of money what you the the program that you pursue is not going to have the same market value on the back end i think part of the issue in what i 
that I have to cede to you. Part of the issue, what I laid out, is what we talked. One of the things we talked about earlier is the cost of administration, right? I'm, I'm not sure. I think at some point in time, the cost of whatever degree you were going to get was probably somewhat related to what you were going to make on the back end. I don't know that for certain. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that. No, because um, you just kind of go. And like the when they first started, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about when they first started making specialized degrees for shit. When you started getting a degree to have a job, I, okay. as, I assume at that point in time there was some correlation between what you would pay and what you could expect to make when you were done. Yeah, like certainly at the beginning, when when colleges first started, it was just you're going there to just learn shit, and then you're going to go out in your world and you're going to do whatever you want. But I mean, like so when, I, when we get to specialized degrees, like we're talking about now, I think that. Again, I would theorize the the bloating cost of administration that we've seen over the last few years has greatly increased the disparity between those two numbers. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. the investment you're making, um, and so I, I would have to see this to you. The investment you're making is almost probably rarely going to be tied to what you can expect to make when you first get a job with that degree. Yeah. And so investment for a reason, right? Right, right. And so I, I would agree with you um, on that extent when you're talking about different when we were talking about different fields and stuff like that, marine biology, science, shit like that, when you first get a job, you're probably going to be fucking shaving rats and shit, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever people do, looking at rats, comparing them, whatever you do with a yeah. lab rat, you well, know? Rat shaver first you class. You probably don't make that much money when you're doing that. Yeah. So I can see that, but... Um, Ran into a poor bastard down at again, the... I think I think it's an element, but I, I would have to... Personally, I would see that more to the issue of the cost of what a college is and how it's so distorted as to what actually people make and actually what you should make for this degree or actually yeah. what it should yeah. cost, you know, that so I think is an aspect of this, but I also feel is almost a separate issue because of how big of an issue it's become, you mm -hmm. know, but I, I would have to agree with you on that, that I'm, yeah. I'm probably rat incorrect wrangler. on that <laughs> assumption at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Rat wrangler. I just ran into a guy um, down at the the pier the other day when we were coming back from crabbing. WDF, WDFW marine biologist works for the state, standing out there in the pissing down cold rain. It was it was nasty. It was windy and all this shit. And his whole job is to ask everybody who comes in if they caught any salmon that day, and then he just takes measurements and records them. His whole job is to do that. And I I was like I'm curious like what his you know what his salary might you be ask like him no but i came back and i oh. looked up the job because it's a government job you yeah. it's all yeah, it's fucking glass it. window baby see right through it and it's like 40 40 grand and mind you he's got a he's got a, a ladder to climb and a definitely awesome and path to do that <laughs> but he's probably saddled with a shit ton more debt than yeah. he's gonna make for a long time yeah and that's that's measurer. tough, man. And yeah, I sympathize a measurer, with this. Bro. I, I definitely don't want it to make it seem like I don't have sympathies. I, I, a thousand percent I do. You know? I, I'm not that I, cold. No, but <laughs> I think that you're right. I think at the end of the day, it just boils down to not even a moral, I don't know, a difference in, I don't know. I don't, Saying like ethics or morals seems like it's like a divisive thing, like one of us is wrong or right. But it's just a difference in, in alignment of ethics of like, mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for someone's mistake and you're okay for paying for someone's mistake. When And either one of those is inherently incorrect it's just a difference in it's got to vote it it's out it's a fucking policy difference yeah. like <clears throat> exactly it's a policy difference like we always talk about at the yep. end of the day that's a policy difference that's like a, that. you do, just got to vote it yes. out man <laughs> do you think this is a good use of money or not and that's just a, an argument that's just yeah. a debate no i think god damn it i'm glad you're here <laughs> god damn it, i'm glad yes. you're here
<laughs> this has been great. Yeah, yeah, my my brain today has just been exercised to a point. I I'm not. You know, when me and you sit down and we just do this by ourselves all the time, it's you different. Know, we know each other way too well these yeah, days. So it's it's, it's real. We know what we're going to say before we say it, and it's so good to have third parties come in. And be, you've blown my mind multiple times today already. And it got me to think totally different ways about it. Yes, especially when when people don't necessarily agree with us. Because then we, so we start talking about don't say gay, right? Unless either of you guys have a final point on, I'm good. So we can start breaking into this. So we've tried to talk to other people about this, and we've heard a couple of different things. And one of the things that we've heard is like a like a lived experience argument. You know, is because I'm not a trans person. I don't want to discuss this particular topic because I don't think that it's my place to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. And we've even had a woman tell us, well, I've never been pregnant or had an abortion, so I don't think that it's my place to discuss the abortion topic. I think that's fine. I think that's bullshit. I think that's a bullshit argument because you've sat here and we've not agreed at the base of most of these things and are having a perfectly cordial discussion. You don't have children. I do not. You, you I have, have all of the stake in the world <laughs> to, to have these discussions, these ones about all this type of stuff. So I think that it's, I just think that it's bullshit. I think I don't, I don't agree with those arguments. The lived experience thing, I think, is a way to qualify who can and can't have discussions. And I don't think, I think it's counter to my base of people being able to talk about whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, because like know? when I was in college, I had a, an African history professor. She was white. She knew way more about Africa than me, 100%. (laughs) But, like, with that lived experience argument, it's like, well, I'm African-American, so I obviously have someone more – I have a stronger ethos about this because that's my lived – like, what? Nonsense. (laughs) It's It's like she's spent thousands of thousands of dollars to understand this. I'm literally learning from her. And it's probably invested – thousands upon thousands of hours yeah. of her time and her life like devoting herself to yeah. times, <laughs> yeah. right? I've seen Man. pictures. Yeah. I've seen yeah. pictures. No, and by that same argument, right, the, the lived experience argument of like trans people and don't say gay bill, by that same argument, I shouldn't have a discussion about this because I'm not trans, but I have children who could potentially go to public school. So I think mm-hmm. that I, by that virtual, I have a stake in a discussion of what their curriculum is going to look like. Yeah. You know? So I'd find it to be a just a fucking nonsense argument. So it's refreshing, beautiful to have someone here that can have a discussion of like, oh, I'll talk about whatever. Yeah, like, let's talk about it. it's it's nice. Um, so the don't say gay bill, right? We've talked about this a couple of times. I sent you the link. We had like a mm-hmm. whole big breakdown of, of the bill itself. And so I'm glad that you're here for multiple reasons, but especially because you're a teacher, because it will give you a little bit more of a unique perspective into this right and so i'm interested because we've talked about it so much just kind of what your take is in general on the don't say gay bill the uh parental rights and education bill out of florida right because we debunked the first time around that don't say gay bill is a bullshit thing that's just a buzzword Mm -hmm. fucking name that was slapped on it to put it into the media so i'm interested in what your general take is on this particular it's a law now yeah Um, but i think it was activated on the first yeah so I guess the Don't Say Gay Bill is a really interesting thing because I think, first of all, that name immediately gives it a certain amount of, like, inflammatory, inflammatory, like, rhetoric. And so it just, it just, it just makes it a little more contentious because, because yes. of that name. Um, so I, I, I was looking into it and I guess as an educator, I, I don't think the fear is is the legislation. I think the fear is bad negative parties using the phrasing to, to, to attack teachers. Like, like one of the things it talks about is it says 
what is instruction? It talks about like instruction. Right. And, and, and that is an incredibly vague term in a teaching context. Because like, I think like the classic example is like if a, if a gay teacher mentions their husband in context to like second graders, yeah. like, I think we would all agree that you probably shouldn't be talking about sex ed with third graders. I think we, that's, right. that's all gender. Right. Like, I don't think that part of the bill is actually out of line. Some people are contentious about that. I don't think those people are serious, but but I think serious Not people... Not genuine, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think serious people are like, yeah, you probably shouldn't talk about sex out of third graders. Um, but I think the fear is some kid comes home, and he's like, hey, Mr. Thomas uh, went skiing with his husband this weekend. And like, just like, because we, we were at the same park. And the teacher and the parent's like, why, why is he talking about his gay husband at school? Right. The, the parent, sorry. And then the parent goes to the school with that. That I think that that is the fear. They're like, I don't think people. Um, I don't think like teachers particularly, are are, like I don't think it, like people are trying to defend the fact that I should be able to just talk about heinous like you know like transitioning and gender ideology with third graders, sexual acts. Yeah, and yeah. That type I don't of shit. think yeah. people are like we should be able to. We need to be able to talk about this. Some I, people are, but yeah, that's, yeah, some people are the TikTok but, teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, a finite but, portion. Yeah, but yeah. but I think serious people are like, what happens when an innocent comment is taken by a homophobic parent to use that as an attack? Like this teacher is breaking the law. Right. Like so, that's the fear. So I obviously, because we haven't seen curriculum formed under this law yet, we mm -hmm. cannot completely debunk anything yeah. because these finite issues still are to be hashed out on the PTSA, whoever forms curriculum in the district, right? Mm -hmm. I will say, in the interview that we listened to with the person who wrote the bill, they very clearly laid out that instruction means curriculum. Yeah. Instruction means a written curriculum for the school district. And they mm -hmm. also gave that very same example, that that isn't covered by the bill, that that will not be illegal for someone to mention that they have a husband or for someone, or even... I think the particular example was for a student to ask a question about a same-sex family and then for that to be discussed. That is not illegal. And for the, for the teacher to answer that question, yeah, right? That's not illegal. That's mm -hmm. a completely organic discussion that originated from the student itself. It is for it to be written and instructed in the curriculum yeah. in which that is illegal, right? So, again, I can't completely not even disagree or anything because we haven't seen what the curriculum is going to look like. So we don't know what those finite points are going to be all we can take is the word of the politician which mm -hmm. who wants to fully trust what he has to say yeah. right i believe that he's being genuine but i also don't fully trust you because you're a fucking politician and y'all motherfuckers lie about everything <laughs> so it could very well wash out to be that way um the way that it's explained is that it won't be that way but again we cannot know 100 percent until the curriculum has been drawn out and enacted um, yeah, but I think I think the fear is even if they are legally protected, there will be time taken out of their their day, their weeks, their month by a parent who potentially has misread the law and is using it to to go after said teacher. But that like, would be an immediate quash, right? It, if it's not a valid but bring up the of, of the law, if it's not a valid case, it would be immediately thrown out. The thing is, is you would hope so. But let's say the parent emails the principal. And the principal's like, hey, like, the parent had a complaint about how you're talking with the kid. The parent, the teacher might be legally protected, but it still is going to affect the classroom environment because now you have this kid who you know that their parent is now out for you, you know? And it's like, and even though, like, I guess that wouldn't have changed, like, even if the law didn't exist, but it still feel like that, like, a parent could misread the law and feel like they, 
they are protected by their accusation. And so it, it just it just even though you are protected and you are able to say something, it's still there's still this pressure that or or this 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 rhetoric that the, that the you are you are now you have to keep kind of keep an eye out because you know that that someone thinks the law is on their side. But it's not. It's not. For sure. But it's not. So even even after if they make a complaint, they can't make another one because they're not in they're not in correct standing. They don't have any legal standing to actually make mm-hmm. an accusation. Mm-hmm. They are personally bigoted and uncomfortable with the situation that exists in the school itself. Yeah. So I I get that point I would just have to hope that the principal is willing to stand up for that teacher and say this is not against the law. This statement that was made is not against the law. It's not against curriculum. It wasn't based on curriculum. It wasn't anything. And if you have an issue with this teacher, we can remove your child from this class, put them in another one with a different teacher, but we're not going to fire this guy because he's fucking gay and mentioned, yeah, I was at, at the park with my husband this weekend. Yeah. You know? So I guess I'll, I'll give you an example of, like, of of – it's not the same example, but I think if you added like a, a somewhat legal angle to it, I think it'd be worse. Is so I had, when I was doing my student teaching, the school I was at had a law and society class, and there was on Zoom, and so people's parents were listening in, and the teacher said, because I I, I want to actually know you guys' takes on this, because I think it's really interesting. He says because when you are a student at school, the 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 principal or the police do not need probable cause to search you because you're on school grounds. So if you have drugs in your backpack. They don't need probable cause to search your backpack. So they, they can, can search your, your backpack. Stuff like that. So yeah. what he says, this is a law and society class. It might be in your interest to leave the school. Because at that point, you might get like a tardy or a, a like, what's the word when you leave? Truant. But you don't get legal trouble if you have like, like weed in your backpack. Okay. Because he's teaching them about the law, right? Okay. And a parent got mad. It was a parent whose kid was a cop. And he's saying, you're teaching kids how to break the law. Okay. And so what I'm saying is, like, if that kind of parent felt like they also had the law on their side, that's where you get this difficulty. And that's – and I, I understand what you're saying, but I, the issue that I'm having with is they just think they have the law on their side. Yeah. They don't really. They don't. So I am sorry that the teacher is going to have uh, trouble in their personal life, but that you can't change that someone is a bigot. They could, yeah. they could find any number of reasons. We could draw any number of examples of how this could happen. Mm-hmm. And they still don't have legal standing. Yeah. It just makes that person a piece of shit. No, yes, for sure. But I, I, just, I just think that it's going to take away time from instruction, time from your lesson planning, because you have to deal with this bullshit. It's possible. It, I, I will see that it's possible. Yeah. If the law is abused, it is possible. But these are like several ifs that we're laying yeah. out. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, and like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like – you know, like, oh, gay people can't be teachers anymore. No way. I think that's, like, kind of a, a ridiculous reading of the bill. But I do yeah. think there's going to be a ton of bullshit that teachers are going to have to deal with that they otherwise would not have without and the And I don't, don't think that there's a ton of openly bigoted people that are sending their kids to public school, you know? I, don't, I think that that assumes that a bunch of the people who live in Florida are openly bigoted against gay and trans people. And I don't think yeah. that's the case. I don't, like, I don't if... have any reason to believe that that's the case. Yeah. So I don't know why... This law, if the language is the same, right, or it potentially worse prior to this law being passed, I mm-hmm. don't know why this would cause a rash of cases if the, if the language from those teachers was potentially worse prior to this law being passed. Yeah. If that, uh, if that person is a bigot, they're going to find a reason to target that person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, especially after this more restrictive law on teacher, on instructor, instructor speech, they would 
find themselves in a more compromised position for things they're saying. They're probably the people that are gay or going to potentially say shit like that are probably going to be more careful about what they're saying after this law has been passed than they were before. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I think there's potential for that. Um, but like I said, I don't I don't think there's like a rash of bigoted people that live in Florida that are going to cause a whole bunch of wrong cases through the school system yeah it's, it's potential but there's potential for everybody to abuse any law that's that's passed out right mm-hmm. yeah. and also potential for any teacher to abuse authority or anything like that so this is like a, a slide example when i got suspended from school right in sophomore year it, i drew a picture that had stick figures on it one of them was spider-man kicking somebody and there was clearly labeled and everything i might be able to find the picture like at my mom's house or something <laughs> right i could certainly redraw it it would be very very similar there's only three people in it one of them was labeled me the other one was math but four people spider-man swinging kicking somebody from the top i was shooting the person named math in the face miss erickson turned this piece of paper and said that i was th- she felt as though i was threatening her life I was suspended for 90 days from school that started this, in my opinion, started this chaos at school, right? Well, I didn't come back until the following school year, February of sophomore year, didn't come back till October of junior year because she did, in my opinion, we had issues. We had issues that entire year. Yeah. And she had an opportunity in which I could be taken from that Mm -hmm. class. So anybody could be bigoted or use their own personal motivations to fuck anybody over at any given time yeah i don't think that we should when we talked about this i said i think it's tragic this law that the legislation of florida legislature in florida feels that this law needs to be passed because i don't think that it necessarily does i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think it needs to be passed i don't disagree with the law itself but i don't think that it's necessary it's necessary Mm -hmm. you know i think ron DeSantis, as the trump jr that he is took a hold of a very pervasive issue and was like, let's fucking get a bill together so that I can slap my name on it and we can put a stamp on this issue and we can get some fucking good photo ops going in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that this is actually an issue that needs to be addressed in Florida. I think they're using a very prominent social issue to gain clout in their state. For sure. You know? Yeah. And so that's like think my biggest hurdle with like a bunch of people having legal cases thrown is like i don't think this is an issue in the first place i think that they're making an issue about it and Mm -hmm. made a law about it and that's why it's here because they're reacting to other shit that they're seeing around the nation you know libs of tiktok and shit like that yeah so yeah so i i wanted to make a couple points and and i think it's a lot of it is we got to remember we see a lot of the you know the the tiktok teachers (laughs) courtesy of libs of tiktok right um, and what, what those people are essentially doing, I imagine you've seen a lot of those same videos and things I like have. that. Do you follow lives of TikTok? I don't. What? I, I know. I, it's gold. No, I know. It's it comes so up. Good. I, so. You probably see it enough. I, I, it comes up all the yeah. time. I, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but. Um, <laughs> I'm so, interested. We'll hear about that after. Yeah, we, <laughs> go ahead. Because I think what this essentially is a reaction to is, um, people not remembering that the small fraction or the the flood we'll say on social media of tiktok teachers that are essentially abdicating the responsibility of teachers and solely acting as uh ideological activists yes um i think already there is a thousand percent room in any well i don't know because it's a public sector union but 
within any reasonable education system, there is room to fire those people because they are obviously not there to teach. They're obviously there to be activists for something, and that's not their job. Mm -hmm. um, and I would imagine that in reality, the amount of actual activist teachers like that is incredibly small. Yes. And like I said, this was a this was perfectly timed to, like you just laid out, essentially be a a campaign style, you know, boost my like cred. Show, you you know, know, it's it's a big deal, and really, all it really does is prevent activist uh, ideological activism from entering in the classroom. And that's and that is not a bad thing for anybody. It's both sides have latched onto this thing and taken it both to the extremes when really all it does was to make sure that if you're in there proselytizing your ideology, you get fucking fired like you should. And I think everybody else would more or less agree with it. If you removed the LGBTQIA plus whatever the fuck acronym it is aspect out of it, nobody would have a problem with this. If you if you decided to say that you, you replace the ideology behind the bill with any other ideology nobody would have a problem with it the reason people have problems with it is because of the ideology at question at this point when when teachers abdicate their responsibilities of and i don't know how much leeway teachers have in their in building curriculum and lessons plans and stuff like this i imagine it's it's relatively strict Right. You have a curriculum you have to teach it's, and then you have to kind of lax. It's pretty lax. Like you, you, kind of you have state standards and then district standards. But within that, you have a lot of leeway. Yeah. Like, obviously, like you can't be like super extreme. Like I can't teach like I could do less if I was smart. You can't talk about the Holocaust during war. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I could. But just, it just you have to put it in a different place. Like, you could do a lesson about gumballs. If you could, but you can make it work as long as it's relevant. Yeah. As long as it's like relevant to... education. But like. Like, or if you can draw a connection as to how. Yeah. Oh, I could do a bomb ass lesson on gumballs if you yeah. give me like two. Give me two weeks to plan that shit. Well, and that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> that that's really my point is that you could, especially someone who is well educated in education, could probably take just about anything and find a way to make it about whatever the curriculum is. Just yeah. like a fucking really good salesman can tell you anything. You know, mm. could sell whores in a vagina store. And that's like a really, you know, an old saying about whatever. Like, that's... Damn. You know, I've never heard that. I've never heard that long that's, ass that's old, bro. That's old. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I, again, though, in, in the reality of the situation, I don't think the, um, the actual... I don't think there will be problems. We'll put it that way. I don't think you'll see an abuse of the law. You might at you know initially, like you would after after any kind shitty of activist law. Do shitty things. Exactly, but this is 2022, man. Okay, people are the most accepting of various lifestyles than has ever existed before. I, and if you mm -hmm. do not believe that, you're on social media too much, and you have a false perception of reality. People are. You cannot go to a major city somewhere, and and not be thrown out of places if you come in there spouting some bigoted shit it's just it's not the reality of the situation we might have minor bumps in the roads and there might be spikes of hate here or there left and right but at the end of the day most people are just they're more concerned with not being able to afford the the things that they need at their house and yeah. they're they're more concerned with making sure kids are safe and all this stuff and if there is a serious problem 
I think generally in our current society with uh, child predators, and I, I think that for some reason, I don't know if it's at an all-time high or we're just seeing it for the first time. I think. And that's just mm, with anybody that works with children, period. It's not just in schools. It's with, I mean, you saw the Boy Scout. It tore through the Boy Scouts real, real big, uh, relatively recently. I just read an article this morning about ROTC leaders like uh, sergeants and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, Mike Baker was the one that helped do the report for the New York Times about, oh, shit. about students in ROTC. You know who Mike Baker is? Uh, mm. He's an ex-CIA ex-CIA agent yeah, who's on ex. Joe Rogan all the time. Um, but he helped the New York Times do an investigation into... ROTC and just a rash of students being sexually assaulted by their ROTC students. Yeah, yeah there's it's, definitely something it's happening. Any, and whether it's any place you there can was get a, close to kids, a predator a, will find a way to do that. A Ferndale yeah. football coach who was like sleeping with girls. That's like the time right next to Bellingham. Yeah, and oh, there yeah, was Ferndale. Olympic, the basketball coach, right? There, well, there was a cheer coach. Yeah, um, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, a cheer coach that went to school with us that then got a job as a cheer coach who was fucking sleeping with high school students. The, you know? I think. It's like, oh, it's okay because I'm only 23. Like, I feel like well, that's not it's new. Not. Nah. It's it's not new. I feel like if we it's, went to the 80s and we had text like conversations holding the. Oh yes, my goodness, it's not bad. new, <laughs> but it's the same deal as the precedent thing. You know, it's not new, but it's still fucked up. Yeah, like just because <laughs> it's and whatever you want to draw it up to our social acceptance or whatever it is, you know, the level of that has gone way the fuck down. That you know when. Our parents were growing up, like, you have comedians, our parents' age, that, like, make jokes like, oh, cream piecle, blah, blah, blah. That shit would never fly nowadays. If any of us had a family member that we felt was inappropriate around children, we would not allow that no. person in our house. <laughs> yeah. But back then, you just kept your eye on them. You know, you're not going to, you're just going to keep your eye on them. Like, um, Oli cheer coach and CK basketball assistant coach. There you go. So, um, <laughs> so I think part of it is the acceptance of that has gone way the fuck down. Yeah. You know, it's, we're not taking anything the catholic church people knew for decades Word. and accepted it it Still wasn't do. until the last 15 years <laughs> that broadly we're like okay enough now like this stop enough now we've known but enough now yeah. you know so it's definitely prevalent um i think now we may be just approaching a time in which it's actually time to fucking do something about it instead mm -hmm. of just rolling back the stage in which we're accepting it mm -hmm. you know we finally i think reached like 15 or 18 there are some states where it's like 16 whoever for statu statutory stuff like that's i th i think we've reached the line mm. you know it's not going to get any lower than here this is it you can push as much as you want this this is it now may be the time to actually mm -hmm. do something about the people that are perpetrating these crimes yeah mm -hmm. and i will say this too and I, it's probably a relatively unpopular opinion but um I think a lot of the pushback, particularly from the right, about uh, the generalized um, LGBT, you know, push um, is probably because there's been, like you said before, Donovan, people that are going to abuse kids are going to find the best method of which to do that. And they're yes. going to put themselves in those situations, right? They'll just find access. And yeah. there is, I think generally within that, that current movement there's this there's a massive wave of just generalized acceptance which is about as good a place as any pedo would want to be in if they want to get there because there's been this relative push from within certain sects of that community 
to say, like say the map community coming pushing through there, minor, minor attracted person. persons, right? They find homes and they they kind of chameleon themselves into other different groups where they can take advantage Nambla. of this. Nambla. Do you know the term Nambla? Do you know the group Nambla? Nambla. North American Man Boy Love Association. It's an actual oh. legitimate group. Yeah. Mm, very Greek. Actual very organized Greek. group. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. South Park did a whole bit on it a long time ago, which and, says they've been around like for a long time. Actually real. Yeah. <laughs> and so within within the that that particular group there, there's so much acceptance that there's been this really w- strange kind of ex- excuse making or or generalized acceptance of this small sect of people that are working their way into this community and ex- definitely using it to prey on kids and whatever whatever it is whatever actual number of pedophiles that are running within that particular group is probably going to be relatively small compared to the whole group. Mm-hmm. But when people see that, they latch onto that group and then they instantly become, they push back against that group because that's where they're seeing it come from. I would challenge anybody that is pushing, uh, pushing back against say that generalized movement or like the, uh what drag queen story hour type stuff or you know there's there's been a lot of these big kind of like grown ass men in drag doing strip teases in front of kids and their parents are bringing them you know to these venues and things like this it's i i would doubt that anybody that's pushing back against that has any problem with gay people lesbians bisexual even trans people you know as a whole especially when they meet them one-on-one because Again, like people are more accepting today than ever. I highly doubt they're the I think it's part of it's partly a social panic coming from that particular side of the political aisle. The amount of people that are actually bigoted towards that group of people is infinitesimally small. But but because they see certain rightfully terrible things coming out of that group, they push back against the entire group. And it's somewhat understandable in a way, but I wouldn't go as far as to call them bigoted necessarily or anything like that. It's just, you know, people are we're in a more divisive and polarized era than ever. So people automatically take pretty extreme stances right off the bat. And generally speaking, the longer they're exposed to these issues, the more nuanced their their take on them begin. And I, I don't I don't see it. I don't see a massive wave um, increase in in bigotry against generalized homosexuality homosexuality in America today. I think that's I think that's a crazy thing to think necessarily, especially if you spend any actual time out in the real world. If you live on social media right. and that's where you get your take on society, you could believe that. But at that point, you're not necess- you're not just a bigot. You're also kind of a fucking idiot, anyways, <laughs> because this is where you get your you know your generalized perception of reality. So, so do you you've covered a lot of stuff. So I just do you have anything to respond to what Oh yeah, sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> um it is okay if you don't. I just want to give you an opportunity to could just pick one if you yeah, want. Yeah. So <laughs> I get I guess I would say I I think like I, I, I agree that like most people are are very accepting, but I do feel like within the last year six months year there is a sort of pushback on 
I wouldn't even. I would agree with you. Like gay and lesbian were kind of done, but I think T is where there's there is a lot more conversations about like trans people and yes. and 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 so like like I worked at a school where there's a lot of kids who who didn't identify with with their with their with their sex with their with their birth gender and it wasn't necessarily that they were trans a lot of them were non-binary do we call it the gender spectrum i mean that seriously i'm asking gender binary um, usually just uh, somewhere on the they're just non-binary yeah what that yeah if you identify as something other than like mm-hmm. cisgendered i'm just asking i don't well, i don't the know non-binary would mean that you, you don't identify as your birth as like, like either one, right? So so trans is you're technically within the binary, you just switched. Okay. Whereas non-binary is like you go by like they them, and you, you choose okay. not to be within something, okay. the, ma- okay. the male female mm-hmm. like dichotomy, and it's just probably dichotomy. That's probably, and yeah, that's a good word. And <laughs> and like while I I guess I do agree that like I think we are in a much 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 better place. I mm-hmm. do think that it's I, I think of like my like my students when there is a lot of rhetoric out there attacking particularly that 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 trans ideology and like we we can have like conversations about like the, like that i guess the you know age and stuff like that but but like fundamentally this is what they believe and 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 it's just, it's just kind of fundamentally it, what who believes the students believe like like they, they believe that like this is this is who i am and and like we can't we can't for, i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt but i would i would have to add the caveat for now because we can see statistically uh, and as far as youth goes, there's like almost 10% of youth that identifies as something yeah. other than cis. And it's almost only 1%, 2% of the adult American population. Yeah. yeah. So, Depending on where you're at, it's it's some places as high as 20%. I think, in, I think in it's areas. undeniable that there's something going on with youth yeah. right now as far as the trans category goes. That there is an enormous amount of children that are identifying as mm-hmm. trans that are not necessarily trans. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, but I, just, I guess what I would say is like, even if they choose to change it in their life even if they choose to change so in the future i just i just hope that we can create something that like they're at least okay in in the now because a lot of a lot of times these things are coupled with deep poverty anxiety depression and and it just social pressure social like social pressure and it's just like (laughs) i just think i just think like like my my thing is like I'd rather have a like, I just don't want it to to go to a point where like these kids have to find a very dark way out, and so I just and like mm-hmm. how do you and it's, it's like as a society it's like how do we how do we make sure that they can live their their fulfilled life in the way that they either are or choose to be, but but also like find find what we as a society need to be, I, I guess, I guess it's, it's just this hard thing because it's like, how do we, how do we deal with this fact that like 10 kids are now 10% of like youth are now identifying as, you know, non like w- w- other than the, the, the birth sex, like how, how do we deal with this with while making sure the kids stay okay? I think a, I, I think saying. a good first step would be help them figure out what the reality is because again some of those kids are not actually trans for one reason or another they're currently identifying that way mm-hmm. there are people uh, what is the woman name Abigail Schreier Abigail Schreier right she has a whole book uh, specifically about um, 
females, right? young females, right? And the insane amount of young females that are identifying as trans, and there's a correlation between social groups and all kinds of stuff. There is something going on outside of, and I'm not being denigrated, but I mean reality, outside of reality that is causing these children, some of these children to identify this way. And some of them are... Uh, gay and they think they're trans or they're like i said it's, it's a social thing that they're involved with there's all kinds of reasons that this could be happening some of it is genuine some of it some of by that i mean some of these children actually do have gender dysphoria and are actually dealing with this issue and mm. some of them are dealing with an outside issue that they think or it is manifesting in this identification as a trans identity right so i think the first step is helping them figure that out if you are not really trans you probably shouldn't be identifying as trans when you're 13 because it's only going to confuse your path forward to find out who you really are. Mm -hmm. And I think that limiting outside interference, and I mean not specifically, but a lot of social media, is a good place to start, right? Yeah. I, th I think that if you give – I don't know. So I'm not a psychologist. I'm now speaking from – and I'm not qualifying anything. I'm just from a parent. I'm just trying to think, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that if you support a child and give them a nurturing environment to discover who they are, they will do that. I think that if you implant a child or even with seeds of ideas from outside, even in good-hearted attempts to try and help them figure out who they are, you stand the chance to subvert them away from reality because they are children. Because they don't fucking know what is happening at 13 years old. They don't know. Yeah. And even tiny little seedlings of ideas can grow and subvert them away from what is actually going on. So that's where I would start is help them figure out what is actually going on. Don't immediately jump to affirm what they say they're, they're dealing with. Because that might not be the reality. You know? Yeah. yeah. And my, my concern is, is schools doing that outside of parents knowledge because we have uh proof of that right there have been schools around the country that have helped children transition without the knowledge of their parents without knowledge that their parents are bigoted or it would put the children in an unsafe environment because that's another thing i have to take a second right mm -hmm. we received pushback the first time we covered this about not being explicit about children who don't find acceptance at home right if you are a child whose parents are bigoted and they're going to abuse you or maltreat you because of the way that you, who you are, mm -hmm. you deserve safety. I believe that wholeheartedly. I don't know that the school system is the best place for that, but I know that it has been for some students. For some people, that has been the best place. So I would never say that it isn't. I would say I don't know that it is, but it certainly has been in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to draw that distinction. And this is nothing to do with you. This is pushback we got from outside of this. Oh, you don't think that kids should have a safe place? Of course I do. I have fucking two children. Of course mm -hmm. I do. Of course children should be safe and they should be allowed to be who they are. Mm -hmm. But it is our job as adults to help them find out who they are, not subvert them away from that. So got to help them figure that out. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I wish, I guess, I guess what I would say is like, so as an example, like I'm a substitute and I hop yeah. around school sometimes. I was going through attendance and I was like, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, Samantha. And it's like, no, I go by John. Yeah. As a substitute, I'm not going to just be like, no, you're obviously. No, like, no. And I, but but I, like, no. it's like how, like we're talking about like at school, it's like, 
I, what if their parents aren't okay with them going by that at school? Like, I don't know. Like, this is what they told me. Certainly. And so, like, it's Certainly. not nefarious. And I think that, like... In that case, it's not. In some of these instances, we have seen teachers lie to parents openly deceive them about what is going on mm -hmm. yeah so certainly in that instance especially with you you're a substitute teacher you're with these kids for a day a week maybe you know something like that i don't oh, assume malicious behavior on the part of a substitute teacher i'm talking about teachers that we have evidence that proves that they have openly deceived parents about their children without their knowledge to try and subvert them into whatever the fuck ideology they think that that kid should be in yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And that's why I want to be so specific. And like I broke it down a little bit for you when we were talking, because I don't mean teachers who are on the left. I'm not concerned about Democrat teachers. I'm not concerned about people who believe in Medicare for all or fucking student loan forgiveness. I don't I don't care about that. That's I'm not concerned about any of that shit. I'm not concerned about teachers who are genuinely trying to do the right thing, because mm -hmm. I believe, like Colin said, you and the vast majority of educators are trying to do the right thing. I believe yeah. that. I genuinely believe that right it is only this minute this finite minority that is there that we are unable to clearly decipher that is my concern and my activation on it is that we should all be against this type of activism in school mm -hmm. and it it muddies the language and it muddies the waters to with these distinctions like this of course i'm not blaming you of course no. not. I, I would never do that i would never do that I'm talking about people who are intentionally, maliciously trying to subvert children away from who they are. Yeah. That is happening. But, like, from their point of view, are they malicious? Like, they probably think they're doing the right thing. And I guess that you could draw it down to a policy distinction because if you're a devout Marxist, you probably think that's for the best. I yeah. think that if we look at history, we can prove to you that isn't the best for people. So, like, it's a moral distinction. So, I yeah. can't – I could – it's a judgment at that point. I would have to tell you I think you're morally incorrect. So mm -hmm. that's a that's where it comes to the opinion part of the show. I think Marxism, communism, socialism is is abhorrent. I think that at the end of the day, that's the wrong way to go for people, right? I think the idea of it is beautiful. Obviously, it's utopian. It's a beautiful idea. I think in modern application or in any application with human beings, it's a horrible fucking mistake, right? So that's the distinction that i would draw is i get that at the end of the day if you're a devout marxist or you're devoted to queer theory and i mean actual queer theory not like people identifying as queer i mean actual queer theory right and you're trying to implement this into schools or uh gender theory or even like the deeper darker portions of like crt right if you're trying mm -hmm. to implement these things underhandedly in schools you're doing it maliciously and you're doing it that way because you know that it isn't the right thing to do yes mm -hmm. so i guess i'd have a question is like because i guess i'm not trying to like i guess maybe like more of like a devil's no no no, sort of no. that's what we're is, here for man is i had a second grade teacher yes who invited me to their bible camp okay is that like I think we would probably say that is that like, you know, Christianity is much more comfortable, but like there's a certain proselyte, that's a certain proselytization of your students. Yeah. That would be. What are the, sir? I'm not trying. What are the circumstances? So when you were in school. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like you were a sub. No. Another teacher. I'm like, I don't see what the problem is in this. I was a student invited to a Bible camp. It's definitely sketchy. It's definitely questionable. But socially completely okay. I think depending who you are, you know? depending. So let me, 
Yeah, I would say when we were growing up, your parents you were religious. Yeah, my dad's a pastor, so 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 it totally makes sense. Your dad didn't care, right? No, not at all. I think it just depends, right? Socially, your dad was like, "Yeah, it's whatever." Yeah, it's like probably this is great. Get out of the house. But if your parents are an atheist, they'd probably be fucking furious. Yeah, you know, they would probably fucking livid. Yeah, even if it was an accident on her part, if she thought that you were religious and did that, whatever. So I think. I, I would say it's definitely questionable. Definitely questionable. Yeah, but I guess I guess to to tie that in is like as as someone who spent their time in education, there are um l- teachers are fairly left. Like yes. I think I would also say teaching as an institution isn't very attractive to conservatives because it's, it's inherently change oriented. You're trying to change something. You're trying to trying to move society forward by being a teacher. I think definitely on the lower levels and not like you know, lower levels. I mean like uh, in elementary and secondary, I would agree with that. I think in Even... university, in only in the last few decades have we seen the far shift to the left yeah. as far as mm-hmm. the as far as the professors go. And part of that to my understanding is reactionary to where we exist as a social culture. You yeah. know, so so I don't necessarily disagree with you. It, so, is, it is to the left, so, especially so in elementary so like we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so it's a pretty liberal institution to begin with. And I think there's definitely there's definitely like a huge bit. That I would say there's a small section of like activists for sure. But I think there has been a big shift. Maybe not a big shift. Um, I guess what I'll say is like, there are there are pretty big s- section of people who who I don't think see the wrong in or, or see see the conflict in calling students something that their parents might not agree with. And and like keeping that like out of the parents' reach. And like I'm not saying that's like a good thing. What what I'm saying is like is 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 if like it, there's a certain there's a certain sort of proselytization to it. Yes, and there's a difference, a distinction I would draw between a parent not agreeing with the way their their child is identifying and mistreating and abusing their child. I wouldn't say that it's the right way to go to openly tell your kid I'm not going to fucking call you what you want to be called. I don't think that's the right way to go. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's overstepping the bounds as a teacher, as an agent of the state. To identify a child as something you know their t- their t- parent doesn't want you to, and lying to the parent about it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. openly deceptive to the person who's not only paying your salary, but is the parent of the child you are instructing. Yeah. Yes. There is a there's a common phrase generally on the right that's that's when we're talking about uh, particularly children at this point, and say um, it ties into a lot of different things but they say you know the left doesn't have children um or they don't need children because they have yours and that is something that i think is they get credence from it you know it's a kind of a broad overstatement obviously but um but generally speaking yes people that are going to be teachers are going to be generally probably more open and they're going to be more caring individuals they're going to be generally on the left kind of like i think the way you talk because they they generally care more about kids which is why they're teachers, right? Yeah. But defining the line between where your responsibility as an educator starts and stops, I think is very important. And, and this, this, anything outside the bounds of essentially teaching what the school is supposed to be teaching, you start to get into some gray territory there where 
you know, personal choices and things might come into question. And um, it is it is definitely no help to people that there is little to no communication, open communication between parents and schools and particular teachers. For There's a lot of problems there. Who's got the time? How do you do it? You go into parent-teacher conferences once every fucking six months or once a year. It, right. And that's, yeah. I was there. And so... <laughs> It's. I think it's a failure on both sides of, of the, of the scale here. You know, you you do have, an open. You know, there's somewhat of an allowance for activism within the school, obviously, because you're trying to nourish kids, and you know, there's lots of different. There's so many examples you can pick. That you just pick one, whatever one's in your your mind. But, you know, that where, a teacher might be put into a position to essentially, step out side the the bounds of their everyday job and it influences a child's life in one way or another sometimes it's for good sometimes it's not i would argue that if it's in anywhere near the realm of ideology it's off bounds 100 percent, and you're way out of line if it's if it's within the bounds of the curriculum you're teaching it seems to make sense and if there is any kind of any thought in a teacher's mind where they they feel they may have gotten close to the line in some way or another, but they felt that you know like I took the I made this decision and I thought it was the right decision. It is then incumbent on the school to reach out to the parents and have a conversation about what just happened and why and what was actually done. And um, you know I don't I'm not going to get into particulars because that's it's just big picture type stuff. But um, the lack of communication between schools and parents is a huge problem and there's it, it breeds a lot of this dissent and resentment and, and and fear that things are being done at the school that they may not agree with and you know what if what if the, the that kid that is you know Samantha no I'm, I go by John what if the parent doesn't know that's happening it seems like something that should probably the parent should know because Let's face it, kids do act different at school when they then most of the time than when right. they're at home. I mean they're very, very they're true. free to practice their social life. I mean that's part of that's arguably a massive part of what school is. It's social education, it's social, you know, getting involved in dealing with other people that are on your peer level, right? Yeah. Um and without open communication on anything that might be anything outside of curriculum with parents as difficult or time consuming as that might be is necessary to instill trust in that institution and the longer a lack of communication goes on the more distrust in that institution is going to continue to breed and good teachers are going to continue to get bad names and the entire institution as a whole is going to continue to just be ripped apart by the two different factions at play here hard Part of that, I think, um, goes back to the parents. I'm sure you know this. You have to know this as a as – a, you just fucking said about half the teachers or half the parents are not showing up, right? Yeah. Half of that is parental involvement in their child's education, right? You, I'm sure – I can't even – let me decide how I want to start this fucking sentence, right? <laughs> I can't imagine how many parents aren't as involved as they should be in their child's education. I think you'd be right? surprised. And Probably a lot. <laughs> part of it is – I would grant that, like, they have a difficulty doing it, right? They're very busy. They're working on jobs. They don't have money. It is what it is, right? They don't have 
They don't have the privilege to be as involved as they want to be. The other part is parents choosing to not be involved as involved as they should be in their in their kid's school. If you're going to send your kid somewhere for 40 hours a week with someone else that you don't know, you should be deeply involved in what's going on there. Yeah. No you matter should, how difficult that yes, may be to you do. You should be inserting yourself into what is happening so that you can have access to your child's life in the hours that you're choosing or have no choice but to not be with them. Mm -hmm. Right? So I'm not it doesn't even matter right but it's incumbent upon you as a parent to be involved in your child's life because just like deborah said once in middle school they will not communicate with your parents yeah. they don't talk to you we yeah. were all fucking 15 at one point in time probably some of us better kids than others i didn't say fucking shit to my mom for the time that i was 14 probably until i was like 19 years old didn't have shit to say to her that wasn't fuck you yeah. right only the so necessities to it, get through life it is incumbent. Oh, cool. i'm hungry yeah, it's fine <laughs> yeah it's incumbent upon you to be involved in your child's life in school especially in public school and you can't as a parent you can't not give a fuck and then get upset when something happens because mm -hmm. there was probably <laughs> you can they months, do it all the time they yeah. do it all the time but it makes you a piece of shit because there was probably months of lead up to this event in which you could have intervened and done something about it yeah but you didn't because you weren't involved for whatever reason right so i i, I agree with you but there's also like a and it's not right I don't want to defend it, but I have to. It's not right, but I don't necessarily blame a teacher who's been a teacher for 20 years who still gives a fuck, but it's like only half of these parents actually care. I am not going to put in the effort to try extra hard for the parents that won't even return my phone calls. I understand that. And it doesn't make it right, but it's justified, I think, to a certain extent. You know, the, the wearing down of the... Why would I fucking try? I experienced the same thing when I got suspended. Only like two of my teachers sent me work because mm. I was a piece of shit. I was a piece of shit when I was at school. So they didn't want to help me. Doesn't make it right, but I understand it, right? I, I get it. So there's there's a cooperation on both sides that has to be there. That parents, you have to take time out of your already busy lives. I know how difficult it is. I, I fucking know. I, I mm -hmm. work a lot. I know. You have to take time out of your day to involve yourself or else the other regular human beings who work at that school are also not going to reciprocate because only so many of them are going to continue to try their hardest the entire time that they work at that school. Yeah. You know, some of them are going to get beat down and just fucking stop giving a fuck after a certain time and just be mailing it. Yeah. We all had a teacher who didn't give a fuck when we were in school, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, there's lots of, lots of teachers that I can recall that you can just tell we're just like on fumes. They're just waiting, man, to just yes. come on. Let me get out of here. I, these little fucking snot nosed pieces <laughs> of shit. Come on. What do you mean you have a question about this fucking algebraic problem? You're a <laughs> dumbass. Come on. But I think the point you're making is is very, very true. The there is no excuse for abdicating your responsibility for involvement in your child's life as a parent. And then being confronted with the reality that the person you have abdicated your child to, that you didn't do your due diligence to find out and you didn't maintain a some kind of overwatch or overlook. It, right. is, it is, at the end of the day, that is your problem. And if you think it's the state's problem, then you should probably reassess your, your values at that point because... I don't know. Again, I'm not a parent, so it's like I feel like I'm just throwing value judgments out there. But at the end of the day, I don't see any other way. I mean, this is your child. How can you not take full and utter responsibility over that situation? You're choosing 
no matter how difficult the circumstance is, you're still going to make a choice to send them to a state institution. And if you have any form of distrust against that institution, it's on to you to ensure that you know what's going on there. And whether or not that involves you calling the school during the day, I don't know what it entails, but it, whatever it is that you need to do, you need to do it. There is, there's, I have zero sympathy for you if you decide to abdicate that responsibility without doing any due diligence whatsoever. Right. It's, then that's it. I mean, you can have trust in the institution that they're doing this. That's your problem. If you trusted that institution and you feel like the institution is failing you, that's your problem. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I think I think it's just it's it's hard because I do think I think a lot of this is is I think a lot of parents have have put the the, the process and job of parenting onto the schools. Yes, and and it seems like there's now there's there's pushback and people are mad that that the school has had to be parents for their kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and right. so, like, it's like... They're teaching them shit that you should be teaching them yeah. at home because you've abdicated the responsibility, <laughs> whether mm-hmm. you like it or not, they have stepped up in that place, and it may or may not be under an ideology that you find dangerous. But you've fucked off for so long that now you're at this point where you can scream about it, you know, and be overreactionary because you don't really know what you're talking about, but you know you don't like what you're seeing, and so you're just upset about it. Mm-hmm. Or you can the the work to try and, in my opinion, and I'll dive into this a little bit deeper after this, the work to put in to understand deeply the actual issues at play, I think, is more than what most people have. And I think that's where the new discourses things comes in, right? And I want to lay this out a little bit because I was listening to a lot of these groomer school things again this week, right? The series that James Lindsay did. And I, as I'm listening to it, he will read a paper and he'll, you know, read a section of it and then say, and they're doing this to your children in schools or something to that effect. And when he does that, I don't always draw like connect the same dots that he does you know there it's not it's not like every time he talks i'm like it's your fucking messiah i get it like it's it's all fucking marxism right yeah there's a lot of shit that does make sense to me where what they're saying for me directly translates into the modern policy and curriculum that he is laying out i understand a lot of that Mm -hmm. right so i don't totally agree with what he's saying but when i Hear the concepts, the concepts that he lays out, the documents and the reports and stuff like that. Like I said, the different crazy shit that we see in the media that I know some of that's anecdotal and it's because it's in social media, it feels more than it is. Yeah. Um, when I take those things and I weigh them with what I also know about the certain amount of activism, activism teachers that exist in elementary and secondary school and the active marxism at play in universities both from nationalist people who are here and also from foreign nations because i've read multiple reports about like chinese spies coming here with the intent to implant marxist ideology in university that's their whole their whole reason for being here Hmm. so these things are happening and when i read about those things and i listen to james Lindsay talk and lay these things out i struggle to find another readily available logical argument for the core of these things right and that's the core of them the activists why they are there from then i see a lot of teachers 
that are being handed a curriculum and they are doing what they're being told to do because they maybe don't realize the underlying ideology that got this curriculum in their hands. So they're taking what they're being given as is their job and teaching that curriculum. Yeah. I do not necessarily blame the people who don't understand the core of what they are teaching, but they are teaching because, well, it sounds good to me. Equity sounds good, right? I don't necessarily blame you if you don't understand, not you, I mean, teachers, yeah. if you don't understand what you're laying out. But I doesn't, I still don't find it acceptable. You know, because the people that are implanting this type of shit know what they're doing, and it's just as dark. And so when you're talking about shit, like I was saying, like like queer ideology is a great example, because the core of that, like, actual queer ideology, the, the papers, the basis, the theories, the thought processes, is the definition of queer is, like, God, and I can't, I can only lay this out so much, I'm not an expert in it, so I, I can only do so good of a job, right, is an entity without an essence and so the whole goal of this is to try and separate children in particular from their solidified identity to try and use them for their own purposes like that's this is a thing that's not only happening it's being written out in the papers that are used for the basis of these ideologies and theories so it's not even like he's inferring this they're saying these things that they're trying to destabilize children there are people, the actors that we're talking about, that are in schools using those ideologies and also doing what they can to implant those ideologies in things like social and emotional learning, right? And that is where I start to, like you said, get in that area of teachers that are being handed a curriculum and doing what they're told and teaching something that is in, based in an ideology with the intent to subvert those children. Mm -hmm. That's what my major concern is does that make sense i know that was like a lot of words no like i i think it makes sense i guess this is i guess this is what i'd say it's like i think it makes sense but i think i think there's a lot of you're i think you're giving them a lot of the, the activists like a lot of credit to try to like do this globally like like Nationally. Like, like like this nationally like destabilizing thing when I feel like the reality is this like they fundamentally think that the establishment of of our nation and education is bad and needs to change. And and like to to the point where I think that like it's maybe that may be part of what they think. No, no, I I guess it's a, a part of it, but like like I, I guess I'll I'll go to I'll I'll think Okay, so I'll so I'll talk about like myself is in my teaching program one of one of our, our professors like explicitly mentioned critical race theory. Definitely a, an ideology that a lot of James Lindsay talks a lot about. Right, right. Um, this this idea that's often linked with like Marxism and and um, destabilization. Um, but and, and so that usually is just manifested to to the students as we just need to make sure you're you're, you're racially conscious. And not racially conscious. You just need to make sure that you're aware that, like, there's, there's different. That, like, I guess that, that like, the skin color is often matter in American history, and I think I think that's kind of what it, what it. Also, treating children differently based off of their skin color—that's happening in in school systems. In yeah, there, there are some school systems that do that, but I think I think that, that that's in not... Seattle. They have this this math curriculum in which they're questioning um, why the correct answer matters and the power structure within mathematics itself. I don't see how those things are relevant at all 
to children learning arithmetic. Yeah, no, like, like it's like I think that that's fair. But like I think the guy kind of talked about it more in the context of like if you ask a math question that's like Bob sailed north 500 miles and then east blah 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 how far is he but if you ask that to inner city kids they don't know shit about sailing and so the question they'll miss the math problem not because they're stupid but because the context isn't relative to like their culture and so like that that's kind of what we were, we were talking so about. let me show you this this is from the seattle public schools right these are the yeah. themes one of the themes is history of resistance and liberation this is for the math ethnic studies framework yeah what does that have to do with math what does the history of resistance and liberation have to do with math? The history of resistance and liberation as defined by ethnic studies is the stories, places, and people who helped liberate people and communities from color using them, using math, engineering, and technology. What, is, what does this have to do with a child learning arithmetic? I would, I guess, I don't know, but I guess I would argue that they're probably thinking more of, like, we need to talk about, like, people of color who are involved with mathematics. But and that's like what history were... class is for, not math. Yeah, I would, I would argue. This is ideology. Yes. Yes. And, and that's the big difference, I think. Being implanted in but, curriculum in Seattle schools. But, like, what – my question is, like, how does a kid learning about math, people of color in math, in math, change how they, how they learn in history? It's not math. It's not math. But – That isn't math. That's the big difference. Yeah. And that is outside you can, of the base of the curriculum unless you have a board like the Equity and Inclusivity Board of Washington State helping you craft your curriculum. Yeah. which they've defined racism inherently having to do with whiteness. That's ideology. That is, that is ideology yeah. that is based in racism towards white people. And we're, help, we're letting those people help craft our school curriculums. Yes. And unfortunately, the more you learn about, I think a lot of the big problem here is ignorance of the normal person. Um, that is a generally open and caring person that can hear these things because... Literally, you have to go back and you have to read the papers. I mean, there is – Donovan, you've done way more work on this than I have, and I thank you for that every day because this stuff is soul-crushing. But if you really go back and you read the published papers from these like these actual Marxists and things like that – That are the basis for this getting here where it is. Yes. Yeah. If you go back and actually do the work to learn that stuff, that's the only point at which you can see it. Otherwise – all this stuff has literally been designed to be told to people, to be taught to people without them knowing it, to bring the ide ideology along with it and ensconce it in things like curriculum to under the auspices of like doing the right thing. Right. And that's that's why you have like these problems like this where th this type of thing comes up and gets through curriculum because essentially as these people go forward and they're taught about this stuff they're not taught about where the fundamental root of that comes from when but when you learn that through their own writings they tell you that they're doing it but the problem is it's really really difficult and it takes a lot of work to get in there and actually study this stuff and learn it like thank goodness james Lindsay does because he literally he will just read the papers that these people publish right and then once you kind of intake that i mean you could try to break it down a thousand different times but and link to the papers themselves yeah yeah and but it it's it is designed so that the everyday person that cares about like the goodness of children or like trying to make sure you know people are equal and, and understanding and, and, and just and all this stuff. It's, it's designed to just rope those people in without explaining the harmful ideology behind it that's driving the whole thing. 
And the biggest problem is the ignorance of people that are being subjected to this and then swallowed in because it's generally speaking, most social justice type stuff sounds like a really good idea because nobody likes when, when people are mistreated for no reason whatsoever for bullshit reasons and stuff. It sounds really good. So it's really easy for people to intake it, internalize it, and then to begin their own proselytization about it when they don't even know what they're talking about. And that is the super dangerous part. And that's why like people like us get so animated about it. Cause once you actually begin to learn how Mar Marxist ideology has been implemented since the sixties in particularly education departments, and at universities that teach uh, further educators and things like this, they don't even know what they're being taught because the base literature is not being taught to them. And that's why I say I don't blame it's, teachers or parents who don't yeah. know. Who, I, don't, I don't blame anybody who doesn't it's, it's know really that or, is not, or even isn't considering it because who the fuck has time or the want in their daily life to read an entire fucking Marxist paper or book? Who the fuck wants to do that? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody right. does, you man. It's difficult. Yeah, I guess, I guess, hmm, what I, what I say, I, I, I think it's just interesting because, like, it's hard to rationalize. I, I just, I feel like, going back to the very beginning we talked about, we talked about, like, object, objectivity, mm -hmm. and I think we have this idea that, like, education can be objective when, when it can't, like, facts and truth like you like you can teach facts but like when i talk about you know the the civil war we have mm -hmm. to talk about we can't you can't talk about the civil war without talking about the socioeconomic facts of that time Period. or, we, or if we talk or we talk about like 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 i, I saw this post on i think it was r conservative where this guy was talking about how like I don't get Reddit. I wish I understood. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, I want to listen to uh, I want to read a book about Native Americans, but they all every time they always talk about like how they are screwed over by the white people, and I don't like it. Or any books that are more favorable, and it's like you can't talk about westward expansion without the 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 like destruction of Western cultures by like America, or not Western cultures, Native American cultures by America. Certainly. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's so it's like I think. I'm not, I guess I'm not trying to say like that's, I don't think that that's okay. I think the people who teach it, maybe like, I would say maybe not the first people, because like there might be people who are generally very Marxist, Marxist or very ideological leaning, but they teach people who are just trying to like teach. That, and that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm but saying. But what yeah. I'm saying is like, how does them teaching about some, I guess an Arabic guy, like teaching about the history of Arab the Arabic people and Arabic numerals and math, how is that Marxism? Because it's happening in... And this this is the, the issue that I have personally, right? Is that I'm still expanding on this. So yeah. all these papers and stuff, I the best that I can do at this point in time, because I'm not an expert on this stuff yet, is to give you the information that I'm consuming. That's the best that I can do, right? Mm -hmm. Because I can't quote the papers to you. I don't have them in front of me, so I can't read them to you. So, mm -hmm. And I don't want to bastardize them. I don't want to distort them. I don't want to gaslight you. I don't want to lie to you, yeah. right? So what I can say is that in an accumulative fashion, not just in mathematics, this is just the example that I pulled up, it is an intent to destabilize the children through many different avenues. This one is through a, a racial basis. The other one that we're talking about is through a queer gender identity basis, right? Any avenue possible to destabilize the child. So the best way to, the best thing to relate this to is Maoism, 
right? Yeah. It's because this is the in, the express intent to form a new Red Guard, just like Mao had in China, through a cultural revolution, beginning with students, teaching them that their parents don't know what they're talking about, that they are too old to understand the reality of what's really happening, that society and culture have changed. The same discussions we're seeing had now through children that are identifying in different ways that their parents don't necessarily agree with for one reason or another, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I'm telling you, I don't agree with everything that he's saying. Mm -hmm. I don't have another logical, readily available solution or explanation as to why this is happening. But when you overlay those two things for me, that makes a <laughs> lot of sense what I know about Maoism and the Red Guard and what we're learning now. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing from these papers that are written from the 60s all the way through to the 90s and early 2000s, they're saying and quoting the same shit. Yeah. The same Marxist ideology, the same Marxist and Maoist thinkers. So if they're quoting the same people, I have to assume you mean the same thing. Because you're quoting those people and using their ideology as a basis for what you're putting in curriculum. So as the activist, I have to assume that you mean what you're saying. Or else, why would you be putting it in curriculum? Why would you be doing it if you didn't mean it? Yeah. I guess... It's a lot to put on you. I don't want you to feel like you need to represent this community or yeah. this position. Oh, or yeah. Because I'm not... We are not putting you in this. Right? Like mm -hmm. I said, there is a small, small minority of activists that are, that are purveying this. And then all of the other teachers in the country that are doing what they are told and not maliciously because they're like I said, they're being handed curriculum and saying, here's the curriculum teach based off of that. Yeah. If this is one of the guidelines you have to hit, you have to hit it or else you lose your job. But like, I, but like, I guess my thing is like, what is the, like, let's put the, the actual like backing of it inside. Like, what is the harm of teaching kids? Hey, Arabic numerals, like, like we have Pythagoras who, who was from like, Greece, and then they have Arabic numerals that went into like we learned about some like Chinese scholars that also go into math. Like, like how does that like make kids not like how does that destabilize youth? Those don't. But when you're using SWBAT analyzes the ways in which ancient mathematical knowledge has been appropriated by Western culture, what the fuck does that have to do with math? I guess why do we need mm -hmm. to be teaching kids about the appropriation of mathematics by Western culture to for you to learn arithmetic? But like I'm not talking about like I think appropriation is a very particular this word. This is there. the curriculum. But like is not Arabic numerals an Arabic like we're using right? But this mm -hmm. is an actual example. That's one that you've come up with, which I acknowledge. But yeah. this is an actual example. But that's hypothetical. No, no. But like that would as a teacher that would be that would keep that would hit the learning target. If, if you don't know it, yes, it does. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. It hits the learning target. The base of it does. But if you don't know the core of what you're teaching, you're implanting ideology that you don't even understand in your children. What is but, the, it, what is the appropriation of, of mathematics by Western culture have to do with arithmetic? Because it's important to know that like math is a culture, is a global system. We didn't learn. Mm -hmm. Right. But that doesn't have to do with the appropriation of math by Western culture. But like we're, I'm not, I think appropriation, I do think is a, is a charged word, but it's, by, by saying that like right. we're using it's, I think it's, I think it's particularly super cool that the math we use has influ has gathered influence from the middle East because during that, the Islamic revolution, like the enlightenment age, everything like, Islamic culture, we grabbed that and we thought, this is great. Let's pull it into our system. And that's what there's like, I don't understand how that's, that's a bad what you're thing. saying. That's not what this is saying. But like, this is the curriculum. That's what I'm trying to implant in you is that what you're saying is not weird. 
It's not. It's it normal. Is super cool. Because that's it's correct. Cool. This, the intention and express intent to put, has been appropriated by Western culture. That is intent. No, I, that is ideology, and this is the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the reason why we we settled, why the West appropriated the the true reason why wet the West, why Western culture appropriated the Arabic numerals and things like that is because it was superior. Because it's awesome, especially it. when it comes to things like math, it is it is the easiest thing in the world to prove which is better and which is worse, right? Because some math works and some math doesn't. And that's how SWBAT, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. identify how math has been and continues to be used to oppress and marginalize people and communities of color. What does that have to do with math? Okay, that one is like, I don't that's know. That's what I'm saying. That's this. I'll send you this document because these <laughs> are only a, small squares I pulled off of here. These are just yeah. the ones that I just pulled off just in this discussion. And the real this, problem. This whole document is filled with this shit. This is ideology that is crafting curriculum based in Seattle mathematics. Is this even? This I'm, is from 2020 though. 2019 I, though. Is this still I, even accurate? I understand that. I understand that. But no, in 2019, wonder... this was the ethnic studies framework for the Seattle Public Schools. I mean, is it this, might have changed. Is but... this class called math ethnic studies? This is for K through 12, right? This is for math. I I would have to dig through which article I pulled mm -hmm. this out of. Um, so. Part of the problem here too. Let me while you guys are looking at that thing part of the the problem here too is that when it comes to how these things are are how these things end up being presented when when somebody finds an issue with them right is that it's it sounds so conspiratorial right it really did. Why would there be this group of ideological individuals that are pushing this stuff on on that sounds crazy until you do the research to go back and and then you go down that road and you're going, holy shit. I mean, it's, it's literally right from their words. And you're like, I cannot believe that this is an actual thing that's happening. And we can argue all day about whether or not the people that are implementing these things nowadays have whether it's ignorance or malice, I would I would generally err on the side of it's probably ignorance because nobody's going to do this, this kind of work because it is literally soul crushing when you do it. It is and it's tough to get through because of the the verbiage they use is generally nonsensical. Most of them use words that aren't even real, but yeah. that's generally the case in that kind of world because it, it does confuse people. But when you actually do the work to discover what's what's the foundational principles that this stuff is is found on you realize that i mean you just look at it and they they tell you this is how you tell this is how you get people to think this way they don't they don't shroud it behind you know colloquial ideological terms like they do in that specific curriculum they just tell you outright and then who is it's because they want to be able to essentially convert the people that that don't know the base literature but when you do know the base literature that's when you understand it and until then you kind of sound like a crazy person who thinks that like teachers are all out to to make your trans your kids trans when that is it is such a bastardization of the truth it's it's hard to really get down to it then you just sound like a crazy person or a bigot it's one of the two and that's that's part of the difficulty behind this is they have done such a good job and they have Marxism itself and the people that have built this thing up over the 
decades and decades and decades that it's been around have become experts at at implementing this stuff so that they can take down entire nations. Mm-hmm. And when you look at history, it has. And every single time this stuff has been implemented, it it literally brings down whatever society that it touches and is implemented in. This is why when when people like us discover these types of things and we start looking into it and then the next thing you know you're like this can't be fucking real then you dive down even further and then you start reading the literature and getting into this stuff you go holy shit this is real how is this happening and then then you kind of step back and look at how it is being implemented and you go oh this is this is bad this is real real bad and then it's always covered in the the auspices of like social social and emotional learning because it sounds really really good but it's just veiled ways to to get this ideology into people's heads and particularly into young people's heads because every time they can infect a next the next generation they've already won as soon as they infect the younger generation it it is in, it's exponentially more difficult to turn that off to turn that ideology around once it's implemented to a young person's mind because young people are so impressionable and that's where all the pushback comes from and that's why society as a whole even though they don't understand what it is they're necessarily pushing back against they they see something wrong and they push back against it and then the two sides go to war with each other and then everything goes everything just gets torn apart and the only you know the cream rises to the top and then the ideology continues to perpetuate itself over and over and over again because at the base root of the ideology to bastardize it enough it allows society as a whole to look down to ostracize anybody that disagrees with it and any pushback is wrong and when you push back you're bad for multiple reasons in today's day and age it's generally you know race sex uh the the two main ones obviously because they're they've already been you know divisive issues in the country anyways Mm -hmm. they're the easiest ways to do it and that's what society finds it easy to cling on to and then you tear each other apart and without without looking at these things and really trying to you give them a cursory glance you listen to you know a few of the papers from that james Lindsay reads and you go, wait a minute what is this all about and then you where is this stuff taught at how this this can't this is not taught to anybody and then then you look at it's always taught at the university level to other people that are trying to become other educators and that's it sounds conspiratorial it really does when you when you boil it down but at the end of the day when you especially if you're a student of history and you compare it to the past and if you look into those those other communist nations and stuff like that you could see it implemented there in different fashion you see it in all those places then you see where it leads and that's what gets people worried about it and then you know, especially because you see it now you see the byproducts playing out a lot of the all the social issues that stem out of education in one way or another some kind of branch off from this and you know we kind of can take some of that and create our own problems with that too and then that just because we always have problems with each other anyways because we're a big multicultural democracy as as it is and so it, it it just it snowballs and it rolls down and it gets bigger and bigger and then next thing you know society's tearing itself apart okay so here's more background on this doc right so here's the original article that i pulled this from is from the national review article or it's from a national review article and it says that 
the land this is seattle public schools 2019 proposed k-12 through math ethnic studies framework so the link to that and so then i looked for more information on it because it was such a buzz thing there's a lot of articles about it right so this article is from the seattle times about this same draft these and other questions erupted on twitter last week shortly after public schools released a draft of new learning jesus christ oh dear god <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. Let me read the fucking article, Josh Keaton. <sighs> I, are I they, are they paywalling it? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess while, while you're waiting. Yes. Um, so it this, and just to clarify what I read, because I read it before I fucking tried to show it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> this document was a draft that was released and then erupted in controversy. And this article talks about how there is, in fact, a board that has been outfitted in seattle with creating an ethnic studies framework not only in general for all counties but also particularly in seattle for all of their different subjects so i would have to dig more to find what, what see, the current if ones could, on? see if i could find it because you know you know how schools are with releasing what their curriculum is they're very most are very tight-lipped about exactly what they're teaching um and there, i mean they're weird yeah, there are, there are states, there are laws in certain states to force the school district to post exactly what's in their curriculum because some well, school districts the, are so closed about it. So, I guess I, I I'm for it. Like as I personally, I want to release my, I'm gonna like do a pretty good job trying to release my curriculum. But I think the frustrating thing is you're telling teachers you have to release this thing that no one's gonna read. And <laughs> I, I no one's gonna read that. I understand it, but for That's parents true. who do want it, for people the who, one parent. Yeah. Well, the, the parents that want to know would just ask anyway. They send an email. I, so it's not, I, I'm not disagreeing true. with you. I'm not disagreeing with <laughs> mm -hmm. you. I understand. I'm not saying that it's not a burden on the teachers, but I'm saying that teachers should have, or parents should have access to exactly what's in the curriculum that their, that their students but are learning. if they like wanted it, they could just email request them. Thing. I, and I don't know that to be true. I don't <laughs> mm -hmm. know that. I, yeah. I don't know that. I'm not disagreeing with you, but yeah. I don't know that. I know that in some states, they are passing laws to force the teachers or the schools to post their curriculum because the teachers have not been able to access or the parents have not been able to access it. And that's why those laws are happening. So maybe in Washington, it's that simple. But I don't know about in other states. Yeah. And as a parent, and I'm not, even, I'm not trying to qualify anything, it's, as an individual, everyone should have access to what the children in their community are learning. Not For only sure. if they're your children but because your tax dollars are going in to form that curriculum yeah you should have access to what the children in your area are learning because they are your future they will be your employees they will be the people that you work with they will be the people that work for you but i thought you didn't like your diploma what because like because like the idea that's like what is the point of like knowing what they're doing if if there's no way to verify it because I don't think the state should tell me that I've reached an arbitrary designation doesn't mean that I shouldn't have access to know what my children, what my child is learning in school. Mm -hmm. I don't think those two things are connected. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, yeah. But I guess... At, at 27, at 27, yeah. and as someone who doesn't hardly recognize the legitimacy of the government at all, I don't recognize the authority of a state body to arbitrarily designate a threshold of knowledge to which I can have a job. Yeah, that doesn't mean that if I or someone else who does believe in the state is going to send their child or pay taxes to a government who's going to form that curriculum who doesn't believe what I believe shouldn't have access to exactly what those children are learning. Fair, because the school is going to be there regardless. Yeah, it's not about me. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I'm probably not going to send my kids to public school. It's not about me. It's not about the access that I want. 
Yeah. So everyone should have access mm -hmm. to know what the children in their area are learning because they are paying to form that curriculum. Yeah. At the very base, their dollars are forming that curriculum. Fair, yeah. fair, fair. Just so, like we should have a full accounting of where every fucking dollar goes in the United States government. Everyone should right. have access to that. Everyone should. So I guess one of the things that kind of is interest interests me is Sorry, go ahead. is we have I'm not like trying to like justify the argument. We have a lot of arguments about like a lot of the influence of what this education could bring. But I I read that like I think a teacher is like the sixth or seventh most influential person in a kid's life. And so so like depending yeah. like like do you do you like i had some like cool teachers but i don't think mm -hmm. any of them could ever have convinced me of like or or even like implicitly have convinced me of of, of I, I i don't know it, it seems like a lot of this stuff is really exacerbating the power of a teacher like i wish i could convince my kids to like for like may not viewpoints but like i wish i had mm -hmm. like hey you should do your homework you know and like i wish i had more convincing power that could like I, actually I change that, mm -hmm. and this is where the argument gets refined right because i think that we're seeing some teachers have more social power than they have ever had before and if you're talking about again this ideology you're talking about a teacher who's an activist so they probably have students or definitely have students that they are pushing this ideology on because they're an activist right and so if you're doing that and if you're identifying if you're one of these students who is identifying your teacher as the only safe access point because they've told you that your parents aren't going to believe you your parents don't don't trust you your parents are going to abuse you or whatever they're saying right they have a little more control or power over you than any of our teachers did because we're not looking to them for any type of um, social identification cultural identification any of that type of shit mm -hmm. you know yeah growing up i could I could have given two shits what my what most of my teachers would have had to say about anything to do with their personal lives or my personal life. The occasional, you know, you had the occasional cool teacher that you really liked, but you, at the end of the day, we really didn't know that much about them realistically. Um, and it seems as if in today's world, that is a is a vastly more powerful thing than ever before um, for a number of reasons. But it it is definitely way more influential i think today than it ever used to be and whether that's social externalities forcing you know making it more important than it ever used to be or whatever the reason it is you know if you say a teacher is six or seven of the you know whatever the number is you know if they're in the top 10 of the most influential people on your children that seems like a really big influence to me yeah. you know along with all the other things that might be on there but it it is that's why I think it, it seems more important and and also why teachers are more important today than ever before. Plus, I think we have a way better understanding of the importance of early onset education than we used to back then. People care a lot more yeah. than they used to. And so it, it's it's brought new attention to it. And a lot of people are not liking what they're seeing. Yeah. But doesn't a lot is also seem like a lot of. Uh... It, it seems to me also that a lot of the the blame should be placed on social media, but Definitely. is instead being thrust on teachers. Like like this idea that like kids are learning about gay and trans in schools. That's not where they're learning it. 
Mm. The kids are learning it right. on the internet, yep. and they're mm -hmm. coming like. This trans like we we talked about that number that ten percent number yeah. didn't happen in the nineties right or the two right. thousand it, it happened yeah. with and if the it internet is in school it's interpersonal it's not with the teachers it's yeah like, it's the same way you learned about fucking in school same yeah. way you learned about drugs yeah. and shit it's the same so no one hundred percent and so it just seems it seems like kind of frustrating that like you have all these laws and and kind of like this pressure put on on schools because to to be fair it is it is where kids socialize yes. but the reality yeah. is is like you kind of yeah the 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 um the influence is coming outside of this jurisdiction of the school and often the parents and so this is this yeah. is people this is influencers this is yeah. social media this is the yeah. these are the people who have way more influence than the teacher who they're with for like an hour a day yes like i i knew kids like i had this kid who was obsessed with jack septicai if jack septicai He's a streamer. Okay. If Jeff Septicai <laughs> told this kid to wear all black every day, he would have. He yeah. idolized that man. Mm -hmm. This man he has never met. They, 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 what's like a parasocial relationship? Yeah. And so, and so it's just like that. It's, it just seems like, okay, since we can't regulate that, let's mm -hmm. regulate the schools. Because I guess yeah. it is where the money, the tax money can go to, but it's not going to fix yeah. the issue. Yeah. And I agree. And that's why earlier when we were talking, we've, a while ago, when we were talking about the kids, I was saying the first step is to f help them figure out who they are. And the first step I said in that, to remove outside influences. Social media was the first thing I said in that. Because I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, That's just this bad, This wasn't man. happening when we were kids. And I think social media is a huge portion of that. And it's not because we weren't accepting when we were children. Because if you take a look back at our high school years, we I feel like we were overtly accepting of we everybody that we went to high school. I yeah. don't know of any, like, and I'm it's, it's a small example. But I just mean our generation. I don't know really of like open bigotry among our generation that runs prevalent. You know well, what I'm to saying? To be fair, I do think growing up in, in Bremerton because of the military presence, we We're had a much more diverse, diverse community very diverse. than I think a lot of people true. grew up with. I would never say it doesn't exist. I would never yeah. say it doesn't exist. But I think if you made a spectrum of the different generations, we're probably the farthest as far as social progression goes. Yeah. You know, it's about all that you can ask for is to for to progress, right? Yeah. In in the holiest sense of the word, to progress in a social <laughs> sense, right? That we didn't care if we went to school with gay kids. We didn't care about any of that shit and race. None of those things mattered when we were in school. We all we all made fucking jokes that you definitely could not Your make now. Your mom jokes. All, all, and all race jokes and shit that you definitely couldn't make now when you were in school. You know, we all said shit like that. But none of that stuff I don't think actually mattered when we were in school. It's mostly like day. shock value. 100%. You were just trying a, to, yeah, just we, trying to stand we're, out and get we're attention. We're also of like the, the stunt generation and like the prank generation, jackass stuff like that. So all those things coalesced into people saying the most radical shit they could think of, you know, for shock value. But my point was was really just about social media right that i agree with you i think that is an enormous portion of this and uh, again i can't depress enough that what what we're hammering on is a very finite portion of this right mm -hmm. and the teachers would only be involved in this part so far as i agree that first step would be social media you you are progressed to a to a point through social media that you're already maybe already think your parents aren't going to accept what you're thinking. Maybe the teacher isn't even the one that said that to you, right? You're already under that perception, but you are then find a teacher that, that will identify with this. You know what I'm saying? That will help you progress this. So I, I, have, I have absolutely agree that and it is the same thing we we're talking about the don't say gay bill, right? I don't think, I don't think that's necessary. I think people think that it's necessary. I think it's reactionary to shit mm -hmm. that people are seeing and they're freaked the fuck out. And I don't, 
I, and I say I don't blame them because, like Colin was talking about, like we're talking about the amount of research that goes into try and make those connections is not shit that any regular teacher or parent has time to do. James Lindsay doesn't have another job. That's his whole job is to do the internet shit that he is doing. That's why he has time to read these papers and make a show about it and make podcasts and talk about all this shit, right? That's why anybody whose job that is, that's their job is to read those papers and theorize about them and write other papers. That is, that is their job. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame anybody on either side, the parent, the teacher, for not knowing about this, right? It is the very small portion that I know are acting maliciously that I, that I fucking have it out for. My deep concern is for the less prominent ideology that I suspect deep within myself has worked its way into curriculum and i fear for the way that that will manifest in the future that's probably the best way for me to wrap that up yeah you know that like i said the shit that you're talking about the the examples you're giving for this stuff is not malicious because i think that a reasonable person could take this and be like that's a crazy thing that i just read let me what can i say that will still fit the guidelines but is not this shit that I don't think is true. I think a lot of people are doing that. I think a lot of people are doing that. I believe that if you read a document that was filled with woke shit, you would try and dissect it the best that you could and deliver what needed to be delivered and leave the rest out because you're a reasonable, logical fucking human being. I think there are a lot of people in the exact same case as you are. So I think there are also a lot of people who don't want to put in the work that you do and will just teach what is being given to them. That's the shit that we need to be concerned about past the activist that's a whole separate thing in and of itself that's another thing i said my mm-hmm. i've had my, they're in my targets the activists the people that are acting maliciously are in my targets the people that don't know what they're doing i'm concerned for you because yeah. i recognize that you don't know because it takes this much work to know mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah 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 that makes sense does that qualify a little bit better i know i know I know how fucking crazy it sounds. <laughs> I know that. I know how crazy it sounds. I talk like, to people and I see their face. I know how crazy what? it sounds. And that's that's why I tried to be so clear that I don't agree with everything he's saying, but I cannot find another logical, readily available solution for all of this stuff. You know, yeah. that that's where I'm at. Yeah, but I, I guess one thing, I, I, I guess, hmm, not as like, a, I guess, an excuse, but just like, so 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 Lindsay's argument is that this is to destabilize the United States, or, or this is this is to use Marxist ideology to to weaken our nation, and and to make yeah I, I don't want to misrepresent it because it's a real large point what that making. what this is, is this, this particular... doing that our country isn't doing to ourselves, one hundred percent like one hundred percent but that's that's part of the point but the point of this is that this is being done with your tax dollars, this is being done with your tax dollars under the guise of people who know what they're doing. They're intentionally subverting your nation with your tax dollars. It's different. It's not great, and it's not better. But it's different when someone makes their own private life out of being an ideologue, and they're actively working within their own private framework to try and subvert the nation. That's a wholly different from someone doing what they can to secure a tax funded position to try and subvert the nation. Those are two different things, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, if if you're – so let's – if they're, I guess, I guess, I guess what, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, it seems like we already, like, I would say, let's use example right now. A lot of people hate Joe Biden. 
Yes. Lo- lo- loathe Brandon. Loathe Brandon. <laughs> yeah. These, these, <laughs> yeah. I, I went to the gas, got some gas station. Yes. Um, I, obviously, he doesn't have that much power on gas, but let, let's let's say that. So, like, these these people have as much disrespect for the, I guess not the, have much disrespect for the institution and the idea. Like, there was, I would even say 20 years ago, you couldn't talk about the president like that. And, definitely and wasn't so, socially acceptable. That's true. Yeah. And definitely so, wasn't socially acceptable. So these acceptable. same people who are saying like you're trying to like marxistly like like indoctrinate our kids are showing the same lack of deference, lack of patriotism, lack of this is like he's not even our legitimate president. Most of them, yeah. So yeah. like it's kind of like I guess that that it's hypocrisy. Not genuine. Yeah. Where it's just like like the I don't know. It's just like like you're 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 also very critical of the United States. And like I'm not saying yes. that's a, I'm not saying that's I actually I'm very critical of the United States, but I think it's this this, this kind of like like I don't know it's, it it seems like like James Lindsay is is would you say that the United States is like like are you do you love everything going on in the country right now? He'd probably no, say no, of course not. And no. if you ask this like the people who hated, they'd probably say no too. And so it's just it just seems it's just like we're, we're I feel like we're we're in a place where. I don't feel like you need super sleuth arguments written subtext into American culture to to look at our system and be like, I feel like we're on fire. No, certainly not. But if your intent is to completely subvert it to a different system, then you do. Because even the people who are talking shit about America, who are doing whatever, are doing it because they're so, a lot of them, right? These are all generalities now, are doing it because they're deeply implanted in their own views that are based in American values right all these people who are fucking hating on joe biden are doing it because i want low gas prices i whatever it's not because they hate america it's because they hate joe biden and they hate this administration they don't like the direction the country is going in but there's a difference between a even a bad faith critique in the united states and perpetrating an ideology that has historically killed millions of people those are different things yes right there's a difference between like i said talking shit about america and actively trying to implant a Maoist or Marxist ideology that we have seen historically has killed the people who've embraced it. Yeah, for sure. That's but, the distinction. But like out, outside of Antifa, who who is actually using violence or 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 who who can actually implement this change? This this switch to like these activists in schools. But like but like how is that going to work? You can't vote into communism. Like no, but you no, you but if you create people, a red guard in which, yeah. like they did in China, they actually killed their parents and their grandparents and their teachers. This this is the natural end of communism. I understand that you, I, I understand. I but understand. Like, it's I work a radical with... thing. I understand. <laughs> I understand. That's why I'm trying to draw such a hard distinction for you between you and the people you work with, and the activists that you don't know about. That's what I'm trying to draw the distinction with. I don't think you're trying to do that. I don't think your other modern coworkers are doing that. I think they're unknowingly perpetrating an ideology that is intending to do that, and it's led by activists who are intentionally trying to do that. That's what I think. I, I guess. I guess my, my my difficulty with that is, as someone who has worked with this generation, I don't see that happen. I don't see the like the the physical. Like, 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 it'd be different if, like, they were very interested in, like, weapons. Like, like, we need, like, these same people who, who are, they are very against guns. They don't even want to touch a gun. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to lead a violent revolution against the state without any sort of desire to own a weapon? Like, even Karl Marx was an adamant, like, pro-gun person because you Until needed it. Until they get it. the power. You, you needed it. Until they get the power. But, like, yeah. it just, it just, 
it just seems it seems hard to to look at these kids who who if I like like we talked about like a very like the snowflake generation like how can we subsequently say they are super weak and take can't take any criticism but are being planted to overthrow and, the state and i'm not even saying this is going to happen tomorrow this is the first wave of this you have an entire this is the first first mass implementation first, yeah public iteration of this that's going on you and know? It is, it is, are we receiving backlash and what like, do you mean? Like, like, conservative parents are now, like, I would say is in a good thing, there are eyes on the system. More than ever before, people are more aware of what their kids are learning, more involved in schools, going to school board meetings, especially during yes. COVID. Oh, yeah. So it seems like this plan is working terribly. If, like, you, like, in 2019, well, would you have known about that? No. I'd um, say it's location specific. Um, because you didn't have those massive school board lines, say, in Seattle. That wasn't happening. And if they were, they were talking about something different. But in the in the places where people recognize that and in mass push back against that specific issue, they they did. Now they have a Hawkeye on that system and they're not going to let it go away. But, but in their bigger cities, sometimes they do, because even like in Washington, CK, there was pushback oh, yeah. against um, a gender genderqueer a memoir and that book being an Olympic high school and then like a poster for something that was in an elementary school. It was mm -hmm. taken down immediately, and then when people start talking about it, and it goes back up, right? So it, it, I would say that it's working to some extent now, you know, but people also have to give a shit. And if people don't know what they're talking about, if people are just screaming, they get arrested. That happens all the time. They're, they're, the Justice Department has started to qualify these people, these parents, as domestic violent extremists. But that's, the, that's happening. There already. are some parents who are just there to agitate. They're of not there. They're not are. there to agitate. Pieces of shit are pieces of shit. Yeah. There are also people like the guy in Loudoun County whose daughter was raped and he got his ass beat by the cops and dragged out. Yeah. And then, so no, that, then Virginia and then Virginia went twelve points to the right. And so, like, there it seems right. like there are answers to this. Like, it's, it seems like they're not. I'm not saying that in. there isn't. Like there, it's, it's, there is definite pushback more ever today than ever before, thanks to certain larger institutions. I mean, that one talking about the Loudoun County case, the only reason that even became a national story at all. And the only reason that this father got any form of justice in society's eyes was because this crazy conservative right wing news outlet called Daily Wire had an investigative journalist over there that uncovered the story and they were massive enough they could blow it up blew and make it a national story but yeah isn't that a good thing that is a good thing and we're that's not what saying, saying. I'm, I'm we're and, not saying that we're not i'm not sure yeah. what your point is no what i'm saying is like the the secret plan seems really poorly implemented it seems like you're all teaching it, social and emotional learning right no that's not part of the curriculum in Washington State, social and emotional learning? No, it's just like kind of like a... That's not true. Social no, and no, emotional no. learning is part of the curriculum no, in Washington it's not, State. No, it's not like... We don't, it's not typically done in like a classroom. It's more of like a, a generally, like as teachers, you need to be aware of the kids' social... And right. the, the thing is... being as taught, a, right? And these frameworks, these things are being done. And this is the thing. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, teachers hate that. Teachers hate teaching social and emotional learning. How many of them are pushing back on it? All of them. Every single teacher I work with is like, I am a school employee. I go to work. I hang out with the kids. I'll do my best to try to be a good teacher for them, but I got to go home. I have my own kids. I can't solve the systematic problems of the United States in, in a 20-second, 20 20-minute 20 lesson after school. And so it's like, it's just like the ideas, I think, we have this idea. Like, there's, there's definitely activists. Like, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But... It just it just seems to me like 
the rational people, like I, I have a lot of faith in like rational people. Mm-hmm. And I think rational people always went out. And that's what it seems like. It seems like as long as like it'd be different if it was like five years of like this undercover thing. But no, like as much as like I have problems with like Ben Shapiro and stuff, but like it's so good to make sure that I'm glad that parents are paying attention to what their kids are learning. Yeah. Like it makes my job easier. Like it's, it just makes everyone's job easier if they're involved in the system. You had a lot of people wake up to the idea that education is super important. Yeah. And you shouldn't just have some crazy not necessarily crazy, but an unqualified activist teaching my kid. I want to mm-hmm. make sure – I want to know what the shit's about. Yeah. And, like, it just seems like that idea backfired because all it did is put more eyes on their secret plan. And I'll say this, too. As For the somebody people that's... who understand it, and that's the thing, is that a lot of those people that reacted to that are, like you said, and it kind of to, – to some people it looks like I'm screaming now, right? They're out there screaming about shit because they don't understand – the root of what they're complaining about. So when they get pushed on stuff, and this is not a bad thing, right? But like you did for me, when we're talking about this document, when they get pushed on that, well, what's so bad about learning this? Well, I don't know. It's the same thing as when, when a newscaster asks a person on the street, what's CRT? I don't fucking know. No one who hasn't studied it knows what the definition of critical race theory is, right? But we know there is evidence that it is being implemented in practice in schools. And when you can talk about that and when you can say we're treating children differently based off of the color of their skin to try and make up for biases that exist in the legal system due to historical injustices, that's a, you can't expect a person on the street to fucking say that. They don't know what they're talking about. They yeah. know mm-hmm. that their child is being punished differently because they're white. Mm-hmm. That's not CRT. That's critical race theory in practice in schools. So when a... They don't even know what they're talking about. They're reacting to shit that they don't know what the root of it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, but I guess, but they're still reacting to it. Like, and, like, I guess. But, if, they're, but and, if they can yeah. be immediately shouted down by the school board because they sound like a crazy person, then it doesn't matter that they're shouting. If they can be arrested after your daughter has been raped, it doesn't matter because the school board still had you fucking arrested. Yes, but, and I'm not saying, like, it wasn't, like, the, the wrong wasn't righted, but but now there are eyes on their ca- now there are eyes on your case now now ultimately it took time and I think the school board's reaction was initially terrible yes. and they suffered consequence the entire state like oh, yeah. had to do a reckoning because of that I fear that those people don't my fear is that those people don't have an accurate understanding of what the core issue is they see the side effects and the way that this issue has permeated and they see the way that it has. Uh, come to light in modern day that when these things get out of hand sometimes people get raped in fucking bathrooms and school boards try to cover it up yeah. they see that they don't know what the core of that is they don't know that that's based in queer and gender ideology that other teachers and activists around the country are trying to implement in other schools mm-hmm. they don't know that that that's why this is important is because even though that's starting if this doesn't continue people don't actually understand what they're fighting against if they're just fighting against the bad shit they're seeing and not the core ideology that's fueling it then mm-hmm. the fires get tamped out, and as soon as it quells, this starts right back up. And, yeah. I th- and I think your point is essentially you're looking at the idea of the pushback. It is people are are noticing that there is something going on, and they are they're paying attention to it now. They may not know exactly what's happening, but now their eyes are on the system. Now their their hackles are up, and they're watching like a hawk. Yes. And that is and that I think we can all agree is a very very good thing good. to happen. And I'm really glad. <clears throat> I don't know why all of a sudden <clears throat> I got something in my throat. <laughs> um, I'm really glad that because 
me and Donovan are obviously outsiders, and you're an insider in that system. And it sounds to me as if the there is a, a generalized concept of, of disliking what is happening. People are seeing within the system that there is something that is not entirely the scope right. of teaching has gotten too wide and we need yeah. to narrow it again. Yeah. I think that's, that's and the that, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that to me is an, it's the most enheartening thing I've been able to, I've been, that goes with as long as I've been seeing this, it is, yeah. it's a very, it's a very, very good thing to hear. And I'm really happy to hear that because I would hate to think that everybody's just an unwitting pawn in this thing and not knowing what's going on. And then when people recognize like, why is, why are, why are we doing this? It doesn't make sense. This, this is crazy. We're just, we're going to teach what we need to teach. And then, you know, there's obviously going to be the other people that we can. And it, it is nice to know that there is eyes, not only from external forces like parents seeing things and reacting to things from externally, even if they don't fully grasp what it is they're pushing back against, they might be reacting to the outcomes that are stemming from this stuff. But also from within the system, there are also people that, that are eyeing, they may not fully understand what it is that's taking place or... You know, I mean, fuck, we could be, even if we're completely off base on this thing, that there's eyes on the system from within the system as well. Right. And that, that is a huge W in my mind, that there are, there are watchful eyes, both externally and internally on what I think we all agree is one of the most important places for our young people to be. Right. And that is, that is good news. And yes, it generally takes bad shit happening for people to recognize that thing and change it. Kind of like when we were talking about the student loan forgiveness thing. It took a lot of people getting really fucked over, but maybe, right. maybe that will stop it going forward. Right. And if there was bad shit happening in schools right now, which we know there are, I mean, there was a, a story I heard about a, uh, a, I don't want to tell the whole story, but there are people even within the own, their own little ideological cults on the left from within them that are also going, this this isn't this is something's going on with my child now and I, I i'm not comfortable with this anymore something else is happening it's not just openness and acceptingness and all this there's something else happening at play here in certain areas of our society yeah and, and the eyes are are beginning to focus on certain things and i think the good things are being elevated and the bad things are being, being pushed back on yeah. In, in general and that is a very good sign i think for this troubled society we find ourselves in today yeah yeah because i don't think that i think at the core we don't i think at the core we don't disagree on this particular issue right especially on the activist portion maybe not like the fine details of it but the activist portion a lot of teachers teaching shit that they don't want to teach right i think the difference in the intensity and particular angle i, I don't i don't have a readily other solution because i don't have an inherent trust in the system i know and i don't think it's a denigrated thing but it sounds like you have an inherent trust in the system and in people in general that i just don't have you I, know? It, that, that's come up a lot recently and that's, <laughs> and that's and that's i think a, a good thing that's again it's just like a it's a policy difference that's we use that term a lot so it's just a policy difference that i the way that i view shit changed a lot over the last few years you know and the interconnectivity and for a lot of people did yeah the interconnectivity i saw between all these different institutions has darkened my view on a lot of it so i just i don't have the inherent trust there that existed before even 
before we started this podcast. I don't have that inherent trust. The skepticism level is way higher than the trust level used to be. Yeah. So um, I used to be skeptical, and now I'm just an anarchist. So I, <laughs> I, I really don't trust the state in, in any fashion, period. So but. my immediate reaction is skepticism, yeah. especially yeah. with something that at current time I'm identifying with such a dangerous fucking ideology that of, of Maoism and Marxism that it only feels like the correct thing to do is to like go hard on it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, that's all that I really have to say about it. You know, it's just that um, I, I think that I just don't, I don't trust the good nature of the general populace because when you're talking about yourself, it sounds like you and the people you work with aren't pieces of shit, which is like really good. Like it sounds yeah, like you guys are deal. not bags of shit and that's not a bad thing. That's like my immediate assumption of most people is you are a bag of shit because I've seen so many bags of shit in my life. And so that's not you as a human yeah. being, right? You, I think you understand what I'm getting at that. Yeah. Like just on a general basis. So it is, enlightening for me and hardening for me to hear so you guys aren't pieces of shit is what you said <laughs> that you do recognize uh, an element of of what's happening and you're unhappy with certain elements of it even if it's not the same elements that i'm unhappy about mm -hmm. you guys are not pieces of shit you are not just shills who just want a paycheck who just are trying to just get money and yeah i love children i love teaching but uh, fuck the system so i'm just going to give the curriculum like that's that's a pleasant thing to hear because i think like most of the reactionary people that we're talking about, that's what you think. When you see shit like this, you're like, these fucking people, they're just trying to subvert my kid. They're just trying to fuck me over. They're just trying to collect a check and takes tax money. They just want more. They just want to put their ideology in. And if you don't... I did not think that prior to this conversation. Well, but if you don't have a discussion, even an open one, let alone one with a teacher, you are going to continue to think that. you know, And it is going to harden that ideology and make you even more partisan and add to... The shit that we're saying is yeah. wrong here. You know, yeah. it's only yeah. going to make it even worse. I think. I think one of the things I would say is that teaching is a very like self. Teaching is very merit based, and yes. and and the teacher who just shills that that the thing you showed, it's if they just shill it without any sort of critical understanding of what it is, it's going to show up in their teaching. The kids are going to be not very receptive to it because they're just reading from a textbook right. yeah. versus the teacher who actually cares about what they're teaching. Right. They've done the research. The kids, the kids know that they know their shit. Then that, that, those, that will come up. Like, like it would be a dangerous combination if someone was both yes. <laughs> you know, an, act, <laughs> an activist and good at their shit. But, yeah. and yeah. I just mean, cause like, like we all had to, like I said, we all had teachers in schools that just didn't give a fuck, you know, yeah. but they, they didn't lose their job. They weren't necessarily good teachers, nope. but they didn't lose their job. And that, that's more what I'm getting at, you know, is not, not people who are terrible at their job, but people who are doing like the bare minimum to maintain the position. Just to not like, get fired. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's what most people who are reacting like that fear and especially if someone like that gets subverted into the ideology that you can't explain but you're seeing something and mm -hmm. looking crt and lgbt and <laughs> if that's where you're at like you're it's gonna be bad like you know what i'm saying like a great example is like do you ever watch like do you have instagram, instagram <laughs> yeah, right? yeah I got instagram. you ever see those people who post like they're very like woke kind of instagram stories like pseudo history sort of things yes. oh yeah they're always so bad it's there's so zero hard in them me up the fucking wall josh and, keaton and like Good that's God. the thing it's like there's no there's no nuance to it there's no understanding of like we can talk about like imperialism or whatever but there's like 
you can tell that like this is a very shallow understanding yes. of, of the topic. Ten and, slides about one yeah. deeply <laughs> historical issue. Deeply yeah. misunderstood historical issue. <laughs> Now you know. Why camping Whoa, is racist. What? what? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we talked about that here. I listened on the way here, and I was like, I'm sorry. I don't understand. I know what is going on. Yeah. No, I oh, I agree. It's, it, that is... People of color live outside sometimes. That's, <laughs> you're appropriating their space. That's what? one of the worst, in my oh. opinion, one of the worst aspects of social media is that so now you know type of thing. Yes. I'm going to give you this, and now you know. Even though it's only maybe a tenth of the actual <laughs> relevant information, now you know. Mm -hmm. And when you do that type of shit with such pivotal social issues like race, you know what I'm saying? Or fucking gender. When you do that, fucking Roe v. Wade, when that's the type of shit that you do, you're destroying the country. You just yes. and More than any of this other shit, you are destroying the country because you're allowing people, you're promoting people moving forward in their adult lives without an accurate understanding the, of the place they not live. even like, like objectively poor yes <laughs> with an intentionally poor understanding yeah. because you chose to put it that way you yeah. chose the information you put in there and you knew what you put in there yeah no it's bad it's <laughs> fucking bad and those are the people the ones that share them are the worst they're the the they most they probably active. don't even read it they have no. no idea but they're the most active about that issue they're probably they like will... ooh, I... send yep. say yeah. and it's like <laughs> there are what? some people that we went to school with give you the name off air um, that I follow just to see the crazy shit they say, just because they'll still allow me to follow them. And I can't, every time I read it, I'm like, I want to, I'm going to freak <laughs> the fuck out because this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen, but I have to stay tapped in because I've got to know what you're thinking. I have to know the dumb shit that you're saying because it's just so you see it, and that's the type of stuff that gives even even a skeptic like me gives me hope. I'm like, oh, we're definitely going to win. You're a fucking idiot. If this is what you think, there's no way you're going to win because you're a goddamn moron. That's well, the shit that gives you hope sometimes. The same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. It's it's kind of... It's kind yeah. of uplifting in a really twisted in way. In a super dark way. And yeah. then, well, it just makes me think, like, my job is going to be a lot harder. <laughs> like, I got to make sure there's context to all these things. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, I think... We're coming up on damn near seven hours. Yeah, no, I was going to say, we're going to think we should wrap it up. Call it about there, and we can, yeah, and that that's how it goes in the studio. If that's all good to me. Like, holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah, so we try and, so I'm sorry if we kept you from anything, but. Um, Chick-fil-A. You know. Oh, Hitting on the way back. Gosh. One in Linwood. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah, well, as long as, like, your girl's not at your parents' house, like, where the fuck is she? She's at home. That's okay. So, yeah, is there anything else that anybody wants to hear real quick? This was. A great conversation today. Yeah, man. Absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank I don't you. know about you, but I don't know. I had a great time having you here. I had a great time talking to you. It just makes me so happy. And the same deal gives me hope for our generation to be able to have a discussion like this where we can not agree on something and know that I'm going to hug you before you leave, and you're not doing it because you feel like you have to do it. You also have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I have a gun, so watch the fuck out. <laughs> but I just, oh, so I just want to thank you again because, like I said, we've had more trouble than I could tell you just trying to get people to have an honest discussion in which they can't run from anything. They can't fucking hide. It's on video, so someone else knows. Like it's If I get canceled, I'm squatting at your house. Yep. Hey, that's, that's fine. Why not? We're better in the corner of the studio. Um, so no, I just like I said, I just want to thank you again for coming in. I think this was a great conversation. Um, I think a lot of people stand to gain a lot from from this topic, from all these topics, from this discussion. Um, 
the people that are here, the people that are watching in the future, uh, I think there's a lot to be gleaned from. So I, I appreciate it. I really, I genuinely mean that because it's just not to have a discussion with a teacher specifically who's willing to be open about how they feel and the things that are going on in the district and with everywhere is rare. Most people are too afraid to get canceled. They're afraid to lose a job. They're afraid to whatever. So I just appreciate your willingness and openness to be here and to not hold back and have these discussions. I know, seriously, this, this, this is the future and the save salvation of the country is this type of stuff amen to that so yeah yes say, josh thanks again for coming out thank you for having it me. was great to fucking meet you man nice meeting awesome you conversation and uh yeah if you want to plug anything you can plug anything other than that we'll just anyone hiring in the washington state school districts hit me up there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right everybody thanks for hanging out we'll see you on july 23rd right here noon west coast time